Yeah, that's what I'm saying. What, 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 what? Where's Dominic Cook? I don't know, brother. Yo, Digi Izzy. I mean, I'm out there preparing for the show that I do from 1 in the morning to 6 in the morning. And all of a sudden, Rita Cosby is finished. And everyone's looking for Dominic Carter and saying, yo, 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 you better get behind the microphone right now. <laughs> hey, you never know. Maybe he's over at the Palisades Mall. He's sitting in the food court right now, even though it's close. Well, actually, no, no, he can't be doing that. Maybe he's at White Castle or something getting some burgers. So we don't know where Dominic Carter is. That's what you tell him. I have no idea. No call, no show. No call, no show. So that's the reason they gave you the extra hour. Mm, I don't think so. I don't know, Curtis. I think so, though, bro. No, so. no, 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 no. I'll bet you Frank Morano has something to do with this, some form of radio technology in which all of a sudden I'm not even informed. You imagine this? I show up to do the normal one in the morning to six in the morning show, and no Dominic Carter. Nope. No word, no nothing, no snail mail. No uh, skywriting, nothing. And I have a feeling it's the uh, uh, fingerprints of Frank Morano. This I'll get down to this nitty-gritty at some point over this weekend. As you know, this generally begins about 20 hours of always broadcasting Curtis. <laughs> as I go to 6 in the morning and then quickly I turn around and then it's with Anthony Weiner from 2 to 4. Although it's bifurcated, he does an hour and then we do an hour together. Then I come back, and it's uh, midnight again following Tony Orlando without dawn from uh, midnight to 6 in the morning. And then quickly turn around and come back uh, with Chris Hahn, in which uh, he is the uh, aggressive progressive versus uh, yours truly the conservative. And then we wrap it all up from what I believe was 9 to 1 in the morning, although I'm not sure of anything any longer. I guess uh, I'm going to have to get in touch with Frank Morano since he seems to be the shot caller, having uh, taken it upon himself to call this uh, another side of midnight. And by the way, you know, I was listening to his show yesterday night. Well, actually, what was it? No, it was this morning, actually, at 1 a.m. And he was talking about you, Curtis. I was on my way. I was leaving the station here. And I believe it was from 1 a.m. to 1 19 or the 120 and he said something it was kind of nice but then i don't know though i was, was gonna like, actually send you uh, an email about it it was like a meze meze poco poco half and half half <laughs> nice half bad that, that's typical frank morano anyway ladies and gentlemen if any of you uh know exactly what dizzy is he is speaking about please give me a call uh give me that uh uh, getting jiggy again underneath here. Yeah, you really truncated that too fast. You know, I like to talk over music for quite some time, especially now. I got to get the rhythm. Oh, one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. And the reason I'm so thrown off, uh, my typical pattern is normally I come in here at one in the morning. I'm ready to go. Now I'm starting an hour earlier and I have no idea why. I have no idea what Dominic Carter is. He's out of sight, out of mind. But I was uh, downstairs a few blocks away and I was sampling drivers uh, who were absolutely, <laughs> totally oblivious. As they were entering the 59th Street Bridge off of 3rd Avenue. 
And as they were stopping before the light, before entering the bridge, I said, hey, you know, starting tomorrow, uh, your mayor, Eric Adams, has decided he's going to turn 3rd Avenue into a super bicycle lane. They said, what are you talking about? I said, let me explain to you what he means. From 24th Street up to 125th Street, you're going to have six lanes for bicycles, a barrier, and then two lanes for buses. And so everybody would say, hey, what about us in our cars or vans or trucks? Uh, I don't know, but you're not going to be able to go north on 3rd Avenue. The beginning of the takeover of the city. Hey, look, that's why people in Bayside, Whitestone, and College Point, which I won overwhelmingly in this recent mayoral election in Queens, are beginning to put on bumper stickers on the back of their cars. Don't blame me. I voted for Curtis Lee. Maybe one of the most ridiculous things I ever heard, in addition to putting a bike lane on the Brooklyn Bridge. Oh, my God, was that? Although I can't blame Eric Adams for that. That was done by the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, Bill de Blasio, who, by the way, is still living in a penthouse at the Marriott Hotel downtown Brooklyn, while supposedly his home on 7th Avenue and 11th Street at the heart of Park Slope is being rehabbed. Who is paying? By the way, who is paying for the penthouse at the Marriott Hotel in downtown Brooklyn while supposedly his home is being rehabbed for his rearrival? I mean, that was what? Back at the end of December when he left? It's now, what is it, April 1st? An April 1st uh, joke, although we're actually into April 2nd. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. If you haven't heard it. This will be the news that you wake up to uh, in just a few hours. Eric Adams, the new mayor of the city of New York, who hasn't even had 100 days on the job. That'll be April 10th. That'll be his uh, honeymoon period, which is over. Is turning 3rd Avenue in Manhattan into a super bicycle highway, he calls it. Six lanes for Pee Wee Herman bicycles. A barrier. Two lanes for buses. And for the rest of you, phenomenal. You got a car, uh, you got a van, you got a truck. Too bad. How are they going to make deliveries? There are so many commercial establishments all over 3rd Avenue. I have no idea. And Eric Adams will announce tomorrow that it's the first super bicycle highway of many more to come in the city of New York. Now think of it. How is this city ever going to recover, especially in Manhattan uh, that still has so many of these office buildings that are empty, people who are fleeing? As you know, the most flight is from the city of New York and the city of San Francisco and out of uh, New York City, the five boroughs, most of the flight is out of Manhattan. How the hell do you do that? 1-800-848-9222. What are they going to call it? The Pee Wee Herman Highway? Bicycle Highway? They're out of their minds. I thought they were crazy when they turned that bicycle lane right on to the Brooklyn Bridge, which has stifled vehicular traffic. And then you look, how many people are actually using that bicycle lane on the Brooklyn Bridge? Almost nobody. This is crazy. They're destroying this city. Bicycle lane by bicycle lane. And I always had an opinion that if you use it, you get to keep it. But there are a lot of bicycle lanes around the city where, if you notice, you could stand there for a month of Sundays. There's never a bicycle that goes by. 
If you don't use it, you lose it. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Stan, the man in Staten Island. Uh, uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Stan. Yeah, forget about the bicycle lanes. When is Steve from Manhattan going to be allowed back on? Uh, when you actually call in, it's Steve from Manhattan. <laughs> when is Steve going to be allowed back on WABC? When you call, it's Steve from Manhattan. That's the way it is on the Curtis Sleeve Show. You get to be yourself. Not a fake, phony, fraudulent, fugazi person that you have to hide behind like Sybil with eight different personalities. You get to be who you are. We'll try it again to make sure our discronificator is in complete working order. That is what processes our AM sound, the 50,000 powerful watts of sound, the strongest in the nation. At this point uh, of the early morning, we're reaching 38 states, parts of Canada, parts of Europe, and we can be heard in the Bermuda Triangle. In fact, some sailors have been heard... uh, mumbling to themselves that they were listening to Frank Morano. And then soon after, they were going down to Davy Jones's locker right there in the Bermuda Triangle. 1-800-848-9222. And we get calls from all across America. In fact, we've had calls from old Canada, which might as well be the 51st state. And I've taken calls at this time of the morning because it's not the only time I've ever done overnight radio. I've done a few stints before here on WABC, ABC. uh, The uh, acronym stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis, that's for sure. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. And let's get some of the Robert Rules of Order straight of our callers. And I do encourage you to call because... We don't want the same old, same old folks calling time and time again who've, uh, who basically uh, have established themselves as if they were a talk show host or hostess. Hey, it's great to contribute, but we need a diverse group of voices out there and statistics. Algorithms suggest that only 1% of those who actually listen to talk radio ever call, ever bother to call. So let this be your opportunity to rise and shine if you happen to have been stung out and parallel to the ground. Or if you're on your last mojo moment because you've been working so hard, this is the time to make that call and for your voice to be heard. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But let me also suggest that the rules and regulations are that you don't ask me how I'm doing because I'm going to tell you I've had better days. Going to tell you, I've had better days. Number two, don't thank me for taking your call. Why should you thank me for taking your call? How many times have I given out our number alone within these first 15 minutes? I'm soliciting phone calls from all of you and not just those that call in on a frequent basis. I'm talking the New Jacks. I'm talking some of you have never called a talk radio station in your life. Now is your time to be heard. But don't thank me for taking your call, because why should you be thanking me? I should be thanking you for calling. And do you really think I have any idea of who you are? Oh, thank you for taking my call. How do I know who you are, right? And then lastly, please, this is what so many talk radio callers are guilty of. They'll say, oh, First time call a long time listener. Please don't pull my chain and chew my BVDs and starch my fruit of the looms. You know, that can't be true. 
Anyway, let's go to the phones, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Glenn in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Glenn. Hey, Curtis. Uh, hey, uh, I guess you haven't gotten the uh, the news, the memo, whatever you want to call it, uh, that uh, Eric Adams is on the 1460 plan. You know what the 1460 plan is? No. Uh, enlighten me and educate our audience. Okay, you take 365 days, you multiply it by four, he will have the city uh, uh, back to normal in four years. This <laughs> is a 1460 plan. <laughs> but can you believe this, Glenn? With all the problems we have in our city, crime, homelessness, the emotionally disturbed, the fact that so many of our business establishments are empty and that a lot of workers haven't yet come back to their office complexes, I would say those are the priorities He's turning 3rd Avenue into a super bicycle highway, he calls it. Six lanes only for bicycles, a barrier, two lanes only for buses. And when I was talking to people up near the 59th Street Bridge who use 3rd Avenue as an entry point, sometimes they're lingering there quite some time before they can engage uh, the light and then go on to the bridge. They said to me, as if somehow I was the commissioner of the Department of Transportation, but Curtis... What happens to us in our cars, in our vans, in our trucks? I said, I have no idea because we're, it's our main artery on the east side of Manhattan. Hey, Curtis, he's going to be on that congestion uh, uh, traffic uh, also. He's going to turn around and say, hey, here's where I can get some revenue. Congestion pricing, which is just an extra tax on the middle class. The wealthy can afford it. The indigent and poor will be subsidized by the middle class. So it's just another way of strangling the middle middle class. And guess what, Glenn? Driving them down to Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Virginia, Texas, Tennessee, poor parts unknown. And if he can, he'll raise the uh, the tolls on the bridges if he can do that. Oh, guaranteed. The Port Authority, which is the combination of uh, crime wave Kathy Hokum, and remember, I call the governor Hokum because she's full of nonsense. And uh, naturally, uh, the governor that all of you schmucks and putzes in New Jersey reelected. Can't quite understand that. You must be masochist because uh, Governor Murphy only likes to call all of you knuckleheads. So it's a combination of their sickle fence, toadies, and lackeys that they appoint. Uh, they raise uh, the uh, the Port Authority fares on the George Washington Bridge to the Lincoln and Holland Tunnels, over the Bayonne Gothels Bridge, Outer Bridge Crossing. Oh my God! Oh my! Unbelievable! Uh, it's just it's just another tax. Then you have the MTA that runs some of the bridges. Then you have <laughs> it's just like one agency after another. Our number's 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Paul calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Paul. Curtis, you don't need any trucks to deliver food to those businesses on 3rd Avenue. If you listen to uh, Alexandria Cortez, she says she gets her food at the supermarket. (laughs) So what do we need trucks going there for? (laughs) These people are complete idiots. (laughs) <laughs> you should have won, my friend. You should have won. Oh, you know, people were saying to me as I was standing out there in the 59th Street Bridge entry point, you know, don't blame me. I voted for Curtis. I ain't mean, look. This didn't even come up in the campaign. Nobody was suggesting this. Nobody was promoting this. Nobody was saying we need to turn 3rd Avenue, the main artery on the east side of Manhattan, 
into a super bicycle highway. This is what Eric Adams is calling it. He's having a press conference tomorrow to announce it. You're hearing it first on WABC before you hear it on All News, WINS, WCBS, New York One, any of the other local outlets or the statewide outlets. You're hearing it first and foremost here on WABC from the mouth of Curtis Lewa. And my mouth was wide open when I first heard it. I thought it was a joke. I thought it was a joke. Come on. You turned it, haven't you? You're going to turn into a super bicycle highway and rename it the Pee Wee Herman Highway? Remember Pee Wee Herman with the bow tie on, on his big chief uh, Schwinn bicycle? Is there anybody out there who can actually make rhyme or reason out of this craziness? Let's go to Paul in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Paulie. This is total insanity. They should do it on First Avenue, not Third Avenue. I take a cab from 13th Street to 121st Street, and it's going to double the cab fare. Man, let me tell you something, Paul. (laughs) You'll never get there. You cut off Third Avenue to vehicular traffic, except for two lanes for buses and then six lanes for bicycles. That's going to strangle strangle lower Manhattan, midtown Manhattan, upper Manhattan. one 800 Let's go to Dave calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Dave. Hey, Curtis. I got a great idea. Uh, but before, I want to preface this, though, about the construction that's going on on the upper level of the Queensboro Bridge. They're trying to build a bike lane up there, which is absolutely absurd. It's, it's uh, a nightmare trying to get... Uh, drive on that very narrow one lane they created with the construction that's up there. Uh, so here is my lovely idea. Now, hold on. Before you give us your idea, Dave, uh, you have uh, announced it as the 59th Street Bridge, correct? That's right. Correct. But it, it also it is also called the Queensboro Bridge. It's also called the Ed Koch Bridge. Why would one freaking uh, bridge have three separate names? I don't know. That's just the way it worked out. But And the funny part is that before he died, they named the bridge after him. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, uh, who was that? Simon and Garfunkel? Did they sing uh, Me and Julio uh, in the schoolyard down by the, the Ed Koch Bridge? No. Anyway, so uh, I have this idea as far as the homeless people. You take all that money that they're wasting on these bike lanes and you put it toward affordable, either no-cost or low-cost housing for the homeless people. But, uh, you know, uh, nobody talks about that. You just talk about wasting money on bike lanes on the Queensboro Bridge and everywhere else. Oh, and, and the Brooklyn Bridge. Dave, the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, this you can't hang on, Eric Adams. This happened uh, in the waning days when the worst mayor in our lifetime, Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, actually decided to put a bike lane on the, the uh, vehicular section of the bridge. The bicyclists used to go on the pedestrian path. That was perfect. Right on top, the wooden path that takes you into the concrete, into lower Manhattan, or into lower Brooklyn. It was perfect. But actually, they had to give the bicyclists their own own slice of asphalt on the vehicular path. That's crazy. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go, if we can, to Stefano calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Stefano. How you doing, Curtis? I'm going to make it quick. So first thing I wanted to ask you. 
Hold on, Shay Stefano. You can't make it quick in Staten Italy. I mean, we're like 23 minutes into the program. I have no idea where Dominic Carter is. I have no idea why I'm sitting here. But the fact is, is that it's rules and regulations of the Curtis Lewis show. The Robert Rules of Order is you don't ask me how I'm doing because you know what I'm going to say, Stefano, to you and everyone else. I've had better days. Kabish, Kabish, Kabish. I did. That's why I didn't say it this time. All right. <laughs> All right. Go ahead, Stefano. So seeing it always takes a long time uh, to figure out what the problems are. Then it takes another long time to allocate the money. How are we ever going to get ahead of the issues of the homeless and the health and mental hygiene issue if every time we allocate the money, uh, hence the $850 million Thrive money, and it disappears and we don't follow the road? I mean, somebody if we don't hold these people accountable to this, we're just going to keep going around in circles spinning our wheels because we individualize the problem. Then we say, okay, let's put some money towards it. Then we give these people the money to fix the problem, and they never fix the problem. So that's my first thing. And my second thing I wanted to ask you actually to pick your brain is I kind of see our situation with the citizenship as being a contract between us and the government. And seeing that we have responsibilities towards the government, taxes, et cetera, law-abiding, they should have some responsibilities towards us in this contract one of them, I think, is keeping us protected. One of us in that keeping us protected means the border. So now with what they're doing to the border, shouldn't we be able to sue them for breach of contract because they're not holding up their end of the bargain? That is a brilliant observation, which we're not going to tackle right now. Stefano, we're going to tackle towards uh, our last hour and combine it with a few different geopolitical topics that are a threat to America. But let me just talk about homelessness because I, I think uh, everyone would acknowledge I'm on homelessness uh, and the emotionally disturbed, uh, dealing with them for 43 years as leader of the Guardian Angels. I, I know quite a few of them personally. Look at this past week. How much time did we spend on removing Squirrel Man from a tree up uh, in the park area near Riverbank Park, 145th Street in the West Side Highway? So the guy is crawling up there and living in a tree. If he were in Pennsylvania, they'd say, oh, how one, he must be a bowman. He must be hunting for deer, you know, one of these bowman guys who live up in the trees. If he was in the Ukraine, he'd say, wow, he's probably a sniper either for the Russians or the Ukrainians, right? If he was out in Wyoming, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, oh, a survivalist. Yeah, he's living up in the tree. By the way, the reason he lives up in a tree, nobody has ever explained it because he just keeps returning more and more. First of all, he's emotionally disturbed, but he's homeless and he's going to survive. And when you live in the park, when you're sleeping on the ground at night in the park, who comes to take whatever food that you have? The rats and the raccoons. So that's why you want to live up in a tree because rats at times try to Crawl up the tree. Raccoons can do it, but they generally don't. So if you had to live on the ground in the park, let's say in a poop tent, or you had to live in a tree like Squirrel Man off 145th Street at Riverbank Park on the west side of Manhattan, there's a reason you live up there. But, oh, my God, everyone was so obsessed with Squirrel Man. First off, he wasn't bothering anybody. 
He hadn't attacked anybody until the post showed up, and obviously they're always in your face. That's their job. So he attacked, he reported Kevin Sheehan, and the cameraman got arrested for assault, cut loose, because nobody goes to jail. And then he came back to live back in the tree again, and he got taken for psychiatric observation at Harlem Hospital. I guarantee you he'll be cut loose again, and he will return. Same place, like a homing pigeon. And like I said, in other parts of the country, he would be, oh, wow, he's a bow hunter. He's waiting for the deer to come through. Wow. Oh, he's a survivalist in Montana or in Ukraine. <laughs> he's a, he'd make a great sniper. I guarantee you, the guy who's probably a veteran. So many veterans have turned out, unfortunately, end up being homeless in our streets, in our parks, in our subways here in New York City. Legitimate uh, legitimate veterans, not just the guys who give you a tale of doom and gloom, and it turns out they were never veterans to begin with. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. The story of the day, you haven't seen it on TV yet, you haven't heard it on the radio, you haven't read it on the wires, but tomorrow Mayor Eric Adams is going to be standing out somewhere on 3rd Avenue in Manhattan, whether it's uh, up by 125th Street or down on 24th Street, because that entire stretch he is turning into a bicycle superhighway. Six lanes of bicycles, a barrier, two lanes for buses, and if you're driving a car, a cab, if you're driving a truck or a van, oofa, F you, and your tax dollars, too, because you anointed Eric Adams, your Mashiach, and he's going to screw you, too. Flowers in Anybody the know where Dominic Carter is? He's MIA. In Ramapo, where even the lawn jockeys are white in Rockland County. Where, oh, where might Dominic Carter be? With his uh, male cat, Beyonce. The hell, he's got a male cat, and he calls the male cat, Beyonce. Supposed to be here 12 midnight. M.I.A., I have been told, Jackie Lee Squat, no doubt, Frank Murano, the golden child, he can do no wrong. Probably knows what's going on, but do you think anybody allows it to filter down to yours truly? Doesn't matter. You tell me, you give me a moment's notice, and I jump right in. Because I can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. He's, the, yes, go he's ahead. probably hanging out with Frank Morano right now. I guarantee you. Probably. They're like two peas in a pod, a soup and a sandwich, a horse in a carriage. Oh, they, they, they just patronize one another. Oh, Dominic, you do such a great job. Oh, Frank, you're even better. Oh, no, no, you're the best, not like the rest. But maybe because Dominic's over there, they might be smoking a 50-cent cigar tonight, probably. Could be, but let me tell you something. They're so close, soon they could be swapping spit. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, our numbers, 1-800-848-9222. This uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young song, Our House, could easily uh, be um, the song, the theme song uh, for the squirrel man who was evicted twice from that tree over by Riverbank Park on 145th Street off the West Side Highway, or the hundreds of homeless who had their encampments knocked over and only five accepted shelter, only five out of hundreds. Where the hell do you think everybody else went? You think they just disappeared? No, they're going to be circulating around. They're going to be sleeping in the streets, sleeping in the subparks. It's exactly what Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, did when he... uh, 
He took apart 9,000 encampments over eight years. Uh, We have no records of how many of those people were offered shelter and accepted it. But so far, in Mayor Adams' attempt uh, to um, assimilate these homeless people, many of them with underlying situations, they have emotional issues, uh, drug issues, uh, alcohol issues. Only five have accepted shelter. That means hundreds are still out there. And I tell you, you know, if I were homeless, where I'd go? Let's say I was in one of those encampments right under the BQE. That was the the big encampment that a lot of the TV cameras were at where they took everyone's belongings and they put it in the back of a sanitation truck to be taken away to the landfill. I would go into an ATM vestibule, you know, especially at night like now. uh, You go in there. Uh, you either work your way in after somebody has already gone in or somebody is coming out. You hold the door. You go in there. You cop a squat for the whole night. It's generally warm. It'll protect you from the uh, elements. Uh, that's what I would do. And you see a lot of homeless people doing exactly that. You go in uh, to make a deposit or a withdrawal in an ATM vestibule at like 2 or 3 in the morning. And it's like uh, oftentimes you have one or two homeless guys that are in there copping a squat. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. They're not going away. They're not just going to evaporate into the air. They got to be dealt with. Boy, you can't use the De Blasio approach. It didn't work for De Blasio in eight years. And Eric Adams, I'd be more than happy to help you with this, since I know the homeless and emotionally disturbed so well. But every time I've offered, I've been offered wolf tickets in return. Let's go to Mike calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. What's up, Curtis? Listen, those those eighty pound electric bikes going forty miles an hour, it's gonna be a disaster on that superhighway. I can't believe they don't do anything. The real bicyclists, they're gonna have to be careful. Never has it been more dangerous in New York stepping off the curb. You can't step off the curb. I mean, years ago cars this but now with them bikes moved, you know what I do? I see them bikes coming at me, I square off like a bullfighter and I'm ready to clothesline them. You know, you know. <laughs> right here, you'd be running the gauntlet. You know, Mike, remember I got hit by that cab running across 6th Avenue three days before the election uh, when I was running here to WABC to do an hour of a paid-for campaign broadcast from 12 midday to 1 in the afternoon. Can you imagine trying to make your way across six lanes of bicycles, Mike? <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Especially if you're Curtis Lee with the Red Beret, they'll be gearing down on me. <laughs> they were, yeah, they were, they were aiming for you. <laughs> oh, this is getting crazy. Imagine with all the problems we have in the city, we don't have enough people coming back to work yet. So many of the stores, the commercial establishments, the uh, warehouse uh, uh, warehouses are closed. And Eric Adams decides the number one need is to have a super bicycle, super highway, six lanes of bicycles on 3rd Avenue, the main artery of the east side, with a barrier, and then two lanes for buses. This is crazy, Mike. Wait till you see the pileup. Wait till you see the first pileup. Oh, yeah, be like, uh, you know, when when they have those races, uh, the Tour de France. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and sometimes they're all packed up and one bicyclist falls and then like 20 others fall and they're all sucking concrete. Curtis, when I was a kid, you could you you, had, you could smoke pot. 
You couldn't ride a motorcycle without a helmet. Anything you did, they want you like white on rice. All of a sudden, within two years, it's like I could smoke weed while riding my bike without a helmet, with no registration. No, it's I, I don't understand. And and uh, and then and then how about the whole racial thing? I thought we had that figured out. You know what I'm saying? My generation, we grow up like yeah, that we figured that out. Yeah, you're gay, you're gay. You're black, you're black. You're white, you're white. And all of a sudden, it's like every generation's got to re. I don't know. They got to like rediscover it or, or, or figure it out again. Too bad we can't download what's in our brains, huh? That's right, Mike. We got to recalibrate uh, because there are so many things that are freaky deaky that if they had occurred when we were kids, we'd say, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. <laughs> oh, imagine. I mean, to me, this is such a huge issue. Our city is the last big city to return. Everybody acknowledges that for a wide variety of reasons. Nobody's blaming Eric Adams for that. Uh, that's uh, on Bill de Blasio's watch. But out of all of the things you could do to stimulate people coming back to the offices, uh, opening up their businesses, uh, trying to lease uh, warehouse space, it ain't going to be people coming in on bicycles. You know that, Mike. Yeah, listen, the real bicyclists don't need that much space. What this is going to be for is all the electric, the delivery guys. The elect- it's, it's going to be for the guys that are just they're doing 40 miles an hour on 80-pound machines, you know? The, the real bicyclists don't need that much room. The ones that use, actually use pedal power, you know, yeah. Uh, Mike, don't knock yourself out, Mike. I mean, think of it. We could have a Tour de France. Every day in the five boroughs of New York City, you know, all the bicyclists pack up because they always stay together. And then the last mile, they sort of break out and they sprint. And then that's when they have the pileups and the congestion. This is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard of in a city that's been known for a lot of dumb things, really dumb things. You think maybe we ought to clean up the uh, subways first? We got to make sure all the homeless people are out of the subways, the emotionally disturbed persons are taken into the mental health care hospitals. You think we should make sure that you're safe and secure when taking the subways? Madonna, my 1-800-848-9222. Let's go, if we can, to Howard in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Howard. Yeah, how are you doing, Curtis? Uh... How am I doing? Let me tell you something, how am I doing? This has to be a Dominic Carter audience. I mean, three times already in the first 40 minutes, I've had to correct these Gabons that you don't ask me how I'm doing. Because if you do, the Robert Rules of Orders of the Curtis Lewis show is, I'm just going to need your reaction say, I've had better days. Kabish, Howard, Kabish, Kabish. I didn't say, Howard, I don't care how you're doing. You aggravated me for 25 years. I'm calling you to tell you that my my dog and I went camping in Sterling Forest, and we were camping around a nice little campfire. I had a, a sirloin steak ready to cook, and then you started talking about White Castle hamburgers, and I got so freaking hungry. My dog ate the whole steak. And the next day, I had to come down and get my truck and go, go get White Castle hamburgers. <laughs> so Why don't you get more... Commercial. He he. What is that? He had the steak, and you ended he up. Ate the whole, he ate the whole thing. 
I couldn't eat it after you started talking about mouth-watering. <laughs> you know, when I first broke into uh, radio with uh, my wife, then which one was that? Let me think. Oh, yeah, that was Lisa. Okay, that was number two. Uh, it was Angels yeah. in the Morning. Uh, we were on from 1991 and 1994. Uh, four, yeah. Right, four hours in the morning. And we were one of the top morning shows until uh, we ended up going our separate ways. But one of our sponsors were White Castles in the frozen food aisle in your, in your supermarket because they were breaking into the frozen food aisle. You had to see people were like, what? I could get White Castle at Christini's or Wall Bombs or Bohax in the frozen food aisle? I'm there. They, they had an addiction to White Castle belly busters. Talking about it, how your mouth was watering and my mouth was watering. Oh, my God, you made me nuts. I've been waiting 25 years to tell you you've been driving me nuts. Oh, my God. Why don't we do more commercials, Curtis? Oh, look, I mean, look. So uh, I know, Howard. Uh, see, when I do a commercial... Uh, I can wind it, right, I can wind it into a tale, a narrative, a story. You'll never know it's a commercial. You'll wonder. I know. Thanks a lot for that. My dog ate you, too. Right. The dog ate the steak while you were listening to my White Castle commercial. The whole thing. (laughs) Oh, no, no. I got to tell you, I've listened to some of the best uh, pitchmen in radio history. Long John Nebel and Candy Jones overnights. Long John was the best. I'm sorry. Not as good as you. Well, look, uh, I've had, uh, look, 32 years in talk radio. Most of it, uh, it, that's why they call it commercial radio, Howard. I tell everyone, no no ticky, no washy, no talky. If If you can't. Uh, be able to promote uh, commercial products, well, then you might as well go to public radio or satellite radio because that's why yeah. we're commercial radio. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But, but you know I mean, something, you... Howard? You gave me a good belly laugh. You uh, you rekindled memories of old, some of them nightmares, some of them quite funny. But imagine, here was Howard with his dog, his trusty dog. They were out there camping. He had a nice steak on the grill. He heard me doing a commercial for White Castle. He started salivating. Meantime, the dog, while he was distracted, ate his steak. And then he had to schlep off in the morning, uh, take down his tent, and try to find a White Castle where there were belly busters. Oh, and I can tell a city by how many White Castles they have. Ladies and gentlemen, the first White Castle is a city you wouldn't possibly have ever thought there'd be a White Castle, and it's no longer there. With all the White Castles that are east of the Mississippi, is the place where it started. It's no longer there. What city and what state am I talking about, ladies and gentlemen? I, I gave this trivia out once before, and it took you a little bit of time to nail it. Hopefully you'll be a lot quicker. Because, you know, my uh, adversary, my nemesis, Frank, Mar- Frank Morano, the other side of midlife, uh, midlife, he's having a midlife crisis because we don't even know how old he is. While I'm the another side of midnight, oh, well, I'm going to get into it tomorrow night, same time, same place, as to why he's just changed a little bit of the name so he can get credit for all the hours that I do and all the ratings that I'm able to uh, add additionally to. Oh, it's all done through algorithms. I'll break it down for you uh, tomorrow. 
I just haven't figured out why Dominic Carter isn't here. This is his normal slot, 12 midnight to 1. This is his last uh, morning uh, before he generally would then uh, begin the cycle uh, starting on Tuesday mornings. And yet he's not here. MIA. And probably Frank Morano knows why, but nobody tells me. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Brian, who's calling from Yonkers. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Brian? Yes. Hi, hi uh, Curtis. My uh, sister-in-law is homeless. She chooses to be homeless. She had a ha- home and she had a beautiful apartment and she chooses not to live in it. She lives on the, the bench out in the Staten Island Ferry. So this whole homeless thing is, a, as you know, is a mental health issue. And then we got to start building and opening up more mental hospitals. R- rifling them all out of the subway and everywhere else isn't doing any good. That's just putting them back in the street. And if they go to a shelter, I understand shelters only allow people to, li- to stay there overnight, that they, they kick them all out in the daytime. So they're back on the street anyway. So um, all these things Adams is doing is is all just window dressing. And uh, the thing with um, de Blasio, if that uh, Thrive thing was a registered charity, can it be traced the money they stole from it? And maybe that guy brought and his wife brought the prosecution, you know, that that. It had to be a, a registered charity, I would think, that has it's some way to be able to track down what they did with the money. So I, I just thought I'd, I'd ask you about that. Yeah, no, if it were a registered charity, there would be ways uh, to follow up on where one and a quarter billion dollars went in five years. I can tell you where it went. It certainly didn't go to taking care of the emotionally disturbed people, people with mental health care issues. I have never heard an alumni or one person say to me, you know, because of Thrive, I didn't commit suicide. Or because of Thrive, I was able to get myself out of a really depressing time in my life. Haven't heard not one story. And I've been, uh, you know, I've been in and around so many people in New York City for so many years. Uh, I would bet you that money is either in the Cayman Islands, in Panama, or in Switzerland, because certainly it didn't go to the people who needed it most. That's number one. Number two, more importantly, uh, have you had conversations with your sister who lives on that uh, park bench right outside of the Staten Island Ferry? Not for a long time. My my son is in contact with her. She doesn't always take her medicine, and uh, it, it's that kind of thing. Uh, but go ahead. What, what were you leading with that? Maybe. Well, uh, no, because... I myself, I know a lot of emotionally disturbed persons, a lot of homeless people, some who are so destitute, who are so distraught, uh, they're out in the streets. Uh, I'll bring you back to a very uh, famous story. There was a woman named Billy Boggs, African-American. Her family was from New Jersey, and she just could not assimilate. Uh, she, She was living in the streets. She lived over a great uh, particularly in the winter because, you know, the hot air comes up from the grate, not far mm-hmm. from Gracie Mansion where Ed Koch was. So Ed Koch, uh, he'd walk over to the nearby diner. He'd see her every day wallowing in her own defecation, you know, screaming and hollering, uh, did nothing. Then one day he saw her burn a $5 bill, and he said, wow, she must be crazy to be burning money. And then he had her remanded to Bellevue for a psychiatric observation Uh, She needed help. Uh, She could have gotten uh, psychiatric care. But Norman Siegel and the New York Civil Liberties Union came in, intervened, 
Then they took her on a dog and pony show. She was on a number of shows uh, that they tried to say that she was uh, sane and sober and secure. And they were she, she lectured at Harvard. She became a, um, a a secretary for Norman Siegel at his office. And then all of a sudden, she just wasn't able to cope. She had such severe problems, severe psychosis mm. that she disappeared. And so, you know, everybody used her. Uh, they tried to make uh-huh. their points about the emotionally disturbed and the homeless. Ed Koch only responded mm-hmm. to her when he saw her burn money. Like, how could you burn money? You must be crazy. And there are so many of these people, Brian. I know what they're going through. I know how to resolve this. But as you said, pushing them out from place to place is not the answer. Right. We we got to open up more hospitals and keep them there for, for their own good. Uh, and uh, make them take their medicine and all that, like we used to have years ago. When when we were kids in the 60s, there was maybe one, we used to call them one bum per neighborhood, one. And and uh, because all the other folks that had trouble were in these uh, various uh, psycho, psychologist, you know, hospitals being cared for. But the Civil Liberties Union and places like that, found maybe one person out of a million that shouldn't have been there, and they and they ended up... Well, uh, well to, be, to, them, to, be, to be honest with you, uh, Brian, there were enormous problems. Uh, these were um, institutions that were way too large. Uh, these people were being institutionalized. Pilgrim State, which was out in uh, Brentwood, uh, Central Islip in Suffolk, horrible place. Uh, Kings, uh, I think it was Kings Point out there, also in Suffolk. Uh, you had Willowbrook, oh, horrendous in Mid Island, Staten Island. Uh, over in uh, northern New Jersey, uh, you had Greystone. Oh, it's like Shawshank Redemption. These places, uh, so many of them. These huge institutions, people were locked up. Nobody ever saw them. Nobody ever heard from them. Occasionally, they were visited by family or friends. Uh, they, they received shock therapy. They received all kinds uh, of remedies that now would be prohibited. Uh, so we don't want to go back to that. Uh, but there, there's a, 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 a portion of dealing with the mental health issues of people who need to be institutionalized, but not in these huge edifices that are frightening when you go in. It's like uh, Dawn of the Dead. It's like uh, uh, the movie uh, with Jack Nicholson, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. We don't want to go back to that. Trust me. We do not want to go back to that. I saw enough of that as a kid. 1-800-848-9222. Aware, aware, it's Dominic Carter. Where, where, where is Dominic Carter? What, is he on a vacation? Nobody tells me nothing. Yeah, probably Dominic Carter's on vacation. Nobody bothered to tell me as I showed up here. Ready to prepare for the 1 a.m. normal start to 6 a.m. in the morning and no Dominic Carter. Right away, they said, hey, Rita Cosby's finished at 12 midnight. I know that. You better jump in. And I did. 
Anyway, let's go to the phones. It's Christine calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Christine. Had you won, I would have asked you to put in a free vet clinic so that more animals could be adopted. But getting around to the primary reason I called was this horror story that you're delivering about the uh, 6th bike lane, 3rd Avenue? Yeah, let me just repeat it for any who are tuning in at this moment. Uh, Tomorrow, uh, Mayor Eric Adams is going to announce that he is turning 3rd Avenue in Manhattan that goes north. Uh, from uh, 24th Street to 125th Street into a six-lane bike superhighway in which you have six bike lanes, and then all of a sudden you have a barrier, and then you have two bus lanes, so there will be no more room for parking cars or for car traveling, uh, or trucks or vans. It's all going to be the sidewalk, six bicycle lanes, a barrier, two bus lanes, and then another sidewalk. Can you Hello? believe that? Can you believe that, Christine? I uh, Yes, I can believe anything. And I am horrified because your prior caller who called right after that and spoke about when you step off the curb, you're toast. You don't have to step off the curb. These these vehicles that are uh, e-bikes, motorized, whatever, they're all over the goddamn sidewalk. I was almost hit by one in the middle of the night between 11 and 12. I went out of my building, and it just was barely missed by something going 45 miles an hour. It looked like it was conveying food. And I screeched at the top of my lungs, cursed this guy out. I mean, you would have heard a sailor blush and loud. And uh, But horror, what horrified me was that as he sped by me, I saw a pedestrian in the middle of the sidewalk, innocently walking down toward the corner. And I thought, oh, my God, this son of a bitch skimmed right around the pedestrian by inches, never slowed down, never stopped, nothing. And this is the problem. If he's going to stick a big superhighway for the Tour de France to run through our Manhattan, then he better get rid of the bike lanes everywhere else. Well, he ain't doing that, that's for sure. But a way, it could be remedied. Just let the cops do what they used to do years ago. Uh, you know, violating the bicycle rules and regulations. You're riding uh, like speed racer on a sidewalk. Cops would stop you. They'd say, hey, you want your bicycles? Come to the precinct. Throw it in the back trunk of the car. And then when they got the bicycle uh, to the uh, parking area of the precinct, they would slash the tires. So when you came to pick up your bicycle, you had slashed tires. <laughs> And then he's, what happened to my tires? I don't know. I guess there's no air in the tires. They'd learn. Let's go to Rich in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rich. Good morning, Curtis. I was listening to, uh, uh, on Friday morning, or I should say Thursday into Friday, Dominic Carter and uh, Frank Morano, and they were switching shifts. They said something about... um, Dominic coming in on Monday morning? Did you you didn't hear that, huh? No, look, I came here and I was told you got to jump in because Dominic isn't here yet. Uh, he hasn't called, has he? Dizzy, is he? Uh, has he get, gotten in touch with us at all? Not at all. Not yet. 
So I have a feeling, Rich, uh, this is probably something that Frank Morano has hatched up and hasn't even informed me. That's why I jumped on it, too, because, I, I, like I said, I enjoy listening to you over the whole weekend, and I don't want to see anything happen to Nancy's uh, show portion as well. So maybe you start that a little earlier on Monday? Uh, you know, I'm going to have to reconfigurate, but it's great that you're listening so much, Rich. Uh, you're listening to me. You're listening to Frank Morano. You're listening to Dominic Carter, Rita Cosby. Listen, because obviously you got to rat out what's going on around I here. Got my, I, I, I brought my Parmesan cheese with me. Good. Good. Rat them all I, I out. Got other, I, I got one other thing. Oh, hold on. Um, hold please. on. You got to hold your horses <laughs> because you stunned me with that. So Dominic knew he wasn't coming in tonight, and it was with Frank's okay. Oh, since when is Frank the shot caller here? And what am I, just a pisher, a schmendrick, a person of no consequence that nobody tells me? Oh, but that's because Frank Morano, he's the golden child. What a jam. You know, it's a fixture on the Mark Levine show. Mark Levin, Levine, Levon. <laughs> He's played this song over the years because he likes the groove. He likes the move. That's the great thing about Mark. Is uh, He's got some of the best music in all of talk radio. And I'm just pimping off his style right now because the song says it all. Where is the love? What is love? And I ain't getting no love from Frank Morano or for Dominic Carter, who apparently have decided to play without my acknowledgement or my knowing. You know, when you were kids, how all of a sudden you go round and round, and then they pull a chair out, and you try to sit down, and then all of a sudden, poof, you are out of the game. That's the way I feel right now, except I'm on the Titanic. I'm the last man to know. But you know what? I've been doing this for 32 years, broadcasting and talk radio and all of its different forms. And you can put me in with one minute's notice, and I can put the key in the door and create what we're doing now, which is theater of the mind. This would have been the normal time that my show started, 1 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. I'm still... um, flummoxed at not having been told exactly what transpired, but we'll get down to the nitty-gritty. Let's get back on the story that has transfixed the world. Ever since the Oscar ceremonies took place, call it the alopecia controversy uh, involving uh, Will Smith, Jada, and of course Chris Rock. But how amazing that people have not begun to circle the conspiratorial wagons. First off, I do not believe that that was a real slap. I believe it was fake. I'll go into it in a little bit. I'm like the last man standing when it comes to that. And by the way, there are different terms that you can apply to what Will Smith did, especially in street terminology. You can call what he did to Chris Rock a bitch slap. You could call it a pimp slap. Or you can talk about what we used to do uh, as young adults, slap boxing, where you opened up your hand and you hit somebody as if you were boxing because the idea was 
you didn't want to do damage, but you wanted to test your ability, your hand-eye coordination. So it'll be slap boxing. And let me tell you something. I got involved in quite a few slap boxing matches that got out of hand. And all of a sudden, the slap became a full fist as the guy cold-cocked you because you had just slapped him in his schnoz. <laughs> and he objected to that. Then the next thing you know, hey, I thought you were going to hit me with an open hand. No. Pow! And then it'd be an all-out battle. So the question is, for those who are street smart, the cognoscenti out there, was this a bitch slap, a pimp slap, or just part of slap boxing that Will Smith engaged with Chris Rock as Jada, wife of Will Smith, was uh, observing? Uh, Point of conspiracy. I don't know if anyone has brought this up. The main sponsor for the Oscars, the main advertiser, was Pfizer. Pfizer, who, as you know, was subsidized with our tax dollars uh, by then-President Donald Trump to come up with the two shots. Maduro didn't take the money from the government. Johnson & Johnson for one shot did. Pfizer did for two shots. And they're swimming in dough. And let's face it, they made a good vaccine. We're not going to begrudge them the money. And Pfizer is a company that was started by a German immigrant family in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And now it is a big pharma company all over the world. And they're worth billions and billions and billions. And Pfizer was the main sponsor of the Oscars last Sunday. One of the newest drugs they've created is a cure, a remedy for alopecia, which is exactly what Will Smith's wife Jada has, which is she loses her hair, which is more frequent amongst African-Americans than it is for other racial groups, other ethnic groups. Isn't that ironic that on the very night that Pfizer is sponsoring the Oscars, they're within days of releasing a new drug that can finally deal with the ramifications of somebody, women who have come down with alopecia. I'm sure men come down with it, too. I've I've rarely, if ever, heard of a case. Maybe some of you know of that out there. Give me a phone call at 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Because when guys lose their hair, we call it natural balding. We don't call it alopecia. I guess it is a rare, except if a woman is receiving chemotherapy or some kind of drug therapy, for a woman to lose as much hair as a man does. And when they do, it's probably as a result most times of alopecia. But again, how many of you knew that Pfizer, the main advertiser of last Sunday night's Oscars, has just created a drug to deal with alopecia? which Will Smith's wife Jada has. That's, that's conspiracy point number one. Conspiracy point number two, if you noticed when you looked at the video. Who was holding the Oscar that Will Smith had won for best actor, uh, for best actor as King Richard? Who was holding the Oscar during the presentation before Will Smith, who was summoned up to the stage... Not to sucker punch him or pimp slap or uh, slap box uh, the presenter, but fellow Scientologist John Travolta. Did you notice that? Travolta was giving him the Oscar, and Travolta kissed him on the cheek and then started whispering in his ear like, yo, Tom Cruise ain't going to like this. Let me tell you something. (laughs) L. Ron Hebert. 
out there with the Sea Orgs off of uh, Catalina Island. It's not going to like that. By the way, speaking of Catalina Island, later on we're going to be talking about Christopher Walken, Psycho Boy, uh, one of the best actors that Hollywood has ever uh, created from Astoria, Queens, who has been more of a psycho uh, boy in films and in real life than almost anybody we've ever seen on the big screen. We'll be talking about him and also Robert Wagner and Natalie Wood in Who Killed Natalie because... For some strange reason, Christopher Walken was on that same boat as uh, husband uh, Robert uh, Walker, uh, Wagner, excuse me, and Natalie Wood. And then the other link, the other link, if you want to get conspiratorial, is that now with all the chaos that followed, notice you have Chris Rock. They're paying $1,000 for a seat in order to see him in a comedy show. He's going to be appearing at Frank Morano's favorite uh, casino in Atlantic City. $1,000 a seat. Chris Rock never got $1,000 a seat before. And he's now dressing all in white. His two performances up in Boston these past few days, he dressed all in white. What was that about? When have you ever seen Chris Rock dress all in white? Think about that. Will Smith? Well... Nobody's talked about Will Smith more than they've talked about him now. And he's actually been created as a a victim. Wait, wait till you hear some of the professors uh, of note discuss this whole situation that took place for the whole world to see at the Oscar ceremonies last Sunday when Will Smith got up and pimp slapped uh, Chris Rock there. And then naturally there's Jada herself. Jada frowned. When the joke was first told, in fact, let's let's hear how quick this was. Chris Rock talking about Jada being bald and comparing it to uh, G.I. Jane. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane, too. Can't wait to see it. All right. That was it. Can I hear that again? Because I don't think people realize how short, how succinct it was. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? That was it. So we know that Will James was laughing with everybody. Excuse me. Will Smith was laughing with everybody else, right? Jada, though, had a frown on her face. And that's apparently when Will Smith decided that he would get up and administer street justice to Chris Rock, the deliverer of that joke. Right? Short, sweet, to the point. But how many uh, people realize that this might well have been scripted in advance? It doesn't require the producer of the show to script it. It doesn't require that other people knew about it. How do you know that this wasn't done between Chris Rock and Will Smith? They're thespians, they're actors, right? This is what they do for a living. And Jada... Jada, the wife of Will Smith, she's got this uh, podcast now. More people are going to be listening to her podcast than ever before. I would bet you she has more people listening to that uh, Meshuga crazy podcast of hers that talks about her dysfunctional family and her dysfunctional life than listen to Joe Rogan. She'll, Spotify will probably hire Jada, and she'll be making $100 million, right? So think about this. Chris Rock has never sold 
a seat for $1,000 before in concert. He sold out at the Borgata, $1,000 a seat. Never happened before. He's dressed all in white. When you dress in white, that means you're pure as white-driven snow. Will Smith will be more in demand now as everybody wants to be an armchair psychologist and analyze why all of his furniture is upstairs and rearranged in the wrong rooms. And his wife, Jada, with a podcast, will probably end up earning about $100 million a year because everybody realizes, wow, that is a dysfunctional family. And this woman is a yenta. This woman can't stop talking about her life, her children's life, her husband's life, the fact that they have an open relationship who she had uh, fornication and copulation with, it's sort of like it'll be a combination of Joe Rogan, of Howard Stern, of a vixen, uh, of a siren, all of that mixed into one. She'll be rolling in, 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 I mean, mad money. Are you all suckers out there? 1-800-848-9222. Now I see that O.J. Simpson weighed in on this. O.J. Simpson, yeah. Who said, I understand why Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. Yeah, OJ. <laughs> what would OJ have done? <laughs> Cut off his head. Ha! And then, who, 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 who chimed in today? Stevie Van Zandt. You know, Lilyhammer. Boy, that was a weird series that he created about organized crime in Norway with the Squareheads and Oslo. That was weird. And then, uh, what was he... That's right. He was in The Irishman, I think, and Silvio uh, Dante in The Sopranos. Well, he weighed in, Steve Manzant from uh, New Jersey. By the way, our own Sid Rosenberg did one of the best interviews I've ever heard in talk radio with Stevie Van Zandt uh, that's part of his podcast. You should really go to it at WABCradio.com. I think he did it in two parts. Really good podcast with Stevie Van Zandt. That's our own Sid Rosenberg. Uh, Stevie Van Zandt said he would have jumped on the SOB's back. So you see, everybody's getting play out of this. And then all of a sudden, the Academy Awards, after Will Smith had said uh, earlier today, I'll resign, I'll impale myself with my Oscar, whatever you want, uh, talking about a possible permanent ex excommunication of Will Smith, which would mean he can't even attend Oscar ceremonies. He can't even be considered for future nominations. He now no longer has an Oscars vote. <laughs> and I'm like, who cares? But he's up there. Apparently, there are only six uh, people who have ever been banned from the Oscars before. Harvey Weinstein, the perv. Bill Cosby, the perv. And Roman Polanski, the perv. Well, we know Will Smith is not a perv. But the French Prince of Bel-Air, apparently for a pimp slap, may be banned in perpetuity from Oscar ceremonies or even consideration for a future Oscar award. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then it goes on and on and on. And by the way, haven't you noticed who's been missing in action on this we haven't heard from? Spike Lee, 40 acres in a mule, right? Spike Lee, he's like heard about everything. He's got an opinion on everything. He had an opinion on Katrina. He has an opinion. Whatever blacks are involved, it could be basketball. It could be movies. It could be life. It could be cultural. It could be personal. How the hell did we not get an opinion from Spike Lee? 
Was he kidnapped? Is he being held hostage? Where the hell is Spike Lee? I mean, it's the first. He's the go-to guy. You know he's going to have said something. He was either going to take the back of Will Smith or probably take the back of Chris Rock, who's from Brooklyn, and is also a shorty short himself. You know, short people generally stick together. Has anybody heard Spike Lee comment on this? The guy comments on everything. 1-800-848-9222. That's one 800 Eight four eight W A B C. But let's go to Bo Snurdly, who spent a good deal of his uh, week's broadcast talking about uh, who did the wrong thing, Chris Rock, or was it G. Will Smith or Jada? As everyone got consumed and not realizing this was just this was just drama, total trichnology and drama. Well, Chris handled it well. I mean, Chris handled it well. He didn't cry, number one. He didn't hit him back. And he just said, wow. And then he talked about it. I just, you know, he just smacked the S out of me. And then he was a professional about it. He just kept on with the show. And, of course, later on, you know, we have the sound of Will Smith crying and apologizing. I don't want to hear it. You know, but (laughs) if you want to hear it, let me know. I'll play it for you. Do you want to hear Will Smith crying and all that when he took his acceptance speech? I don't want to hear it. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to hear. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to hear. Man cried. No, no, I don't want to hear that. Come on. That was so unmanly. But then again, you didn't think he could just turn the tears on? He's an actor. He's a thespian. In method acting, they train to do these kind of things. A slap, a punch. They practice taking a slap or a punch. It's all part of the theatrical process. It's amazing how many of you got suckered in. You were beguiled by this. Bo Snurdly, who's on in a few hours from 7 to 10 in the morning, a great three-hour program Saturdays, but is heard every Monday through Fridays from 4 to 5 before the Cats' uh, 5 o'clock roundtable. Does a great show. But here he was comparing, imagine if it was Kid Rock there instead of Chris Rock. What is your point of this afternoon, Jose? Can you imagine if this was uh, Kid Rock instead of Chris Rock? Yeah, Chris, Kid Rock would have turned around and knocked him out. Imagine that. That's right. With a coarse beer in his hand, no doubt. Yeah, just imagine if it was Kid Rock instead of Chris Rock. What, what, what would uh, what would Will Smith have done? Well, he wouldn't have been able to pull off this Fugazi act because he didn't know Kid Rock like he knows Chris Rock. And then probably the best comment of the week was also on the Bruce Nerdly show when they talked about nerd on nerd. So I just think that Will Smith was wrong. His Oscar should be taken away. And where was that same energy when everybody was climbing on his wife for her entanglements? He should have done that to the guy she was entangled with. But instead he picked on Chris Rock, who he knows Chris Rock. It was basically like one nerd, Will Smith, attacking another nerd. It was nerd. On nerd violence. <laughs> nerd on nerd violence. Uh, Will Smith is not kind of a nerd these days. You know, he's been out. You know, did you see that National Geo series he did where he's going to all the no. all the corners no. of the world? And, no, no. You know, no, you no. Know. Sorry, Bo. He's a nerd. He's always been a nerd from the time he was a bubblegum rapper. He was always uh, the pretty boy, good-looking kid, but he didn't put fear in anybody's heart. I know he played Muhammad Ali in the movie, but he's an actor. 
1-800-848-9222. Now that you've had almost a week to think about it, and hopefully you've listened to all different uh, points of view on the many shows here at WABC, because all of them definitely were talking about the pimp slap by Will Smith of Chris Rock and the um, attitude that Jada had both before the slap and then afterwards when she had a big smile on her face like the... uh, uh, like the cat that swallowed Tweety Bird. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then a caller to Bo Snurdly, uh said exactly what I felt when I first saw this playback over and over and over and over again. The biggest slap in the history of uh, our globe. How you doing, James? I'm good. What's up, man? Another thing, but this, this Chris Rock, Will Smith thing, he never hit them. They're actors. Don't people realize you were watching the best actors in the world of this day, and they're actors. It was so you think strange. it was so you think this was all a setup, and he didn't hit them. Right camera angle. Somebody put the sound effect in, and you got a smack, and then whoa, I got hit. Like it was like it was like watching a movie being made in real time. Look at the difference in size. Not only that, Will Smith. He, he made the Muhammad Ali movie. He was. He knows how to punch for fake. I mean, well, he did it open hand. It was an open hand slap, right? Yep. But that caller nailed it. It was a fugazi, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry, you all got taken. And the only ones who are going to benefit from this are Will Smith, Jada, and Chris Rock. They're already benefiting in more ways than you can imagine. But we know Chris Rock is benefiting. He refuses to comment on it. He says, oh, I got to think more about it. What do you got to think about? Guy smacked you in the face if, in fact, this was real. But he's he's drawing the drama out. He had two appearances in Boston. He was dressed all in white. When have you ever seen Chris Rock dressed all in white? Like he's the victim. He's the pure one. He's getting married, right? He's the virgin in all of this. Now he's going to Frank Morano's favorite casino in Atlantic City. Frank will probably be there, but he'll try to mooch a free ticket. $1,000 a ticket. When has Chris Rock ever gotten $1,000 a ticket for a comedy show? Come on. There's a lot of moolah moolah here. And everyone goes hoping he's going to talk about this. And yet at his two comedy shows in Boston, he sold everybody wolf tickets because he didn't talk about it or make jokes about it. So naturally you figure you're going to be the first one. Oh, we're going to be at the Borgata. Oh, he's going to tell us what really went on. Oh, he's going to make jokes about it. Suckers. He's going to play this out as long as he can, as long as you're stupid enough to pay a $1,000 a ticket to see Chris Rock live in a comedy performance. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. <laughs> and Chris Rock again tonight said, I'm going to need probably another week to process being slapped by Will Smith. I'll talk about it at some point. Whoa, see, he keeps elongating it, stretching it out. Then the other controversy was, Did the Academy ask Will Smith to leave after he slapped Kid Rock? Some say yes, some say no. So you see, that adds to the conspiracy. No charges. The LAPD saying, tell us. Tell us, Chris Rock, and we'll put the cuffs on him. We'll go to his mansion. We'll drag him out in front of his kids and in front of Jada. And Chris Rock said, nah, nah, later, forget that. 
And then his son, it was a little weird, his son, Jada Pinkett Smith, never trust anybody with three names, never trust anybody with three names, laughed uh, after, uh, actually, after the show itself, his son sent out, uh, I guess it was a, a text or a tweet in which he said, this is how we roll. This is how we roll. I, I, I doubt seriously this is how we roll. I, I, this, this appears to me to be so scripted. Meantime, the Academy Awards says it's investigating the incident and will have a formal review and will announce its decision uh, sometime in the future, even though earlier tonight Will Smith has resigned from the Academy, which just means he can't vote in future uh, elections for Academy Award winners. And there were 66 complaints to the FCC about the violence and the foul language that was used. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go back to the phones and to Mario, who uh, is calling from Puerto Rico. Is this true, Mario? Yes, I'm uh, at the Ritz-Carlton in San Juan. All right, can, uh, you're talking in the speaker. Can you uh, put your mouth up near the phone uh, receiver itself? I don't no, My phone receiver is not working. I'm working with my girlfriend's, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, Alexa. She brings it to the hotel, and that's what I'm talking through, an Alexa app. All right, and, so, uh, so you're, uh, you're... I want to tell you that it was Wichita, Kansas, 1921 for White Castle. All right, so now the jury the jury has to determine if Mario calling all the way from Puerto Rico is correct, that the first White Castle was in Wichita, Kansas. There is a, an alternate point of view that suggests that the first White Castle may have been in Topeka, Kansas. Mario, are you sticking with Wichita? Wichita it is. Wichita it is. We will find out. See the Wichita or Topeka. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go, if we can, to Pete. Calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pete. Yeah, Curtis. I was calling him Wichita, Kansas, too. And also, I want to chime in on that thing with uh, Will Smith and uh, Rock. I called it right when it happened. I'm a stagehand for 40 years. There was a remote camera following Will down, and that slap was on the mic that uh, Chris had, you know. And from that Alley movie, he trained for that. I mean, I did work with Saturday Night Live pulling punches and stuff because I'm trained in martial arts. And, I mean, I hit it right off the bat. And sometimes bad press is good press. Look at Lindsay Lohan, which even though – what she that she was a star. I mean, she was a classy star, you know. So bad press is good press. They're making money for it. Those tickets were a hundred dollars at the Borgata because I'm going down uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, and uh, you know the show I think is this weekend, and a thousand dollars. That's space ticket. That's what they're scalping them for. But they were sold out at a hundred dollars back when I was there. Where uh, is it? Two weeks ago. By the way, uh, by the way, when you were at the Borgata, uh, did you see Frank Morano hanging out because he loves to shoot dice uh, at the Borgata? 
No, but in Staten Island, the other day he admitted that he trespassed into the property next door with Junior and Rusty. So oh. He defecated the uh, lawn there because the house is vacant. So one of his cats got out, and he said, I went into the property because it's vacant. Now, as far as I know, that's trespassing. Wow. Wait a second. So um, uh, the caller who uh, has called us on occasion, a neighbor of Frank Morano, along with his trusty dog, Rusty, was absolutely correct that Frank Morano, in fact, was trespassing. So Frank had to sort of uh, confess and explain why. Yeah, but, you know, then uh, there is a law that if you don't have a fence up, they really can't get you for trespassing, you know, but you're really not supposed to be on somebody's property in case you get hurt or something. But All right. Well, you know, I'm, 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 going to, I'm going to defend, believe it or not, Frank Morano on this. You know, there is a, a Fourth Amendment to the Constitution, Pete. It's part of our Bill of Rights. And I'm sure you believe in this, Pete, that a man's home is his castle. Do you believe in that? Oh, yes, I do. And the law protects you from unlawful search and seizure. You're aware of that, right, Pete? Yes, I am. So on behalf of all the homeless people who had their encampments bulldozed and thrown into the back of the sanitation trucks, to the squirrel man who was forced down out of his home, which was his castle up in that tree behind Riverbank Park on 145th Street uh, along the West Side Highway in Manhattan, and to Frank Morano, I defend all of them because the Fourth Amendment defends them. It, now, that's quite – that. wow, that is a hell of a lot of quite different kind of people that I'm defending with the Fourth Amendment there, Pete. <laughs> but it's so true, Curtis. I can't I, – I, I must say, you know, defending Frank, I almost bit my tongue. Can you believe that, Pete? I, I, I literally bit my tongue here. I think I'm bleeding now. It's stigmata. You know, about a a year ago, I called in the show with the screeners uh, to tell them that Frank, by accident, on Memorial Day, he gave his address out on the air. What? Because he delivered a pizza. He had a pizza delivered, and the woman spoke broken English, and he kept repeating back where the address was, and he kept doing it. And I said, at least to get it off the podcast. I mean, you know. No, that's so good. Pete, Pete. Now and knows where he lives. Pete, that's good looking out, Pete. That's good looking out. You see, you see how God punishes me? I took the back of Frank Morano, said that he's protected by the Fourth Amendment, which is part of the Bill of Rights, Fourth Amendment to our United States Constitution, where... The suggestion is that a man, and let's face it, it's also even Stevens, a woman, is the king and queen of their castle, their home. And that government cannot engage in illegal search and seizures. Everybody acknowledges that. So uh, I will forgive and forget what Frank Morano did trespassing because it's clear he was trespassing. Absolutely. I will forgive the squirrel man for going back up into the tree a second time because think of it. If you were in Pennsylvania, people would say, well, that's what I do when I go bow hunting for deer. Or in Wyoming or Idaho or Montana where people say, oh, what a great survivalist. Or right now he could be a volunteer in Zelensky's uh, Ukraine Foreign Legion, the 25,000 foreigners who have joined the fight there. He could be a sniper up in a tree, right? Did I really have to defend Frank Morano? Yeah, well, I did. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Will Smith doing his bubblegum rap in Philadelphia. Boy, I'm thinking back long before Will Smith occupied those turntables. That was it, Mike Douglas. Remember the Mike Douglas show out of Philadelphia? American Bandstand, Dick Clark out of Philadelphia. Uh, Danny, uh, Danny Terrio, right? Uh, Oh, Dance Fever. That was out of Philadelphia, too. A lot of programs came out of Philadelphia back then, long before Will Smith was birthed into this world. But this was one of his hits before he became the, uh, what was that, the Prince uh, of Blair, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and then went on to become a big, 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 big-time movie star. And let's not forget the conspiracy that I've woven. You gotta, You got to think about it. Who gave him his uh, Academy Award, his Actor of the Year? John Travolta, fellow Scientologist. Uh, Pfizer, which uh, was the main advertiser for the Academy Awards last Sunday, actually has just been licensed to put out a drug for the general population for the very uh, hair loss problem that Jada is suffering uh, once again. That is a problem that generally affects women of color, but also affects others, alopecia. So they're making money hand over fist. So look, everybody's making money here, including the Scientologists. People are probably figuring maybe because he was a Scientologist, you could slap somebody right in the face on national, international TV and get away with it without getting arrested. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go, if we can, to Michael, who's calling all the way from the state of Lovers, Virginia. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Michael. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, great night here in Virginia Beach. Uh, look, I got to say that uh, what we have here is another Jesse Smollett case. Um, it may be that case in reason. Uh, when the police are called to the situation of domestic violence, even if the victim does not want to press charges, they're required to make an arrest. And uh, in this case, there were plenty of witnesses. Uh, who were willing to say that the, they saw this assault. In fact, they are the ones who called the police. So we have a lawsuit pending now, if anybody wants to do their civic duty, against the uh, L.A. Police Department. And we probably have uh, a lawsuit and criminal uh, charges to be filed against uh, uh, the two actors who uh, off this uh, this uh, scam, this this fraud in front of millions of people, and who use the resources of the LA Police Department, uh, making them uh, uh, the victim of uh, this scam as well. But now, so, Michael, um, Michael, let's just say it unraveled like Jesse Smollett's uh, uh, sort of. Uh, 
contraption, uh, the way he created that scenario that ended up having the noose around his neck, claiming it was uh, MAGA hats who did it when it was 40 degrees below zero in the streets of North uh, Chicago. Uh, in this in this case, you might argue if it ever was exposed that they had planned this together. Well, they're actors. This is what thespians do. They act, Michael. Well, the, the problem is they don't call in the police. They don't put in a false report to the police. And a report was made. That's why the police showed up. Ah, but Michael, so, Michael, the police were already there. They were inside and outside the theater where obviously the Academy Awards was transpiring. So they were all. So they're without excuse since uh, there was plenty of videotape available for them to observe it for themselves. So you believe that the LAPD should have just gone ahead and arrested Will Smith? Absolutely. They're required to do so by law. So they are negligent of their duty. They should be suspended, put on suspension now, pending a a thorough investigation. And uh, this kind of uh, manipulation of uh, our courts and our uh, police systems has got to be stopped in America. That's heavy. You imagine if they took Will Smith out, (laughs) cuffed. Wow, that's heavy, man. (laughs) Michael wants to give them no slack. And then if it proves out to be what I think it is, a setup, man, he wants them locked up with the keys thrown away, Chris Rock and Will Smith. And I guess you give a pass to Jada. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Annette calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Annette. Good evening, Mr. Sliwa. First, I'd like to wish you a belated happy birthday. I tried to call and couldn't get through. And then I tried to call again on March the 30th, which was my birthday, and couldn't get through. But tonight I would like to comment on a previous caller. I was in my, I'm a lady in my 80s. In my generation growing up, we didn't hear the foul language, what we considered foul language today. And when someone uh, would uh, uh, curse and, uh, you know, we'd uh, roll our eyes and uh, say, he cursed like a truck or she cursed like a truck driver. Right. Well, I wouldn't say that today because the truck drivers that call in, especially during the night, I find to be very intelligent and very articulate. Mm. But you had this lady who called in who was upset because a bike rider cut her off and cursed at her. And she gets on national radio and she curses like what we used to say, a truck driver. I found that very objectionable. Mm. Well, you know, uh, when I uh, was going... And I think... I, excuse me. I think she used two of the words that are not that are part of the nine words that you can't use on radio. Ha! Uh, George Carling's uh, words that he did a whole comedy skit about. Well, when I was a kid growing up, if you use that kind of language, uh, you uh, would have the fell snap the soap uh, that was used uh, the laundry soap to wash your mouth out. Or if you happen to be Jewish, you were a Jewish young man and Jewish young woman. Your parents would use the rokish. Uh, coach your laundry soap uh, to wash your mouth off. I remember that, the same thing, and I heard you say that one night, and I left because I also grew up in Brooklyn, even though I'm a little bit older than, well, I'm not just a little bit older than you were. 
But I found that objectionable. You com- you're commenting and complaining about someone who cursed at you, and then you get on the. Re- First of all, she shouldn't be saying GD because that is very objectionable to Christians. Mm. Mm. And you know, I'm sure you know what I'm referring oh, to. Oh yes, oh, absolutely. And by the way, uh, Annette, uh, since you uh, uh, describe yourself as being 80, do you remember the Texaco? No, I'm in my 80s. I'm not 80. I'm oh, in my 80s. Oh, yeah. So I'm you got more than that. <laughs> but you remember the Texaco Star Theater with Milton Berle? Of course, of course. Now remember how he would come out always uh, dressed in drag. Uh huh. Uh huh. Now, isn't that ironic that we're talking about transvestites and transgenders in 2022 and the and most that goes way back. And the most popular TV show in 1950 was Milton Berle in a dress in the Texaco Star Theater. And did you know any transvestites? Did you know any? Well, maybe they they, they were still in the closet. I, my, my my relatives and friends, we talk about my generation, talk about all the time. We never had this. Maybe there was one person in high school that you were suspicious of. Uh, and today you have, and then you bring up Texaco, and one day someone said, I think I remember somebody, one of them, somebody on television coming out dressed as a transvestite. It's interesting you mentioned that. Yeah, why? Well, you reminded me who it was, Milton yep, Burrow. Milton Burrow. Everything goes around in a full circle. And then that comes back. Years later, we found out. J. Edgar Hoover, head of the FBI, was a transvestite. Yep, yep, he dressed up as a woman uh, with his uh, boyfriend there, the number two guy at the uh, FBI. They'd go to the racetrack. Frank Costello would fix their races at Arlington in Virginia across the Potomac. Frank Costello, at the time, the head of organized crime. See, you understand, back then, that's why J. Edgar Hoover said, there's no such thing as Italian organized crime, Cousin Nostra, the mafia. That's just... That's just an aberration because they were fixing races for him and his boy toy and they would win all the races. Ah, Think about it, though. How many guys in TV or movies dress like women? And now all of a sudden we're wrestling with the whole idea of transgenders, uh, trannies, transvestites, transformers. There's all different names to apply. They all mean different things. But in 2022, it's come full circle. It's now working its way into the mainstream. And back then, guys like Milton Burrow would say, ah, no, you know, this is, I'm just acting. Get out of here, acting. Did you see him? He seemed to really love being in that dress. Oh, we'll talk about it later on. We'll definitely talk about it later on because it's come full circle. Our, our number is one 800 That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Mike in New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Hey, Curtis. Listen, that was definitely a bitch slap because Chris Rock didn't fall down, which means Will Smith smacks like a bitch. That's number one. Number two, if it was staged, like remember Jackie Gleason and Ed Norton, right? Stage, oh, Jada doesn't think I'm tough. All right, come on and smack me in the middle of the show. They took away from everybody else's moment, so they should they, they they should get in trouble for that. And number three, if everything happened as it really did, and Will Smith, his genre, he wasn't a tough. What he had to get shot nine times to be a rapper, so he doesn't live up to her toughness expectations. Then get rid of her. She's toxic. You know what I'm saying? I mean, 
Well, you, 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 and you Chris see, Rock is a gentleman. I know, but you make you know? a, a very valid point. Because Will Smith was a bubblegum rapper, all the rappers used to really disparage him. Like, he's not a man, you know, that's bubblegum rap. He's soft, he's weak. Uh, and he's always had to try to live down that image of being a soft, weak rapper. Uh, so playing Muhammad Ali obviously helped that because he learned exactly how to move in the ring, uh, throw blows that looked like they were real, but they really weren't real blows. So he became very proficient at that. But even to this day, is nobody going to look at Will Smith? There's no, nobody going to end up getting Kool-Aid running through their veins because they're looking at Will Smith. Will Smith could I fornicate you and mad dog you and you'd say, come on, Will, that's not you. That's not Will. Will is soft. 1-800. Hey, am I right or wrong, Mike? Hey, hey, Kurt, yeah, but you know what, Curtis? He was, but you know what? You did, you, you never heard until this with the open marriage and everything. He was like kind of like a Derek Jeter. People liked him. You know what I'm saying? He was the people's choice. Yes. So why did he have to go in that direction? He didn't have to do that. Well, he made well, more money than anybody. You know, like like I said, if he's going through that because his wife's made, then she's toxic. He's got he's got to get out of that situation. You know. Yeah, I mean, he's got kids with her and everything. It gets complicated. I know, I but but let's face it, Mike. Uh, for all we know, he might actually like it. She seems to be the shot caller in that marriage. Oh, you know she wears the pants in that marriage. There's no doubt about it. But thinking about that, yes, he was the good guy. He was the Derek Cheetah. He could do no wrong. He was like, leave it to Beaver. Father knows best. Little house on the prairie. My three sons. I mean, the all-American story. And now he's got that sort of that shade on his face, a bad reputation, because he slapped Chris Rock. So it gives him a little bit of that hard, that hard reputation. I'm thinking of George Foreman. George Foreman came out of the fourth ward of Houston, rough and tough kid. He went to a job jail or what they call uh, job corps. Uh, he qualified for the Olympics. He won a gold medal. Remember, he flew the American flag in the ring. I think it was Tokyo. Uh, and everybody loved George Foreman. And then he became a professional. And then all of a sudden, he was like chewing nails. He was like mean Joe Foreman. And I remember he went up to Toronto. This is when um, Muhammad Ali was making his comeback. And he fought three guys in one day. One guy, one huge white guy from Washington, Boone Kirkman. I'll never forget it. Then he fought Thad Spencer from Oakland, African-American, good boxer. Then he fought one other guy. He beat all three of them, all three of them within like 15 rounds. And Howie Cosell was ringside with Muhammad Ali, and naturally Muhammad Ali was woofing him down, challenging him. And George Foreman was like screaming, yelling, hollering, cursing. He was the bad guy. And then all of a sudden, they had their fight. And nobody thought that Muhammad Ali would win, and he played rope-a-dope in Central Africa in the middle of the night when it was like 120 degrees in the shade, and then George Foreman punched himself out and basically knocked himself out. Muhammad Ali really didn't have to do anything. He just collapsed. He dehydrated. He punched himself out. At that point, he was the bad guy. Then years later, he comes back. He's a preacher in Houston. He's got the George Foreman grill. He's a smiley, cuddly bear. It's a big, uh, lovable guy. And he became the good guy all over again. Because in all three, he acted. 
he acted his way through all three roles. And too many of us, really, we just don't understand that they're pulling our chains. It's a form of manipulation. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Harold uh, in St. Louis. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Harold. Yes, sir. Yeah, I just wanted to, uh, you probably already noticed, but uh, Chris Rock has up to a year to file charges. He's got one year from the date of the incident to uh, file charges. Like you said, they're probably going to milk it. But nevertheless, uh, somebody should pull a Will Smith's gun license. You know, you you show a propensity for violence. Uh, take away his gun license. He can get on a, a uh, any other show anymore. His insurance rate's going to go crazy for movies. So All right, but, 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 right, but Harold, why would you want to pull his gun license? He didn't do anything wrong with the gun. No, no, it has nothing to do with it. it you don't have to do anything with gun. In order to maintain a gun license, you have to... Sure. I mean, that's like a domestic violence thing. You can't have a gun license with a domestic violence charge. You can't have a gun license if you show a propensity for violence. It's right on the application. All right. No, no, no. I, I, I don't uh, disagree with you. But let's say this did not happen on the Academy Awards stage where the whole world uh, could see it and then naturally replay it again and again. Let's say it happened at a cocktail party or a bar. Uh, and they got into a dispute, and Will Smith smacked Chris Rock, and then Chris Rock said, you know, I don't want to press charges, I'm not injured. Uh, they wouldn't pull uh, Will Smith's gun license over that. No, but but they, they could. All you have to do is look at the app. You probably, I don't know if you ever fill out a gun license. The questions are quite uh, specific on violence. Drug, drug use, violence, pest behavior. It has to go with behavior. So, I mean, like, you, people see something's going on with this guy. I don't want him to have a gun. I'm not saying he use it on anybody. He might use it on himself. But, uh, you know, no, he has a propensity for violence. His gun license is gone. All, all somebody has to do is review the application and pull it. Now, question, uh, you're listening from St. Louis, Harold? Yes, sir. And which part of St. Louis? Uh, up here in Arnold. All right, because uh, I started the Guardian Angels in the 80s uh, in uh, where the old Pruitt-Igo projects used to be uh, right side by side with the Vaughan housing projects. Pruitt-Igo, Richard Nixon imploded off the face of the earth, and I was in the Vaughan housing projects there. St. Louis, one of the most violent, crime-ridden cities in America, without a doubt. I would think the gun application in Missouri is a lot more um, flexible than it is, let's say, California. Uh, oh, yes, it is. Yeah, I have a CCW. But the thing is, um, it, it's basically, you know, it goes federal, too, state and federal. Yes. I mean, so, I mean, you know, so the, it, the federal also, I mean, the federal government can pull the license, too, because it goes through by state and federal. I mean, the federal, you know, you, you file for the state for uh, a gun license, of course, and then the you know, the ATF or whatever you want to call them. I mean, so they, so they based, also, based uh, on what you know, there's no seeming uh, previous history uh, associated with Will Smith. Uh, he hasn't necessarily demonstrated uh, severe anger management issues. It's the first well, time it's the first time we, we know of him doing something like this that seemed to most people to be real, not fake. Uh, well, you, you're talking about actual physical contact. Well, if you talk to anybody on the set of his show, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, 
And he got pretty crazy on uh, on that show, too. I mean, there's been talks about it. There's been reports about it. That he did get uh, a little feisty on that set. All so, right, but, but would you personally pull his uh, gun license? Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, hey, listen, everything has, uh, everything has repercussions, you know? I mean, you can't just get away with stuff like that. It's like a dog. You know, when a dog bites somebody, you know, you know, again, you know, the judge said, you got you to gotta put a leash on that dog. You got to put a leash on it. It happens again, big time. So, like I said, all of the people that are going to insure him on his movie sets, if they, don't, if they don't put any restraints on this guy and something happens, somebody's going to be liable, big time. Hmm. So, so, so you mean uh, he could eventually be doing an Alec Baldwin? An Alec Baldwin. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Let's go to David in San Diego. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, David. Hi, Curtis. All that transvestite talk reminded me of something I read years ago. I read that there was a governor of New York State back in the 1700s or 1800s, a Lord Cornberry, and he was considered to be a transvestite. Not like a full-blown drag queen, but apparently he liked dressing in very feminine attire. I didn't know you're a, you know, you know a lot about trivia. I didn't know if you'd ever heard of Lord, Lord Cornberry. No, no, but I do know that General Steuben, uh, von Steuben, who came here from Germany to help uh, George Washington, uh, with our American Revolution, along with uh, uh, Kosciuszko and Pulaski from Poland and General Lafayette from France, that Steuben was a open gay guy. He would have young men always with him, you know, young uh, officers, and was known camps. and was known in the barracks to dress up in a in a dress. Uh, George Washington apparently uh, was made aware of it and said, "I can't afford to lose." Uh, General Steuben, because he's brought discipline into the ranks. This was at Valley Forge, where they had no discipline at all. That's correct. He introduced drill and ceremonies and discipline into the military. A lot of his, a lot of his regiments are still in place now in the army. Oh yeah, but when he came over, he had with him a group of young officers, all men. They seemed to be having relationships uh, with General Steuben. Washington overlooked that. Then he heard that in the barracks, General Steuben was dressing up uh, as a woman and they were waltzing around because the waltz was the dance of the time. And some of General Washington guys said, what are you going to do? He goes, are you kidding? We'll never discipline our troops. It's General Steuben who's doing that. I don't care if he wears a dress out there when we're shooting at the Brits. Abraham Lincoln didn't care that, that Ulysses Grant was a drunk. Oh, my God. But Sherman was a drunk. Grant was a drunk. It seemed like half the generals in the Confederacy and the Union were drunks. You can't argue with success. You know, that's the important thing. Anyway, the reason I call this is I think the most the most uh, overthought part of the Academy Awards is, is all the things about the violence and this and that. I know that the Academy wouldn't have been able to do this because they can't operate quickly, but it would have been effective if at the time they were reading the awards for Best Actor, they would have announced Will Smith as the winner, but due to his conduct, he's brought shame and dishonor upon himself in the Academy, so he has disqualified himself, and then the actual award for Best Actor would have gone to the, the second-place winner. I think that would have been the most effective way of handling it. But Chris Rock was a trooper. You know, the show must go on, and he did a great job. But I think people are overthinking the whole Will Smith 
aspect of it. And if he had been taken out of the the theater in handcuffs, that would have been that would have been so divisive. L.A. would have been on fire again, and it would be race this or Scientology that, or, and it just would have been it would have been destructive. No, no, that's a good observation, David. You would have had Black Lives Matter out there defending Will Smith against another Euro-Asiatic black man, Chris Rock. Wait till you hear the professors who commented on this up next from Hunter College and Duke University, esteemed uh, professors at uh, well-respected universities who couldn't look at this unless they looked through the prism of race. I was a black guy, Chris Rock, from Brooklyn, getting slapped by a black guy from Philadelphia, two of the wealthiest guys in the world, the woman who was at courtside, Jada, one of the wealthiest black women in the world. But somehow these professors coming up next looked at all of this through the prism of race. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. Oh, LL Cool J from Southeast Queens. I was reminded of him the other day getting off the number seven train Tuesday morning. It was cold out there, really cold. At Willits Point, the old Shea Stadium stop, walking into Flushing Meadow Park on my way to the Unisphere with the Guardian Angels. And we passed the statue with a boombox in honor of LL Cool J. We were probably a few thousand feet away from the Unisphere. And then when we got to the Unisphere, we were joining police officers, firefighters, sanitation guys and gals, and a lot of healthcare workers and teachers and MTA employees who had been fired as a result of not getting a vaccine. This, according to the orders of uh, Eric Adams, the mayor who carried on the old position of Bill de Blasio and uh, crime wave uh, Kathy Hochul, the governor of the state of New York. And that rally was put together by Vicky Palladino, the brand new city councilwoman covering uh, Whitestone, Bayside and College Point. I was with her uh, Last Saturday, in fact, for the annual St. Patrick's Day Parade, Bell Boulevard in the heart of Bayside with Rudy Giuliani and his son Andrew who's running for the governorship on the Republican line. Great turnout and great turnout at that rally for the, got to call them, those men and women who chose not to get the vaccines and who have since been fired by the city and fired by the state as... uh, Those that nobody seems to care about any longer. They couldn't go out and get another job. They couldn't qualify for unemployment. Uh, They applied for religious uh, exemption and other exemptions. They were denied. Apparently, there are 4,000 police officers now who've applied for exemptions. They've already passed the time uh, in which you get put on the shelf. And if they uh, are not permitted to have that religious exemption... 
They're going to be fired like the rest of those civil servants. Now, we're in the middle of a crime crisis. How can we afford to lose 4,000 trained professional uniformed police officers because they wouldn't get a vaccine? Just test them once a week. It's what they did before. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Oh, wait till you hear these two uh, Heckle and Jekyll professors who weighed in on Will Smith slapping Chris Rock and Jada, the wife of Will Smith, uh, getting a good belly laugh out of it. I say it was all staged. I say it was fake, phony, fugazi uh, production that actors and actresses do all the time. And everybody just got taken for a ride. And everyone's doing better than ever before. Again, let me make my case. Chris Rock is now getting $1,000 a seat at the Borgata for upcoming comedy performances, whereas you heard Pete from Staten Island say normally he'd get $100. And he's wearing all white, like he's the victim, like he's the bride, like he's the virgin in all of this. Then you got Will Smith, who finally earned the bad boy label he always wanted in life because he was considered a soft bubblegum rapper by the rap community. Now he's got the bad boy label. And Jada, who does a podcast about all kinds of freaky deaky activities in her own dysfunctional family, is probably going to get paid uh, at the level of Joe Rogan because she's going to be talking about all of the idiosyncrasies involving her dysfunctional family to begin with, and more people are going to be curious to listen, and they're all going to make out like bandits while all of us have been taken advantage of. Now, that's not my point of view. I know it's not most of your point of view, but I think uh, we were set up for the ultimate uh, acting uh, role in our lifetime on a stage. Will Smith smacking Chris Rock. And to this day, Chris Rock refuses to comment on it because he's stretching it out. The longer he stretches it out, the more people he is. They're going to want to go to his concerts because they're figuring if I miss this concert, maybe this is the concert he'll speak about it while we're live and in person. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I started at 12 midnight uh, this morning which is not the norm. It's usually 1 o'clock Saturday mornings and 12 midnight Sunday mornings. Dominic Carter was missing in action. Some are suggesting that a change in the schedule has already been made by Frank Murano. Huh. Who died and, and left him, boss? But apparently Dominic knows about it. Frank Murano knows about it. Our listeners seem to know about it, but not the person who's affected by it, me. So typical of Frank Murano, bogarting it. Now that he's the golden child, the untouchable, he can do no wrong here at WABC. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's see, in just a few hours before I return with Anthony Weiner from 2 to 4, I'll be in Flushing uh, in the uh, Chinese-American-Korean community and then also in Woodside in the Filipino community. You see, I can multitask and do everything I'm supposed to do, including to be here at WABC when I'm supposed to be here. Dominic Carter. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Jimmy in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jim. Hey, thanks, Curtis. Can you hear me? Loud and clear, Jim. 
Okay, I, I you know, uh, you, it's late at night and I'm a little tired. I, I suffer from something called pain somnia from a broken neck that was caught on video in New York City by the by the police, but uh, never followed up on real well. Wow! So you have a you have a, an existing broken neck that is in pain. Oh yeah, it's been restructured ten years ago. I've got plates all over the place. Ooh, so if you go if you go through a, a magnet, if you're in a junkyard with those giant magnets, you'd probably be pulled up, right? No, I don't think so. I think t- titanium is uh, doesn't do oh, that. Oh, titanium. That's, that's right, titanium. Wow! But you're like the bionic yeah. man. I'm very lucky to be walking and talking. You know, I, I still have a resentment to not to the guy who broke my neck. Uh, uh, it was very, you know, but for the company that allowed him to do it, and for the police force that uh, the white shirts who disappeared because it was he was owned by uh, he was owned by a police officer in a security guard company. Ah, but now, Jim, uh, let me welcome you into the legion of insomaniacs. That whether they're forced to be up in the wee hours of the morning, or they're working in the wee hours of the morning, or they just can't go to sleep in the wee hours of the morning. You are now part of our legion of insomaniacs. Thank you very much, Curtis. It's nice to be welcomed into anything. And uh, I, I supported you, and I think uh, your multitasking is the thing that got in your way. You're, you, you could have done a lot for the city, but, you you, you know, at the same time, you're, you, you've got an entertainment part to you. But let me build on your conspiracy theory. Uh, Will Smith is worth $350 million, according to the Internet, whether yep. that's accurate or not. Oh, I, 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 I would say that's very accurate. Very accurate, Jim. Okay, think think of this now. Jada, if I, now once again, if I say anything incorrectly, don't break my neck. Okay, be gentle to me. <laughs> um, if I remember from my old, I'm 77 years old now, my old history, women spend a lot more on hair than men. Black women spend even more than white women sometimes with all the hair products. Yes. Think of Jada now becoming the spokesperson for the Pfizer product. That's right. And think Will Smith left at the peak of his career getting an Academy Award. You know, it, it, you know he, le- he was truncated right temporarily at the top of his career, but he did it protecting his wife. Okay. Next thing. Next thing, Will Smith now has a vested interest. He, he is now a stock owner in Pfizer under another name, but he's there. Mm. Well, that's a, no, that's very feasible, and a lot of people don't know this. Again, this is breaking news because I don't think anyone has mentioned this on the airwaves. Pfizer was the main sponsor and advertiser for the Academy Awards last Sunday night. Oh, they, exactly. They, exactly. Right. They have uh, done their period of testing, and the uh, FDA has given them their license uh, to put out on the market a drug that helps people who suffer, like Jada does, from alopecia. It's mostly women of color who suffer in, in an incredible amount of hair loss. And you're right. Jada now becomes the spokesperson. Force Pfizer, she's rolling in dough. Everybody's going to listen to a podcast. Uh, she'll be like the female version of Joe Rogan. And Will Smith becomes the bad boy he always wanted to be but couldn't because he had that Derek Jeter all-American personality because he was a bubblegum rapper. Yeah, well, you know, it's 
you know, it's all, it's, it's all, it's, it's I, I went to a judge with college and they warned us about situational ethics, which is the basis of, uh, of spin movements. There's no truth anymore. It's all how it's presented. And, and, and uh, remember, every, there's another part of that since, uh, which uh, Jesuit college did you go to, Jim? Oh, St. Peter's University. That figures right in Jersey City where they had a celebration uh, the other day for uh, St. Peter's, uh, its basketball team who had lost and couldn't get into the Final Four. What did you think of, uh, Jim? You went to St. Peter's University when the players uh, ran out onto the court when they beat Purdue unexpectedly, and all of a sudden the players were wearing Black Lives Matter jerseys instead of their own uh, uh, playing jerseys. Well, uh, uh, to give you the situation, I, I, they have a right to do that. You know, I, 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 I wear it. I was, I was, my neck was broken by a black man. I have a, I, I'm designing a T-shirt for myself which has stripes on it, white because they consider me Caucasian, despite the fact I'm an Irishman. That's a, that's five shades lighter than most white people. I got uh, bad skin. Two, it's going to have blue on it because I uh, black on it because I support a lot of the a lot of the things uh, that you know for black people that you know everything, not everything but uh, enough for you know. Then then I have a blue one because I support police too. Wow, let me tell you something. You are a a incredible individual who. has no problem with the St. Peter's uh, basketball team having run out into the court wearing their Black Lives Matter jerseys instead of their play game uh, jerseys. A poor guy had a broken neck. And wow, went to St. Peter's College right there in Jersey City where they had a celebration. Meantime, their coach, ha, he picked up and left his seat in the hall. Wow. He didn't wait that long. What did he wait, 72 hours? And then all of a sudden, the Jesuits at Seton Hall said, hey, why don't you play for us? You know, we're seated higher. Uh, that was a miracle uh, team that you coached. Uh, now you have a much better pool of recruits to pick from. Man, <laughs> he, 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 he abandoned ship within 72 hours. 1-800-848-9222. That's one 800 848 WABC. By the way, the lead story today, it's breaking news. You haven't read about it anywhere. You haven't seen it on TV yet, and you haven't heard it on the radio. That Mayor Eric Adams, in just a few hours, will be down on 3rd Avenue, in which he'll be announcing the city's first of many more bike superhighways. And guess where he's putting it? Right on 3rd Avenue in Manhattan, the east side, the largest a thoroughfare on the east side. It goes north. So this uh, super uh, bicycle highway will start at 24th Street and go north to 125th Street, will consist of six bicycle lanes, then there'll be a barrier, and two two lanes for only buses. There'll be the west sidewalk and the east sidewalk, and no room for parking either. So I don't know how trucks and vans are going to unload to the many stores that are still active. There's some of them that uh, are empty as a result of the lockdown and pandemic. But there are a number of them. And I don't know how the hell you're going to be able to get supplies into these stores. It's already hard enough to do business. 
Workers have not returned to their office buildings in expected numbers. We are the largest city in America, but we are the slowest to return to normalcy for a wide variety of uh, reasons. Crime and then all these stupid vaccine mandates and mass mandates. We still have a mandate in the private sector. If you are a private employer of 100 employees or more, every one of those employees must have been vaccinated. How the hell are you ever going to get back to normalcy if you continue with these crazy vaccine mandates? And now, earlier today, the mayor uh, was pimp, pimp slapped by a judge who said you cannot enforce a, a uh, mask mandate on those in pre-K, you know, for five-year-olds, four-year-olds, three-year-olds. And then he was uh, immediately supported by another judge who overruled the previous judge and said, no, uh, the mayor's... Uh, Mask mandate for those in pre-K remains, even though if you're a millionaire ball player like Kyrie Irving for the Nets or Aaron Judge for the Yankees, you don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to get vaccinated. You can basically be footloose and fancy free. How crazy is that? All because this mayor, Eric Adams, carved out a special special, uh, qualification for the unvaccinated who are millionaire ball players playing for billionaire owners. 1-800-848-9222-848-WABC. Let's go to Wilfred calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Wilfred. Thank you. Hey, I wanted to say about the uh, take the guns that guy was talking about. That's all part of this uh, left-wing thing there. If you like... Will Smith, he he did what he did, but he won the Academy Award. That's it. Period. You don't take it something back. He didn't get. He didn't win it for being a good guy. But oh, but one thing I wanted to say to you about. Remember, homie, the clown. Yes, homie, the clown. Absolutely. Well, that's what Americans could say when somebody calls you a racist. Say, no, I'm an American. That's not the American way. Ah, oh, wow. I never thought of it that way. That's that's pretty slick, Wilfred. Yeah, right. Well, I'm gonna see. I'm a Purple Heart Marine, Vietnam, and you know that was back when it was more patriotic. How difficult was it to serve in Vietnam, Wilfred? It wasn't for me. It was. <clears throat> hey, picture like when you picture like when you're a kid, you picture about going to war. You know, when you watch the movies, you say, "Yeah, I want to do this." Well, I did that because I was 16 in in April. I turned 17 in 12th grade. Two months, you know, I graduated. Then four months later, I, I was in the Marines. Wow. Where did you grow <laughs> up, Wilfred? Newark, New Jersey. Ah, which right ward? There. Which ward? Right, right there by St. Michael's. Okay. Across the street from St. Michael's. Yeah, no, I know where that is. So you can't, you're a kid out of Newark. You joined the United States Marine Corps. Did they have you at Paris Island in South Carolina? Yes, I was. And then how soon? were all the bugs. <laughs> how, right. How soon did they ship you to uh, Vietnam? Oh, they had to wait. See, <clears throat> I went in there in September, and I wouldn't. I was 17. So they had to wait. So I went to uh, Guantanamo, Gitmo. And how long, yeah. how long were you there, Wilfred? Well, 
we just took a ride. I can't say for sure. I guess we were there for several months, maybe like three months, three to six months. But one thing about Guantanamo Bay, <clears throat> they that place was was empty, but they had like a swimming pool, Olympic size. It was nice down there. So you mean those terrorists that we sent there in the aftermath of the attack in 9-11, <laughs> it's like a vacation spot. Oh, yeah. I, <clears throat> that's what it was. And the Cubans used to be like, we go to the fish, and they would be maybe about a, maybe a couple hundred yards on the other side, maybe even closer. But, you know, they'd be there, and we'd be sitting here. Wow. When we were out there. (laughs) Wow. Well, I appreciate uh, the memories, Wilfred. Um, Back then, 17-year-old kid dreamed in watching all those movies, war movies, to go American, and eventually he did in Vietnam as a United States Marine, a kid out of Newark, across the street from St. Michael's. I know exactly where that is. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Michael calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Hey, Braggadocio, how are you? Uh, here it is, calling from his boudoir. You know, a boudoir is different. This is a bedroom. Um, in any event, let me lay that to rest. Um, is this stupid arse idea about bike lanes true for Third Avenue? Yeah, in fact, uh, got the uh, notation from our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis uh, came uh, in a text, I guess, uh, right after his um, roundtable discussion at 5, and then sourced it out, and he was absolutely jackedly squat correct. Gersh Kuntzman published it with New York City Street Blog, which is the the, – basically the informational outlet for those who are bicycle enthusiasts – Uh, And it's true. I checked it. I was out at the 59th Street Bridge entrance before the program tonight talking to drivers who stop at that red light before they go towards Queens. And I said, you realize the the third avenue you just drove on in a few weeks is going to be all bicycles and two bus lanes. And they said, well, where are we going to go in our cars and vans and trucks? I said, you're going to have to ask Mayor Eric Adams. He's the one turning it into what he calls a bike superhighway. Well, let me tell you something. I don't know if you've ever taken the bus up Third Avenue. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, take food and water with you. It is a creep and crawl because you have all the retail stores there. So people are getting out of taxis and, and uh, you know, Uber cars, et cetera, et cetera. You can hardly go. And to have three, you said three dedicated bike lanes what a bunch of crap. No, 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 no. Look. Double that, Michael. Six. One, two, three, four, five, six bike lanes. Six bike lanes. Okay, let me tell you who uses the bike lanes going up First Avenue. These are electric bike delivery guys that ride like demons. Okay? You rarely see somebody on a city bike coming up First Avenue, rarely. So what the heck do they need all these lanes for on Third Avenue? And then think about it. What is your next 
bus bus uh, flow. What is what is your next traffic flow uptown? First Avenue. So everything is going to be shunted over to First Avenue. Yep. That's going to be a horror. With you know. But now, he, now get understand gotta, this, Michael. He's got to take. He's got to take a colonoscopy because you know where I think his brains are. <laughs> but now he's saying this is the first bike superhighway of many more to come in the city. So get ready. This is just one of what, so what will be many. So what de Blasio did to Second Avenue by putting in that stupid thing by the 59th Street Bridge for the bike lane across the, the bridge. Now this idiot in suits is going to do this to Third Avenue. Can you imagine what the merchants are going to say? Holy good God. And like the other guy said, how how are you going to deliver goods there? Yeah, well, not only that, Michael, look at how many empty storefronts there are now ever since the lockdown and pandemic. Look how many empty office buildings there are. 75% of the space in Oz is unoccupied. This is just going to be another way of encouraging people to leave. It's sort of like, okay, uh, I'm not a bicyclist, so I guess I need to leave the city and move out. And and what uh, the Blas, what the Dopio started, this guy's gonna finish. This is lunacy. Well, uh, can Michael, you print up some uh, recall ballots, please? We don't have recall. Unlike California, New Jersey, and some other states, they have recall for all their elected officials. They will not pass recall in Albany. They won't give citizens the right to recall an elected official. But uh, let me let me take issue with that. You have recall. How? You remember every damn thing in history. You're amazing. So you have recall. Ah, very good, Michael. Very good. That was that I was really good. That. I invented that on the spot. By the way, you know, in honor of uh, transgender transparency. You had a bunch of them marching, marching up, uh, marching up Madison Avenue, celebrating uh, transgender transparency. Oh, my God, the things you saw. Mm. I think some of those people should have been arrested and sent. You know where? Where? Hello? Where, Michael? To a penal colony. Oh my God! By the way, you want to stay wide awake and bushy-tailed and join our club of insomaniacs because uh, with trans uh, transgender transparency day in 1950, the number one TV program in all America was the Texaco Theater Hour, starring Milton Berle who always dressed as a woman. Wasn't that being a transgender? Boy, how things come around full circle. We're going to be talking about that and so much more later on. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Gary in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gary. Gary in Inwood. Good morning, Curtis. Good morning, Gary. Uh, That four-hour shift on Sunday night leading into Frank Morano, and your wife does the last hour? Yes. 
that becomes Dominic Carter's hour. So you either lose an hour or you start an hour early and Deanna Martin is uh, no longer there. You see, I'm the last person to know this, Gary. You know more than I know. And that, why would I ever know more than you? That does make absolutely no sense. Well, I'm be, on the outside looking in. That's right. But, Gary, you've got to understand, there's a new golden child here at WABC. He can do no wrong. Uh, the fair-haired Frank Morano, he gets to call all the shots now. Uh, I basically... You know, whatever they tell me to do, I got to do it. But, uh, Gary, you actually know more about what's going on in this shift change than I do. That should never happen. No way, no how at all. I would be embarrassed on your end that me, fellow up in Inwood, Manhattan, would know more about your programming than you do. A man who knows that right there in Inwood Park is the spot where Peter Stuyvesant... Peter Minuet. Peter Minuet ripped off the Indians for $24 in trinkets and bought the island of Manhattan, right? Yes, there's a boulder with a plaque on it on that spot. That's been there since 1954. Originally, there was a tulip tree there that was 500 years old, and a hurricane knocked it down and was replaced by the boulder. But the, the, the issue I had with you on that is you said uh, something about Canarsie as far as the Indian tribe. And the legend has it as the Lenape. What? The Lenape Indians. You said something about Canarsie as far as the tribe? They did not have nappy heads. No, they did Lena- not. Lenape. The what? Lenape. L-A-N-A-P-E. Lenape Indians. Now, I know that there are many African Americans uh, uh, who have integrated in with Native Indians, First Americans. But maybe that's why that term was used to describe their tribe. And I was always told it was the Canarsie Indians. I understand that. You had mentioned that to me two weeks ago. Yeah. And And once again, according to legend, there's a book out called Lost Inwood. And there were two pictures in there of that particular spot we're talking about now. And they'll stand by that, uh, their history, that it was uh, Lenape Indian tribe. And the village was called Sharakapak. That's where that trade took place. But the boulder is there. I've seen that boulder for the last 45 Gar- years. Gar, I, I have to defer to you because you seem to know more about the schedule change involving me here in overnights than I do. I arrived earlier this evening anticipating that Dominic Carter would be doing 12 midnight to 1, as he's always been. Uh, the lead-in to me going from 1 in the morning to 6, and lo and behold, no Dominic Carter. And I had to jump in right after Rita Cosby. And now Gary and others are telling me that on Sunday night, uh, my shift ends at 12 midnight, which would mean it's eliminating the uh, animal welfare hour that stars my wife, Nancy, the ultimate uh, rescuer of dogs and cats uh, in the city of New York. How am I going to explain this to my wife, right? And I'll bet you it's Frank Morano who did all this just to make my life more miserable, miserable. And his best buddy now here is Dominic Carter. They're like two peas in a pod. They're like a soup in a sandwich, a horse in a carriage. I listen to them constantly, and you all need to listen to them. Dominic Carter, uh, five uh, mornings a week. You got to listen to him, 12 and uh, 12 to 1 in the morning. You got to rat, rat him out to me because I can't be listening. I'm patrolling with the guardian angels in the subways. Crime is so out of control. And certainly, 
for the Mamalukes and Mashad, Frank Morano from 1 to 5, Mondays through Fridays. you got to be listening. People were telling me, oh, the other night he was like, uh, the other morning he was like going off on me, right? In a good way and a bad way. Typical Frank. He giveth and he taketh simultaneously. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Pamela, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pam. Yeah, the Native American tribe he's referring to is the Lene Lenape. Uh, they were prevalent in the Hudson Valley, New Jersey, northern New Jersey. Uh, in fact, they have uh, an homage to them in northern New Jersey, Waterloo Village. You can see how they they talk about the Lene Lenape. In fact, my ancestors, Dutch settler uh, who had farmland in the Hudson Valley, was killed by the Lenny Lenape. Wow. Under what circumstances? Uh, well, I, you know, I guess, you know, the, the usual circumstances, they weren't very good, obviously. There was a little issue going on, I guess. Yeah, like we uh, were we were taking their land. <laughs> I remember, remember how I started the program tonight? Uh, Pam, I announced, uh, I even supported Frank Morano, which normally I don't do. I said, remember, there is the theory, the legal theory, based on the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution, it's part of the Bill of Rights, that a man and a woman's home is their castle. Their castle, and that you do not have the right for illegal search and seizure. You understand, Pamela? I got to apply that universally. If I'm going to defend Frank Morano with that, I got to defend everybody. Well, the Russians want Alaska back. They said it was a raw deal. Some would say it was good business, but yeah, Russia but not, now not, wants Alaska back. Not only that, uh, Pamela, they had a fort in Hawaii. They had a fort in Hawaii, and they want that back, too. Now, you know, yeah, yeah. you know they want they want Hawaii because that's where all the Japanese want to go, and that's where they spend all their money. Yep. Interesting, yep, like, interesting. Yeah. Pamela, I still disagree with Gary from Inwood and you about, say that, the, the name of that tribe again. Well, I don't know if what he's saying is true, but I, I know I, I, he was referring to the Lenny Lenape Indians. They're very uh, big in New Jersey and... You know, back then it was called the Hudson Valley. They didn't call it, you know. Do you remember? Let me take you back in the time machine, Pamela. There was a U.S. senator called uh, Bob the Torch Torricelli. Remember Bobby Torricelli? Uh, he was really. he was he was the ladies' man from I think it was Teaneck. In fact, he was uh, going after Mick Jaguar's wife at that time. She was from Nicaragua. I'm forgetting her name. He was, like, chasing skirts all over the place. He was the attack dog for Donald Trump because the the Indian uh, reservations, those that were legitimate uh, Native Indians in New Jersey, wanted the right to have a casino through the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And Bob the Torch Torricelli, on behalf of Donald Trump, would hold hearings and would say, no, 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 you're not real Indians. Uh, you know, you want to be Indians. And he would basically protect uh, Trump's holdings, which remember at that time in Atlantic City were three separate casinos at the height of his uh, casino dominance in Atlantic City. So Bob the Torch Torricelli, who now I believe is tending tomatoes in a tomato patch somewhere in central New Jersey, 
was the attack dog for Donald Trump when he didn't want Indian reservations to have casinos in New Jersey. Are you aware of that, Pamela? Uh, no, but I'll look at Please, but- please do, Pamela, and we will continue to do battle because I believe it was the Canarsie Indians who at one time their land stretched from Suffolk to Nassau to Queens to Brooklyn to Jamaica Bay. Who were the people that got uh, bamboozled for $24 worth of trinkets and sold Manhattan Island, as uh, Gary and Inwood uh, corrected me, not to Peter Stuyvesant of the Dutch Reformed Church, but rather Peter Minuet. I take issue with anybody who would argue with me about that. In fact, the legacy of the Canarsie Indians is so strong that about 30 years ago, the Sicilian Redskins in Canarsie, a.k.a. members of the Lucchese crime family, claimed that they were legitimate members of the first indigenous nation, Native Indians, and wanted to be able to get a license to have a casino. Tomorrow night we'll be talking about the casino. Uh, will be in effect, probably at Yonkers Raceway. Right now it's a casino. No, this will be full casinos. Then there will be the full casino... Uh, that will be over uh, in um, Aqueduct in Queens. They're going to change from a casino to a full casino. And then Eric Adams would like the third full-scale casino to actually exist right across the street from Rockefeller Center, but only for the high rollers. So it would be on the roof of Saks Fifth Avenue. Uh, No, 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 no. You're going to have a casino, and not just for high rollers, not just for the whales. Sorry. 1-800-848-9222. We'll talk about that uh, uh, in my next, uh, another, well, what is that, the new name of the show? Another Side of Midnight. See, I'm even a little confused about that. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Mary, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mayor. Hi, Curtis. I'm a New Yorker, and for many, many years, my closest friends were Lenny Lenape Indians. That was whoa, 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 wait. How come you're all pronouncing it differently? Now you're calling him Lenny. What is this Lenny stuff? It's what they told me it was called. These people with Georgetta Ryan, she was married to an Irishman. She had three kids. One was in Bronx Science. The other was in that other gifted high school down uh, downtown. Hold on a second, Mary. You just mentioned Bronx High School of Science. Tomorrow I feel I have to go back and tell the story of one of their most famous graduates, Bobby Darren. Remember Bobby Darren? Can I just finish the Lenny Lenape story? No, I'm more interested in Bobby Darren, to be completely honest with you. Splish, splash. Let's take a bath. What a blob you are. We, we always have to succumb to your whims. But thank God for you. I voted for you oh, when you were you. running for You didn't for vote mayor. enough. You didn't vote enough. You should have voted two, three, four times. Well, they can clone yourself well, Wait a now. second, Mary. Are you a Democrat? No. Well, you see, if you were a Democrat, you could have voted three or four times for me. Oh, yes, that's true. Maybe I should change. I'm not, I don't belong to any political Now, Mary, party. Mary, what do you think of this? Uh, forget the uh, Native Indians for a second. I can't. I love them. No, I'm sure you do. But forget them. you got to be kidding. If we owe reparations, it's to Lenny Lenape. To who? The Indian tribe that we stole Manhattan from. I, and what is their name again? 
Lenny Lenape. I knew, excuse me, I knew Lenny Lenape, and he lived in Kew Gardens Hills in Queens, uh, right and near the Grand like Central Parkway. Very much, hey? Excuse me? kind of racist now. Oh, no, no, no. Look, I, I love Native Indians. You got me all wrong. I but, hope I do, because but, 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 you're kind of insulting to the name of the Lenny Lenape. Wait! But you're pronouncing it different than all the other callers. Gary Did the other callers know any people that were members of the Lenny Lenape? Yes, yes, it. there was Gary there, and Inwood. he knows the exact location where the sale of Manhattan took place for $24 in trinkets from Peter Minuet to the, what? what's the name of the tribe again? Lenny Lenape, and they're not all dead. They're still alive. Okay, all right. Well, we're, we're, we're going to have, you know... Uh, John Katzmatidis has celebrations here for every ethnic and racial group. Right? You've seen it. He dedicates a full day to the Greeks, to the Irish. To I the... know. He's great. So I love him. I am going to suggest that uh, John Katzmatidis, in honor of, and I can't pronounce the name. Please pronounce that name, please, for me. Uh, Lenny Lenape. I could swear that guy lives in Kew Garden Hills, but I'm going to give you the benefit Stop of the doubt. You're insulting me, Curtis. You're I, an asshole. I'm not insulting you, Mary. Oh, she hung up on me. Oh, oh, that was a double hang up. Oh, my God. And now she claims I'm anti indigenous people. Well, I was going to suggest. That our owner and operator, John Katsimatidis, have a full day in honor of the Lenny Lenape Indians. It does sound like a guy, right, who lives in Kew Garden Hills. <laughs> I'm unbelievable. I don't know what it is. I mentioned Native Indians, Indigenous people, First Nation people. That's where they call them in Canada. And remember, we had our guy call up from Rosebud out in South Dakota. We had a conversation with like 45 minutes. Doesn't Mary know I was on the reservation there? What, what did she call me again? A tuchus, a dupa. Oh, that's right. We're not permitted to say that uh, on the uh, radio. Uh, by the way, uh, let me get back. Uh, Mary has thrown me off track. Uh, but this is our story of the morning. You're hearing it first here at WABC that our brand new mayor who doesn't have enough problems to deal with is just making more problems, Eric Adams. He will be having a press conference in a few hours in which on 3rd Avenue he will announce that (laughs) he's turning 3rd Avenue, the major thoroughfare in the east side of Manhattan, getting rid of all the cars, all the trucks, all the vans. It will be the first bike superhighway of many bike superhighways to come. There will be six lanes for bicycles alone, right next to the west sidewalk. Six lanes, so nothing, not, nothing else. And then a barrier, and then two lanes only for buses. If you're in a car, if you're in a van, if you're in a truck, if you have to make deliveries, if you're an Uber driver, if you're a taxi driver, tough noogies, you're out of luck. Better find another location. It's going to go from 24th Street North to 125th Street. This is crazy. Anything to avoid dealing with the number one issue, which is crime and public safety, right? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Dave in New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dave. Hey, Curtis. By the way, last uh, Saturday night, 
Sunday morning at around 1.30 a.m., or 2 a.m., I should say, we'd take the 4, 5, or 6 downtown express, and there was not a cop to be found uh, in the subway. There's plenty of homeless people hanging out there, either on the subway, one guy with a, a really ratty-looking clothing and a dirty pillow hanging out on the uh, on the 4 or 5 train. Uh, another guy, uh, the, the long... Uh, the length of the bench, uh, hanging out uh, on the on the bench, uh, sharing obscenities. I said, I don't know what this uh, mayor uh, is doing. He basically, uh, you know, everything with the photo op, and he's really doing nothing. I got to tell you, Dave, uh, what it is is he's scattering the homeless and the emotionally disturbed to the wind. So he's moving them, but they don't just disappear. They don't just all of a sudden, poof, <laughs> you're gone. And by the way, yes. you... Uh, you can't uh I blame him for that guy that got shot uh that uh you know the that uh, guy that they eventually arrested that uh shot that homeless guy if he wasn't kicking the homeless out of the uh, subway maybe that guy wouldn't have uh, got shot and died mm, no uh, those people that uh, were laying out there on those streets uh, actually had been there for quite some time. So I, I, I got to give the mayor slack on that. It wasn't because of that. Uh, and other homeless people have been attacked in the streets, but they've also been attacked in the subways and the parks. And that's why you had Squirrel Man up in the tree on 145th Street behind Riverbank Park in Washington Heights because he's a survivalist. He knows you don't want to lay down on the ground. Because then you got the rats coming at night. They're nocturnal. You got the raccoons. They'll take any food you have. Anybody who's ever gone camping know the raccoons are the number one menace. And then you got guys running through who will like stomp you to death or stab you or shoot you just doing clockwork orange. A lot of teenagers, they get a thrill out of that. But oh no, we had to chase Squirrel Man out of the tree. He gets locked up. They release him, of course. He goes back with it. He go back. To the tree, that was his home. And so they took him to a hospital, Harlem Hospital, for a psychiatric observation. They're going to release him, and where do you think he's going to go back? The same freaking tree. You see, in the Ukraine right now, they utilize him as a sniper because he's up in the tree. In Wyoming, he'd be considered a survivalist. And in nearby Pennsylvania, during deer hunting season, they'd say, God, he must be a bow hunter. Because the bow hunters are always hiding up in trees. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Ron, who's calling all the way from Michigan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ron. Hello, hello, Curtis. Curtis, you're talking to the Vietnam veteran. You, you, you jogged my memory, too. I think it was last week you were talking about fraggings. There was a fragging incident in Vietnam when I was stationed there. But uh, that's not why I called. All I right, called but before about- we before you go to your main point, Ron, we have to discuss what fragging is. A lot of our listeners may not be aware. It's you have a leader, and apparently some of that may be happening to Russian commanders and the Russian captains and lieutenants in charge of their units, where the men in the units are so upset with the orders that they're being given because they feel it's certain death that they'll pull a hand grenade and they'll roll it in the, the direction of the sergeant or lieutenant or captain or who's ever giving orders and kill them and then just leave, correct? Yes. <clears throat> Absolutely correct, Curtis. From my reading, the first fragging of American soldiers took place during the uh, Mexican-American War. 
when a soldier rolled a lit cannonball into the tent of then Lieutenant Bragg, who and uh, blew his everything to, away. He he was left naked, but he was untouched by the cannon blast. Wow! That was the first uh, fragging that I I've, I've read about in American history. That to always that, that run that's amazing. So he rolls the lit cannonball into the guy's tent. It blows up, so it's not like it was a dud. And miraculously, the guy survives. Absolutely correct. Yes, and and the reason for that fragging may have been because of the discrimination that Irish-American, Germans, Poles, immigrants who came over just then and they joined the military, and because they were predominantly Catholic, they were uh, discriminated against the predominantly Protestant officers and men in the United States uh, at that time. And they went on to form the uh, St. Patricos Brigade that fought against the Americans in that uh, Mexican-American War. Wow. No, no, no. You are, you are absolutely correct. Now memory serves me. It's almost like the draft riots in the middle of the Civil War here in New York City, which was always very sympathetic to the South. Uh, the Irish, who had been conscripted in to replace uh, the sons of the rich, decided to revolt. Except they took it out on the African Americans by lynching them and killing them over on the West Side, and then burning down some of the newspaper, uh, the newspaper publishers. Oh yeah, I mean, Lincoln had to send in the troops to put down the draft riots in the middle of the Civil War, right in our own backyards here in Manhattan. I wonder what Third Avenue was then. I can tell you this: it didn't. It wasn't a bicycle superhighway. It probably had horses and wagons and a lot of pooper scoopers. 1-800-848-9222. About Will Smith and Chris Rock and the 400 years of slavery that affected their mindset on the night of the Oscars. Oofa! Oh, I got vertigo. I got vertigo because of all of you. Go ahead, sing it, Bono, and you too. Oh, I got vertigo big time. I'm talking about Will Smith, his wife Jada, Chris Rock, and everybody wants to talk about which Indian nation got swindled for $24 in trinkets by Peter Minuet of the Dutch Reformed so many years ago. Wow. You see, we can digress. We can go in so many different directions because this is Theater of the Mind. So good, so good. I'm not a YouTube fan or a Bono fan, but Vertigo, it's exactly what my life has been. Everything is like Vertigo, just spinning and spinning. And as one of our callers announced, it was just yesterday on Madison Avenue, there was a parade of transgenders because it was uh, Transgender Transparency Day, as announced by Eric Adams and the President of the United States, Joe Biden. 
the um, uh, Empire State Building was in a glow of different colors to represent that. I forget exactly what colors. And I said to myself, as everybody was getting bent out of shape about Transgender Transparency Day, now let's look back at the 1950s. Well, that's a long time ago. That's four years before I was birthed. 1950s is a perfect time to see how much we've changed, but how much we haven't changed. Because... The number one TV program at that time was the Texaco Star Theater, a runaway TV hit. It featured Milton Berle, Mr. Television, who was wearing female attire, dresses. Movie houses closed for a lack of business during the Tuesday evening time slot when the Texaco Star Theater was airing. But at that point in 1950, only one in 10 households even owned, had a TV. So imagine the strength of this TV show, the Texaco Star Theater, featuring Milton Berle in drag. You can call him a transvestite, a transgender, cross-dresser, whatever you want to call him. That was his claim to fame. With such a runaway TV hit that movie houses closed on Tuesday nights For a lack of business, because everybody was trying to find a house that had a television, only one in ten households in America even owned a TV so they can watch Uncle Milton Berle dress up as a woman. Nowadays, we might call Milton Berle a transgender, a transvestite, a tranny, any number of names. But that was the number one popular TV show. And there was a theme. There was a theme song for the Texaco Star Theater sung by a barbershop quartet. All of these men were dressed like uh, the Texaco gasoline station servicemen. We're the men of Texaco, we work from Maine to Mexico. There's nothing like the Texaco of ours. Our show tonight is powerful, we'll wow you with an hour full of howls from a shower full of stars. We're the merry Texaco men, tonight we may be showmen. Tomorrow we'll be servicing your cars. I wipe the pipe, I pump the gas, I rub the hub, I scrub the glass. I touch the clutch, I mop the top, I poke the choke, I sell the pop. I clear the gear, I flop the knock, I jack the back, I set the clock. So join the ranks of those who know and fill your tank with Texaco. Sky Chief, fill up with Sky Chief, and you will smile at the pile of new miles you will add. Fire Chief, fill up with Fire Chief, you'll find that Texaco's the finest friend your car has ever had. And now, ladies and gentlemen, introducing America's number one television star, your June bride, Mildred They even referred to Milton Berle as Mildred Berle. And in the episode I saw, she, he, he, she, I don't know, in 1950s, uh, what you would refer to a guy who was dressing as a woman, I guess a cross-dresser, was in a um, complete wedding gown, white wedding gown. 
with a big smile on his face. But before we get into what um, <laughs> Milton Burl said as a woman, dressed as a woman, uh, the uh, Texaco Star Theater Barbershop Quartet dressed as Texaco uh, gasoline service station attendants talked about fire chief, pumping fire chief. Ladies and gentlemen, what was fire chief? I uh, Remember, that was four years before I was birthed. What were they talking about fire chief? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And if you happen to have remembered the Milton Burl show, would that be the first cross-dressing transvestite show in modern entertainment? That had the whole nation transfixed it was the number one TV show in the nation. Again, I can't say it enough. Movie houses closed for a lack of business during its Tuesday evening time slot. That's saying a lot. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Now I pumped gas uh, from uh, nineteen seventy two to nineteen seventy three. And I was sort of like that Texaco, uh, the Texaco guys were talking about, the gas attendants. I wouldn't just pump gas. I would clean your windows. I would check your motor oil. I would check your transmission oil. I would check your tires to make sure you had the proper pressure. Uh, sometimes they get tipped, sometimes not. I figured that was all within the course of my job, pumping the uh, shell gas for Rocky's uh, service station, shell station on the corner of uh, Rockaway uh, Parkway and Seaview Avenue, even though some of the times the tanker trucks that would come at night to unload the uh, new regular gas, uh, uh, which was uh, unleaded. Then they had the regular gas, which was leaded. And then they had the high test, which was super leaded. Nobody was buying the regular unleaded gas at that time. This is 1972-73, also in the time when the uh, OPEC nations cut off our oil supplies because we had supported Israel uh, during the Yom Kippur Wars. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. What was fire chief that the Texaco Star Theater Barbershop Quartet was singing about? And was, in fact, Milton Burrow a, uh, a cross-dresser, a transvestite, a transgender? One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. In the midst of uh, a day that was uh, declared nationally by President uh, President Joe Biden and by Mayor Eric Adams to be uh, Transgender Transparency Day. Uh, let's uh, exactly go to uh, who was it that was talking here? It was. I'm trying to remember. It's got me so for toots. There's uh, the June Bride, Mildred Burrow. So not Milton Burrow, but they referred to him as Mildred Burrow. But I also don't want to erase the violence that was enacted by by uh, Chris Rock in that moment. You know, in his critique or joke of Jada Pinkett Smith, an extension of a broader critique of black women, give her a comfortable space to make fun of the kind of chronic diseases that black women are suffering, right? So in that regard, I absolutely agree with Isa that we're seeing a continuation of a, almost a spectacle of black pain. Izzy, Izzy, are you, you know, trying to destroy to millions and millions of people? Are you trying to destroy this about Milton Berle? 
I'm sure there's some listeners out there who know exactly what I'm talking about. So why don't we go to Milton Burrow who's talking about I'm a June bride, huh? Go to 24. I'm a June bride. Don't I look adorable? Really. When you... Thank you, Zelda. When you got married, there weren't many calendars. I want to tell you... Look at that face on her. Are you celebrating your golden wedding? You must be, because the guy with you looks like he's drinking it. Ladies and gentlemen... Hey, this is a good crowd. Now, there was, the guy was dressed uh, as if he uh, was the bride in a uh, bridal outfit. That was Milton Berle, who every week uh, would dress in drag. He was asked uh, in his latter years before he passed into the hereafter, did he consider himself to be a cross-dresser or a transvestite or a transgender? And he said, absolutely not. It was vaudevillian, vaudevillian. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Mike in New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Hey, what's up, Curtis? This, you know, Milton, uh, not Milton Berle, Flip Wilson used to dress up as a girl, too, in the 70s. And I just wanted to make one more note on the Canarsie Indians. They didn't get bamboozled. They bamboozled the Dutch because when they sold Manhattan Island, it wasn't their island to sell. It was another set of Indians islands. So it's like me selling my neighbor's house. And you know that uh, the picture that they always show of the Indian in the loincloth and the Dutchman in the in the uh, in the wool co- in the wool overcoat—that's just symbolic. That never happened because nobody would be in the same climate dressed so differently. So James Lowen, which the teachers didn't teach you about history, you probably see him on—he's uh, on YouTube, but I listened to him on CDs. Remember those back uh, back a couple of years ago? So that's the story between the Canarsie and selling Manhattan Island. Blah blah blah. <laughs> wow, how you flipped the script and went from Flip Wilson, who used to dress in drag. And by the way, when Flip did his weekly variety program, years after Milton Berle, do we think that Flip Wilson was a transvestite, transgender, or uh, tranny? No way. <laughs> Not but, why, at all. but why would these men always dress up in dresses? Just the humor of the day, I suppose, you know. At some point, every celebrity back then came on with one episode where they dressed as a girl, George Jefferson. I mean, everybody. Yeah, one one episode. I give you that, one episode. But in this case, it was every week. Milton Berle in 1950, uh, Flip Wilson, I guess that was in the early 70s, right? I guess we weren't so tight back then, right? Humor was humor. Everybody's taking themselves too seriously nowadays. Everything is so... I don't know. I don't. I'm not a psych. I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> I know, but Mike, I have a feeling you, you had to probably be leaning in that direction every week. Come on, man. He had a whole wardrobe, right? You went to Flip Wilson's house or Milton Burl's house. They probably uh, opened up their closet, and you said, "Wow, what an extraordinary array of dresses here with six-inch stacked heels." It was for their work. It's how they got their paycheck, I guess. <laughs> I mean, know, I'm a, the, things, I'm, the things people do for money. <laughs> right, but I'm I'm amazed. It was the number one TV show in 1950. A guy dressing mm. up as a woman every week. 
and 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 this is this is the result of it. Fifty years later, <laughs> right? Everything go, comes full circle. Wow! I know there's a lot of you old timers though. Remember the Milton Berle show, the uh, Texaco Barbershop Shop Quartet. By the way, if you notice uh, in their song, they talked about oil, which we're going to talk about later. The price of gasoline, diesel. Mexico, which we're going to talk about later, how uh, the illegals are going to be bum-rushing the border and will be able to get their asylum hearings in America, which means they'll disappear into the the vapors. And we're talking about the transvestites now. And that was pretty much all in that song in 1950. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Chris, who's calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Chris. Curtis, uh, rumor has it, legend has it, that Milton Burrow was packing, so that must have been some sort of interesting wardrobe he had on there. <laughs> no, you're right. Uh, many, many people reported uh, in um, the movie industry that he was known to have a, a fire hose. Yeah, uh, like t- John Holmes. Right, right. He he had the big schlong, and he yeah, used to play props on people with it. <laughs> yeah, well, he, but he was asked over and over, "Is this your lifestyle? Is this something you like to do?" He go, "No, no, no, no. It's just for entertainment purposes." I don't know if you did it every week. I'd have to say, Chris, you probably had an inclination to it. As opposed to if you just did it uh, at one or two. Like, like Mike Humbada cheats Rudy Giuliani. Remember he was dressed as a woman on Saturday Night Live? Yes. Well, it's the writers. That's what I was going to bring up. It was the writers back 72 years ago were trying to push the envelope. And the actors, like your last caller said, were earning the paycheck, doing what they needed to do. But the writers push everything today. They've been pushing everything since the beginning of television and radio, correct? Yeah, but boy, they loved it. They certainly loved it. And back then in 1950, you know what a gallon of gasoline cost at Texaco? 23 cents? Close. 18 cents a gallon. 18 cents a gallon. I uh, called into Frank Morano's program after the Will Smith incident, and I started off my conversation by... uh, Bringing up a hypothetical, I brought up how you're doing all the ribbing at the radio station and how in response, if he had come up to you like Will Smith, and then I kind of chuckled and moved on to the next point. But what was his response, though, Chris? Uh, I was talking pretty quick, but but I'll tell you, though, Curtis, uh, comparing and contrasting the two, your program is much better. Uh, Theater of the Mind, you carry airtime by yourself. You treat your listeners like... You're treating me like I'm one of your co-hosts from the past, like let's say Ron Kuby when I'm on, okay? Frank Morano doesn't do that with his callers. And he tried to put words in my mouth, and I didn't let him do it. And uh, that kind of ended the phone call. But it was a good call. Wow. But let me tell you something. If you were Ron Kuby, I'd do a Will Smith on you. <laughs> I'll tell you, Curtis, though, you and Ron on the air were great, but I think you're 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 great alone. And, and you know, the program directors are brilliant for having you teamed up uh, with two different uh, Democratic uh, co-hosts with uh, Anthony Weiner 
and Chris Hahn because it's made both of them step up their game. I noticed Chris Hahn sounded a lot better on the air, was bringing more to the table after the secondary show with Anthony Weiner started up. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I'm so used to being a masochist uh, and being teamed with people who are on the left that I'm so used to it uh, that I understand that because uh, our station tends to give voices predominantly to conservatives, that you have to allow the liberal to develop or they're just going to be shouted down in this format or they're going to think they have to shout down the callers. And that makes for very uninteresting radio, Chris. Well, when you and Ron were teamed up together, I I just I was driving with my mom back from a doctor's appointment. And when you guys were talking about the good to go app, when we were driving back from a dental appointment in Fishkill back upstate and and man, my mother and I were laughing so hard uh, with the two of you on. But, you know, Ron, he argues with people when he's in the courtroom and, you know, uh, that's what he's used to doing. So after a while, you know, the the him wanting to argue with all, all the time. But you guys were great on the air together. I will give you that as a team. And, and Ron wasn't Ron was pretty decent on his own program. But uh, personally, I, I called him for legal advice once. He didn't seem like a warm and fuzzy type of guy personally. Wait. Wait, you called Ron Kuby for legal advice after you told him you were a listener, right? No, this is a true story, Curtis. Oh, okay. It was after, listen, after the first day, I was a graduate student at Rutgers, and I was falsely accused of plagiarism, and I defended myself, and I beat the professor in, in a group of two students and three professors, and I got the charges overturned, and I graduate. They were going to try and take my... Uh, opportunity to earn my master's degree away from me. So Ron Kuby had done his first radio program ever. And I called him right afterwards and I made a comment to him and I said, you are really good on the radio. I look forward to listening to you. And he chuckled as if it was a lark, like he would never be on the radio again. This was in 1996, Mm. in the fall of 1996. Yes. Yes. Wow. I had a neighbor. I had a neighbor whose grandson, um, he's in prison right now uh, in the Ellenville area, one of those uh, facilities in uh, Napanock, maybe. And, uh, you know, she felt the charge was excessive uh, from a judge in Ulster County. So the guy that was running for judge uh, the next time around, uh, she had talked to him. And then I suggested to her that she call Ron Kuby because someone just got their charges reduced. She said he wasn't very friendly to her on, uh, when, when she called him. This was just about three, four months ago. Wow. Wow. And I got to tell you, if, if things had turned out differently, Chris, let's, let's uh, assume that you actually had plagiarized when you were a Scarlet Knight at Rutgers. You could have become a future president of the United States. Tell you, much more than being a county legislator, which is all I got up to now, man. Yeah, yeah but Chris, do you realize... That our president, Joe Biden, has been accused of plagiarizing material twice up at Syracuse Law School and then one previous time. In fact, he had he had taken the words of Neil Kinnock, who had been the labor leader of the coal miners who uh, t- uh, went on strike against Maggie Thatcher, the Iron Lady. And then he became the leader of the Labor Party before Tony Blair took it over. This guy was a, a mad dog socialist. But he had given a speech, and Joe Biden plagiarized his entire speech. And you know something? Nothing happened to Joe Biden. Look, he went on to become president of the United States. Hey, Curtis, before uh, 
thanks for having me on so long, but I wanted to bring up something uh, to help your help your uh, boy, uh, Andrew, out there. Um, I've been involved in uh, committee politics as a Democrat, and I, I can't speak for what the Republican Party committees are like uh, throughout New York State. That wouldn't be corrective for me to, to do that. But there is, um, in a lot of committee politics, it's a cult-like mentality, and it's groupthink. And, you know, for a young guy like Andrew to come along and uh, try and, um, you know, break that uh, old guard of the establishment, there's so much groupthink that people will be afraid to say that they would want to back him over an establishment-backed candidate. But, you know, if you're a committee member out there with the Republican Party, don't buy into the groupthink. When they close the curtain on June 28th or you fill out your absentee ballot, nobody knows who you voted for. Vote for the best candidate. You're absolutely right. And in the Republican primary, uh, you have a choice. You have uh, Rob Astorino, former Westchester County executive, ran against uh, Andrew Evilized Cuomo years ago, did quite well, got about 40 percent of the vote. In fact, won uh, almost all of the state except lost heavily in New York City. Uh, To be a Republican and to be elected governor, you have to get at least 30, 31 percent of the New York City vote the total vote, or you you got no chance of winning even if you win the rest of the state. It's just the way the political cookie crumbles. Then you have Lee Zeldin, the congressman uh, who is uh, uh, from uh, Suffolk County. Interesting. He had a fundraiser down in Mar-a-Lago, but the president, the former president, Donald Trump, was not attending, although Rudy was down there. Boy, it would be interesting to see what happened there, and I believe Andrew was down there. Because uh, Andrew uh, used to be part of Donald Trump's administration, Andrew Giuliani, uh, golfing partner for the former president. And then you got a guy, Harry Wilson, who's spending like mad money. And you got Andrew Giuliani. So you got four candidates, all of them very competent, I might add. A lot of them share some uh, similar uh, points of view against uh, crime wave Kathy Holcomb. And this election cycle is all about law and order. Well, look at the Look at the... Uh, the, the the entire state, you go from Buffalo, you go to Rochester, you go to Albany, you go to Utica, you go to Syracuse, you go to Newburgh, you go completely. Just follow the New York State Thruway from New York City right on up to Buffalo, and they're all crime-ridden. They have more crime than they've ever had before. Why? Partially due to the no-cash bail issue. 1-800-848-9222. That's one 800 848 W.A.B.C. Let's go to uh, Jay, who's calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at W.A.B.C., Jay. Hello, Curtis. Glad to talk to you. You are the king. I'm uh, southwestern New York, rural. Uh, We used to be able to, up to five years ago, leave our doors unlocked, our garage doors open. We can't do that anymore. The, The crime has come out of the cities and into the suburbs around here, too. Now, one thing. One thing I want to mention, this this bail, this no bail deal, they're letting people back out on the street, correct? Yes. Okay. What does that do for a county like mine? You know, we got 40,000 people in this county. The whole county. It's a big county, too. And, and we got 40,000 people. What does that do? Them people aren't going to the county jail. They aren't going to have to uh, pay to house them every night, feed them every day, three times a day. How much money does that save them? I have heard nobody talking about that, no politician. 
no nobody that's that's called on the radio that I've heard. That's how much money they're saving. Think what they're saving in New York City, in the suburbs, in Long Island. Think what they're saving there. Yeah, to be honest with you, uh, Jay, I had never even thought of that. That is very cogent of you, that with so many people being released out into the streets with no cash bail that normally would have been held held behind bars uh, waiting uh, an arraignment or trial adjudication, uh, bail bondsman, whatever. Yeah. Right, right. It's that it's, I had yeah. never even... I mean, I thought, I'm 71 years old, Curtis. I, I was in business. I run a repair shop, and I just retired. My son took it over. In fact, he moved up the street to a bigger garage. But it's still, it's still my name that was on it for 45 years. And I worked as a kid, like you said, you pump gas. Uh, you not only uh, washed the windows and fluffed the tires and pumped ethyl, <laughs> into the gas tank. Uh, you gave them hurricane lamps. You gave them uh, uh, game cards. You, and, and you treated them like human beings. You know why? Because you were you were raised with a little more respect than we're raising our kids now. Yeah, well, my father, my father was a merchant seaman, uh, and he yeah. uh, part of his life he sailed the uh, oil tankers. He said, "Look, uh, when you're working that job as a gas uh, jockey, that that was the term used to it, a gas jockey." You'd be the best yeah. gas jockey out there. You'd be proud. Every day you go out there, you leave it all at the gas station. I mean, you should be so exhausted from running around servicing oh. the customers yeah. that you're so tired that. you just collapse and go to sleep. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and, and I'm not bragging. I, I'm a, I got a common sense guy. I got a hell of a sense of humor. I'm an Irish Catholic. I was raised uh, Democrat, John Kennedy, the whole nine yards. I was born in 1950. So... Uh, I remember Uncle Meldy and, and uh, all. The, I remember my dad and my uncles talking about Uncle Meldy being one of the more endowed people in Hollywood. That's that's another thing that people haven't talked about much. But uh, he was nice with the ladies, you know, uh, because he was over average. I don't know how to. How no, no, he had a fire hose. He had a fire hose uh, below his navel. <laughs> And, you know, I remember watching you raising my kids and watching you out on the street getting shot, getting beat up, uh, getting run over, getting getting uh, beleaguered. And you hung in there with all of your good people, not just Curtis Sliwa, but all them other guys that wore them, them berets and, the, and them uniforms and stuff. Uh, if I lived in New York City, I've only been there four or five times in my life. But it scared the hell out of me. You know, I had a false sense of, that like Philadelphia was, you know, center city in Philadelphia was, there wasn't a, there wasn't a, a cigarette butt on the street that, that, at Rendell before he became governor at Rendell, he cleaned the place all up. I don't know if he ever went there. Oh uh, yeah. No, no, no. I started guardian angels in 1980. Ed Rendell was district attorney, uh, who yeah. became, uh, the mayor there. Uh, he was a supporter of the guardian angels. Uh, but I right. go back. Yeah. I go back even, yeah. and let me see if I can uh, sort of titillate you. Uh, U.S. <laughs> Senator, uh, Pennsylvania, he believed in the single bullet theory. He was part of the Warren Commission, single bullet theory. Uh, which uh-huh. uh, U.S. Senator uh, from Pennsylvania sat on that commission and had the single bullet theory? Uh, was it uh, uh, Biden? No. No, remember Biden's Delaware. He's from. Uh, he okay. was a Pennsylvania, um, originally from Philadelphia. 
Yeah. Um, Originally also the district attorney in Philadelphia. That's where I first met him. And went on right. to become the uh, the uh, U.S. senator uh, of I Pennsylvania. See. I can't. I, 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 when you say the name, I'll know the name. Well, we're gonna I, I was, we're gonna we're gonna like leave it TV. we're gonna leave it to uh, some of our callers here, because unlike Frank Morano, who says, "Oh, trivia, it doesn't inspire any further conversation," it certainly does. Who is a U.S. senator from Pennsylvania who believed in the single bullet theory, part of the Warren Commission, about the assassination of JFK? Well, then went on to be attorney of uh, Philadelphia and then uh, U.S. Senator in Pennsylvania. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And actually invited me to speak before a Senate hearing, even though my U.S. Senator at that time, Alphonse Ali Boyd D'Amato, suggested that they not invite me. And the Senator from Pennsylvania said, why wouldn't you want to invite Curtis Sliwa? Why should I have to invite him to speak about crime in America? Alphonse Ali Boyd D'Amato wanted no part of me because I had sided with Rudy Giuliani, Mike Kumbadicic, and not Al. D'Amato. Now the folks getting out of clubs uh, at this hour, generally between 3 and 4. That's when most folks uh, are heading out. I used to actually go to the after-hours clubs after 4 o'clock. And uh, like a whirling dervish, dance until the break of dawn at about 8 o'clock. That's a lot of clubbing. one 800 Now understand... That in a few hours, you're going to witness our mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, announce something that is mind-boggling. With all the problems that befall us here, most of them involving public safety and crime. Eric Adams has decided that we need a bike superhighway on 3rd Avenue in Manhattan, which affects the whole east side He's taking 3rd Avenue now, which is the major transit point going north, and eliminating all cars, vans, and trucks. He's calling it a bike superhighway. From 24th Street to 125th Street, there will be six lanes of bicycles, a barrier, two lanes for buses only. If you have a car, a van, or a truck, tough noogies. As I was standing outside of the 59th Street Bridge uh, earlier before the show on the Manhattan side, I was talking to drivers, and I was saying, you realize this is going to be a super bicycle highway? They said, oh, yeah, come on, Curtis. Uh, you, can't be, you can't be serious. I said, yes. The mayor is announcing it in a few hours. He said, he's crazy. I completely concur. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Ivan, who's calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ivan. Uh, that's got to be an April Fool's joke. But Steve from Manhattan. An April Fool's joke? No, April Fool's was a day ago. This is April 2nd. So you understand he's a dollar short and a day late. Let's go to Al in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Al. Hey, uh, Curtis, it's Arlen Specter, the uh, Richard Nixon um, 
Sandalike, who uh, was on the Warren Commission. Yes, excellent. Arlen Specter, who actually I became friendly with. He was a big supporter yeah. of the Guardian Angels, uh, Philadelphia Guardian Angels. And the irony is, and here it is, we were gripped in a crime crisis. This was at the time of Bernard Getz. So right. the middle right. 80s, Bernard Getz uh, had shot the four uh, thugs on the train. Let me see if I can remember them now. Barry Allen, James Ramsour, Troy Canty, and Daryl Cabey. Wow, see? Boom. And uh, I was invited to come to Washington before a Senate hearing about crime in America and about the Bernard Getz situation. And I'll never forget, the invitation should have come from my U.S. Senator, Alphonse Alley Boy D'Amato. Right. It came from Arlen Specter, and Arlen Specter said to Al D'Amato, you should be the one inviting Curtis Lewa. Yeah. He had words that were quite disparaging. I, I could imagine. I could. Curtis, uh, by the way, speaking of uh, your ex-partners, you, you, did you know about Lickman and uh, what, happened, what the affair he had with uh, the bad vegan chick who he was representing during the trial? All right, so now uh, you came in a little broken up, so you said okay. about my past partners, of which I think it's hard for me at times to count. Have I had more ex-wives or more ex-radio partners? Right. This is, well, Keith, the radio partners. Okay. You know, Jeffrey Lickman. Yes, Jeffrey Lickman was yes. a, uh, yes, he was a radio yes. partner did, of mine. Yeah, did you hear the, uh, did you read about, or did you see the, um, the new uh, documentary, Bad Vegan? About the chick who was scamming, who had the vegan restaurant, who was scamming everybody to the uh, rich and famous. Now, this has nothing to do with Eric Adams, right? Because uh, he's identified himself as well, a vegan, right? Maybe they crossed paths. Okay. Knowing Eric Adams. But no, Jeffrey Lickman represented her. And while he was representing her, had an affair with her. Shocking. Shocking. Yeah, it, was the, it was in the post. It was in the post. Yeah, well, you see, I had a falling out with Jeffrey Lickman. Obviously, remember, Jeffrey Lickman uh, represented John Gotti Jr. in the first trial uh, in which he was charged with attempting to murder me and kidnap me. And then he became my radio partner and the guy like totally wigged out. And then, as you know, I had a falling out with Ron Kuby. I I didn't have a very good uh, relationship with attorneys who are my partners on the radio. Well, they were intimidated by you. At, I mean, I I think I, uh, I told you that I had come across a Kubi of all places when I took my son to the same ophthalmologist that Kubi took his daughter to. Ah. And this was just after well, what happened, uh, what went down when, uh, when ABC uh, took you over him. And he was so pissed off. I mean, he was generally pissed off. He really was. And it, it shocked me because if it wasn't for you, there wouldn't be you wouldn't have any career whatsoever. Well, well, he's got quite the career uh, in law. He's uh, well uh, respected defense attorney as many many clients. It's just I, I think you could make that case about radio getting the opportunity to break in. Uh, but we had a falling out over the Gotti trial. It was a very good show. There's no doubt about it. It was a very good yeah. show. But when he testified. Uh, as a character witness in the trial uh, involving uh, uh, Gotti uh, and his crew attempting to kill me and uh, kidnap me. Well, 
you know damn well that that relationship was going south. Well, I, I mean, for him, for you to even talk to him, I think you're a better man because I certainly couldn't. I, I couldn't still be, begin to understand that betrayal. I mean, that, yeah. That well, was, look, look. I, I I give him credit. He is a great father of his daughter. It was always very concerned. Uh, had a dacha in uh, what he called Outer White Landia near the Delaware River down in Pennsylvania. So a lot of good things about uh, Ron Kuby. It's just uh, uh, when he testified at the Gotti trial and uh, uh, <laughs> it didn't do me no favors on that, uh, that witness stand, uh, that was it. It took a while afterwards. The partnership uh, disintegrated. Uh, but he's got his pluses and minuses like all folks, just like Jeffrey Lickman. By the way, who is Jeffrey Lickman most recently represented? Who is the biggest narco-terrorist in the world? El Chapo. Pablo. Pablo Guzman. <sighs> and his wife, too, <clears throat> who should have been locked up triple life without parole. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go to Victor in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Victor. Uh, good morning, Curtis. I just wanted to uh, touch on one thing about Milton Berle. Long before the Texaco uh, show on, on uh, in in the uh, that came on in about nineteen forty nine nineteen fifty. Uh, long before that, in the nineteen twenties and the early nineteen thirties. There was a guy named, a comedian named Ed Wynn, who represented the Texaco uh, Fire Chief show. And Ed Wynn would come on television, whether he was brought on by Ed Sullivan, and he would be very, very effeminate. He had a very effeminate uh, demeanor and act. And uh, he had a son, you probably saw him act, uh, Keenan Wynn, who was a very competent actor. Uh, now, one thing about... Uh, now, now, question, question, Victor. What did fire chief mean when they said Texaco fire chief? Was that a brand of gasoline, a type of gasoline? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was... Uh, uh, that was their logo, essentially. Okay. That, they, 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 they would hand out, back in the 19, early 1930s, people who saw... who, who spo- Shows that were sponsored by the Texaco uh, fire... Uh, Texaco uh, uh, Oil Company were handed out uh, hats, uh, and, and the hats uh, showed that they, uh, the audience wore the uh, uh, hel- uh, the uh, Texaco uh, Fire Chief hats, uh, and it was just. Uh, uh, well, I, I remember that people uh, in the fifties and sixties, when I grew up as a young boy, were very loyal to particular circular brands like. Uh, my mother and father would always go to Flying A. Remember the old Flying A? Right. right. Uh, and there were others. They were Texaco. Others, they were Shell. Others, they were Sunoco. Others, they were Hess. But they wouldn't go anywhere else. They, they, they would run out of gas first. I remember my father. There was a uh, Esso station. They called it Esso before they called it Exxon. I'm pretty sure E-S-S-O. And he wouldn't use Esso in the vehicle, the old Betsy, 54 Ford wood paneling with the white wall tires. It was a station wagon. He says, we only use Flying A gasoline in this car. And I said, Dad, isn't all gasoline the same? And he goes, no, 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 it's not the same. 
He goes, I'd rather run out of gasoline and push the car to a flying A station than fill up with Esso. Now, was my father Chester correct on that? Was he being a, a real fuss butt? Or is all those gasolines the same and he just got bamboozled by brand names? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go, if we can, to uh, to Gene, who's calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gene. Good evening, Mayor. How are you? I've had better days. I've had better days, Gene. I'm sorry about that, but I had to get that mayor thing in there. Listen, last week you were talking a few things. I spoke to you a couple of weeks ago about renaming the Costco Bridge, and you're going to get back to me. And all they did was send me one of your hats, which I guess is pretty good. What? Hold on a second, Gene. Hold on. I delegated that responsibility to our crew here, and you're telling me the only thing they gave you was a hat and not a phone call about your request uh, to get the uh, bridge, the Kosciuszko Bridge, uh, renamed after uh, young men who had died from the neighborhoods there in the Vietnam War? Well, yes. All I got was a hat and no phone call back. I spoke last week, and I called again. They put me on hold for three hours, Curtis. Gene, let me tell you this. Uh, at least you're one up on the Frank Morano listeners. Some of them are still waiting for their hats. You at least got a hat, but you you wait on the line. We have a new phone screener, Aubrey. Aubrey, I want you to treat Gene a top-shelf five-star. Get his information again, and this time I personally will work on this, Gene. Okay, I will not. We go, I will not delegate okay. this any longer. Okay. I got two great Johnny, three great Johnny Carson stories for you. Two oh, sure, stories. sure, sure. Go, go. Okay. First of all, there used to be a bar called Jilly's over on Fifty Second Street, where all the wise guys used to go after the Copa. Oh, sure, the uh, Sinatra hangout. Sinatra hangout. A good friend of mine was in there, and he hated, he hated, fuck it, he hated Carson. But he's in there one night, and Joe Gallo comes in with two girls, right? He, they, he gets called to the back for something. The girls are standing by the bar. Costa comes in and sticks his head up the girl's up the girl's dress and does a trump to her. She lets out a scream. Jallo, Gallo comes running out of the back room. Jilly gets involved in it. They tell he tells everybody, get Costa the fuck out of here before he gets killed. Costa put a hit out on. Ah, uh, Gene, you got to watch your language there. Yeah. Uh, Gene dropped that. Uh... And what are those uh, words that are not permitted? Very important. Very, you can't do that. Uh, it's uh, FCC and not approved. I'm going to have to try to get uh, Gene's number another way. But he he dropped a biggie. Uh, George Carlin says you can't do that. So from high in the sky, George Carlin reached down and he did a Will Smith to, uh, to Gene there. He did a Will Smith. He smacked him. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Bob in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bob. There it is. We always talk about DJing and bars and clubs. Yeah, you're, you're, from, uh, you're originally from Newark, right? I live in Belleville, but I DJ in Newark. Ah, okay. And, and what club are you at in Newark again? QXTs. Been there for 31 years. Wow. Now, that's a club I don't know much about. Where is it located? It's right down the street from the Prudential Center. 
It's been family-owned, 31 years. It's an alternative club. We play every kind of music. Wow. So uh, give me an idea of the crowd that it attracts. Everything. 18 to 60 to goth to freestyle to hip-hop, everything. And what would you say is uh, its main attraction? What would you say? Uh, The alternative. Different. Stuff you're not going to hear on the radio. Um, Different music. Just people that have an open mind. Wow. Wow. All right. I want to know what your favorite New York City club was in your whole life. Wow. The favorite club in my whole life. Well, to be we honest, about before. yeah, Zanzibar in Newark was not one of my favorite clubs. I had to run for my life out of there. I was the only white boy there that one night. And feet. You got chased out with your high heels. That's right. I had my platform shoes on. I had my uh, bell-bottom pants on and my polyester waffle-wee flame-retarded shirt. But as far as Manhattan goes, what was your favorite club? They didn't let me in. Uh, Back then, uh, they considered me to be like a BQE guy. They didn't let me into those clubs. But what was your favorite New York City club? Oh, those were after-hour joints that really didn't have names because, remember, they'd have to close. They'd get uh, shut down. There'd be a police raid. Then they'd set up at a different location. There was one uh, location I went to, which was on... uh, uh, West Tremont, then it got closed, and it opened up in Throg's Neck. I went there, then it opened up in Kingsbridge. But because they were illegally run, they didn't have licenses, and they attracted all kinds of really bad hombres. Uh, those those were, I would say. Well, you got a whole you got a whole crew, you got a whole crew there, don't you? We're at White Castle right now, Curtis. We're ordering White Castle. Where? Which uh, White Castle? We're on Broadway in Newark right now. I'm on the radio with Curtis Lewa. I want four cheeseburgers. No, you do not Burger King, you like Burger King. Perfect. Yeah. Sorry, Curtis. You got it. Enjoy. Enjoy those belly busters. I wasn't quite sure if he was at BK Burger King or White Castles. The guy was probably so blitzed he didn't know. All he knew it was a fast food establishment. I got to check out that club. Although I'm not into going to clubs anymore. I always gotten into fights. Inevitably, you'd get into some kind of fight. Hey, you think you're a tough guy, they'd say to me? Do I think I'm a tough guy? No, I am a tough guy. And then it would all go downhill after that. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Ronnie in Philly. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ronnie. Hey, Curtis. Yeah, this is Ronnie. And, you know, um, I, I know you You gave me a medal up at, up at West Point at, at that big uh, – we had that trail thing there up there, and, and we went to the, the – game the football game and everything yes and 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 my my husband at the time charlie and and my son david were with me but david sent in a thing saying how wonderful i was as a woman veteran and everything yeah you, you, you yeah that's right you won uh there were a group of our listeners uh that we brought up to uh, west point uh they received the medals that we gave out and then they went to the uh uh, the Army game, I think they were playing oh, Texas team. Tech. Uh, no, not Texas Tech. That was out of their league. But they were playing a team yeah. from Texas, I think. Yes, they were. Yes. And they, yeah. 
And but anyway, I just want to let you know. And Charlie was one of your, the guardian angels, a born Manhattan boy. He loved you guys. And he, guess what day he passed? Right on the thirteenth of February, right during the Super Bowl game. Wow. And uh, he's up there now watching angels. You know, we got another angel up there in heaven. And uh, I'm telling you, he loved your show so much. And and Ron and and he he would listen for hours and hours and hours. Like I, I gotta, weekend. I gotta tell you, Ronnie. I asked my dad permission to go to West Point to give out those medals to the veterans, uh, your husband and others, because yeah. my father's father, my grandfather Anton, uh, had been part of uh, those. Uh, they were called Notch Babies, uh, uh, who were promised a bonus. Uh, after fighting in World War One, they marched all yeah. the way to uh, D.C. And it was General MacArthur who was uh, given the orders by uh, President Hoover to drive out the servicemen. And they burnt the tents down. They drove them out. They gave them uh, beatdowns. And he had to walk all the way back to Chicago. So when you walk into uh, West Point, there's a huge statue of General MacArthur, who obviously my grandfather hated, Anton, who served in the United States uh, Army. And my father hated as a result of hearing stories from his grandfather, so I said, Dad, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to West Point. I'm going to be handing out medals to veterans as part of the WABC uh, promotion we're doing. I said, uh, I wanted to ask your permission because I know you never wanted me even to visit West Point because of that statue of General MacArthur. And he thought about it for all the two minutes. He said, hmm, you know, my father, your grandfather, Anton, has passed. I think it would be his desire that you go to uh, recognize veterans just like himself who had served America in their time of need. So it's the first time I ever visited West Point, believe it or not. Yep. And you know what? You know what? Uh, he's buried down in Virginia. MacArthur isn't even buried up there. Did you know that? No, I had no idea. Yes, yes. He's, he's buried down by the big naval base. And not the strangest thing you ever heard. But, yeah, look that up. That's the truth. Oh, I will. But in our house, you couldn't even mention General MacArthur. He was persona non grata because of what happened to my grandfather, Anton, and the other members of the service who were promised the bonus. Hoover then say, no, it's the Depression. We're not giving you the bonus. They marched all the way to Washington. They set up a tent city in the Great Lawn, and then they had the bejeebers beaten out of them. And the two generals who led that, uh, General MacArthur in charge and his uh, vice commander, General Eisenhower. And now you know the rest of the story. Oh, and I don't fear the Grim Reaper. Never have, never will. But this is classic. Blue Oyster Cult, one of the greatest songs of all time, no doubt about it. The melody, the flow, the interaction with the drummer, the guitar players, and the cowbell. You notice you hear that cowbell in the distance? Class, you see what a flow here. Blue Oyster Cult, yeah, yeah, wow, really good stuff. Well after the 1950s. By the way, as we closed out uh, with Milton Burroughs, Texas, Texaco Star Theater, he was uh, Mr. Television in 1950. Just to give you an idea how much things have changed from the day that he was cross-dressing every week on television, the number one show in America.
the movie house is closed for lack of business uh, during his Tuesday evening time slot. Then imagine one in 10 people lived in New York. One in 10 people in America lived in New York. We can't say that anymore because so many people have fled to Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, Texas, Tennessee, and parts unknown. Nevada in 1950 had just 160,000 people. It has 3 million people now. At that time, it was the least populous state Nevada was. And people keep moving to Nevada in droves, mostly coming from California, but some from out east. It's a desert, but people still move there. Ever since, if you remember, from the Lower East Side, Bugsy Siegel told Meyer Lansky, we build these casinos and they will come. And Meyer said to him, hey, the boys, they want to see their investment. Don't worry about it. It's okay, Meyer. He goes, I can't hold them off. They're going to want to kill you. And eventually they did as he was sitting with this drop-dead gorgeous blonde in Hollywood, California. They shot him right through the plate glass window as he was, uh, the term used then, necking, uh, swapping spit, lip-locking with that drop-dead gorgeous blonde, uh, except he ended up getting shot multiple times by the wise guys that Meyer Lansky, his lifelong friend from the Lower East Side down at Cannon Street, By the way, you can't even find Cannon Street any longer. Uh, uh, Both of them came from that area, Cannon Street. He couldn't hold them off any longer, so they whacked him. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But what they said about Bugsy Siegel back then, one of the roughest, toughest Jewish gangsters in the history of organized crime, is he was a tough hombre and he was psychotic. He wouldn't want to get into a fight with Bugsy Siegel, because he might go psycho on you. And that leads us into the subject matter of playing Blue Oyster Colt. Don't fear the Reaper. And the fact that it is the 79th birthday of Psycho Boy, great actor, Christopher Walken. 79 years old, came out of Astoria, Queens. Christopher Walken, uh, with all the great roles that he he was in. You know, he would have been the perfect Joker in any of the Batman movies, Christopher Walken. He looked like, like the Joker at times. But from my memory, if my memory serves me correct, he never played the Joker in any of the Batman movies. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm wrong. You can give me a call to straighten me out. <clears throat> At 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Clearly, I remember Christopher Walken in Deer Hunter. He won an Academy Award for that. That was a really great movie. And tell me he wasn't Psycho Boy in that. And then, probably one of his best movies, King of New York. Remember, here was Christopher Walken. He had been locked up in jail. And when he gets out, he's the leader of a black drug cartel. It's almost like, imagine, what could I compare it to? Oh, boy. New Jack City. Remember New Jack City? Oh, yeah. Wesley Snipes. What was his name? Nino? Forget what his name was. But anyway, imagine the leader 
of New Jack City as being Psycho Boy, Christopher Hunt. No, Christopher Hunt. He's he's Psycho uh, definitely on Sundays from three to five. He's the aggressive progressive that I debate three to five on Sundays. But no, Christopher Walken. I saw him in King of New York. And I'll never forget that scene. He gets out of jail. He's in the room. And all of the uh, black gangsters, the drug dealers who were, he was the leader of, they're all celebrating his release. And he turns to the guy who was in charge while he was locked up. And he goes, you know, how come you never came to visit me in jail? And the guy had some phony baloney uh, answer. And remember, that was so good. He totally looked like the Joker there and a psycho a psycho guy. Am I right or wrong? Think about Christopher Walken. Great in Deer Hunter. He did a cameo appearance for an EDM song, Electronic Dance Music. I love electronic dance music. That's my favorite. But he danced in the whole electronic dance music song. It was a horrible electronic dance music song. I think it was called Weapon of Choice in the year 2000. He was 57. This guy was such a good dancer, Christopher Walken, psycho boy from Astoria. He reminded me of Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly. And it turns out that he was a dancer. He went to the Washington Dance Studio. This guy could dance, Christopher Walken. Great stuff. Oh, man, was he good. He was a flying Dutchman. He went to Hofstra. I don't think he went the same time that James Kahn did. No friend of mine, by the way, who tried to sue me because I said he was uh, affiliated with the Colombo crime family, Sonny Corleone or Coppola, the director of The Godfather. But, oh, boy, he was so good. And then, remember, at close range, he was in the movie with Madonna and Sean Penn. God, Madonna and Sean Penn, their, their skin is like aged... Uh, Aged like milk. My God, if they age quickly. Then he was in A View to Kill. Really good stuff. And Seven Psychopaths with Colin Farrell and Woody Harrelson. This guy had such a great career. And yet probably what he's best remembered for are the seven different Saturday Night Live appearances he's made. Probably the most. I don't know if it's the most appearances as the host of Saturday Night Live, but he did a really, really great job. And probably uh, my favorite was um, when he came out and he did a whole segment on being this great record producer who actually should have had a uh, British accent, but he didn't, uh, in which he was asking for more cowbell. After a series of staggering defeats, Blue Oyster Cult assembled in the recording studio in late 1976 for a session with famed producer Bruce Dickinson. And luckily for us, the cameras were rolling. All right, guys, I, I think we're ready to lay this first track down. By the way, my name is Bruce Dickinson. Yes, the Bruce Dickinson. And I got to tell you, fellas, you have got... What appears to be a dynamite sound. Coming from you, Bruce, that means a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're Bruce Dickinson. This is incredible. I can't believe Bruce Dickinson digs our sound. Yeah. Easy, guys. I put my pants on, just like the rest of you, one leg at a time. Except, once my pants are on, 
I make gold records. <laughs> All right, here we go. Fear, don't fear the reaper. Take one, roll it. All right, one, two, three, four. in here for a second, please. That, that was going to be a great track. Guys, what's the deal? Uh, are, are you sure that was sounding okay? I'll be honest, fellas, it was sounding great, but I could have used a little more cowbell. <laughs> so, let's take it again. And Gene, yeah. really explore the studio space this time. You got it, Bruce. I mean, really. Yeah. Explore the space. Okay. <laughs> I like what I'm hearing. Roll it. One, two, three, four. Stop! Bruce, I'm sorry. Could you come back in there, please? Fellas. No, we, we just wasted two good tracks. This last one was even better than the first. Well, it's just that I find Gene's cowbell playing distracted. I don't know. If I'm the only one, I'll shut up. No, it's pretty rough. You know, I can pull it back a little if you like. Not too much, though. I'm telling you, fellas, you're going to want that cowbell on the track. You know what? It's fine. Let's just do the thing. Okay, roll it. Wow, that had be, had to be, ladies and gentlemen, if you follow Saturday Night Live, one of the best bits of all time. And like I said, every time that I saw Christopher Walken on Saturday Night Live, and my uh, my wife Nancy, a big fan, she replays it over and over. She loves it. But that cowbell bit with Will Farrell playing the cowbell and Jimmy Fallon and some of the others, one of the best. And then here he is. He's the British music producer Bruce Dickinson with no British accent. Totally psychoed out. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then uh, I got to get into it when we mentioned Christopher Walken on his 79th birthday. I got to appeal to all of you out there. It's been how many years after? 1981. When the circumstances around Natalie Wood's death have been uh, the focus of intense speculation. The actress was yachting with her husband, Robert Wagner, and co-star Christopher Walken when she disappeared and drowned off of Catalina Island. Now, why would she be on the same boat as Christopher Walken? her co-star in a movie that she was filming at that point, and her husband, Robert Wagner. I got to assume they got into a fight over her, right? The guys were probably drinking. Robert Wagner, who looked like the big waspy guy, says to psycho boy Chris Walken, you snacking on my wife, Natalie Wood? And he probably went psycho on Robert Wagner. She tried to escape the Michigash, 
And the next thing you know, she's dead. Any of you, though, have any insight as to whether it was Christopher Walken, psycho boy, who has just celebrated his 79th birthday, the Astoria kid. What a dancer he is. Man. You see that EDM song that he did in 2000? I think it's called Weapon of Choice. Uh, The EDM song is horrible. But he was 57 years old. He's jumping up and down on tables. He's doing flips. He's like a combination of Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly. It's absolutely amazing. I consider myself quite a dancer. When I looked at that, I said, oh, my God, this, this guy is great. But who do you think killed Natalie Wood? Was it her husband at the time, Robert Wagner, who what, sells insurance now on TV? Or was it psycho boy Christopher Walken every time he makes another appearance on Saturday Night Live? I know he's made seven. My wife has made me watch all seven, and they're really great. Who do you think it was, ladies and gentlemen? It's like one of those big unsolved mysteries. Frank Morano, he always likes to do the unsolved mysteries. Well, whoever resolved that? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Junior. Make that Dave, who's calling from California. Let's go to Dave there. Your turn to be heard there at WABC. Dave, that is correct. Totally off the subject, but uh, he probably knocked that battery off of uh, what's his name's shoulder, you know? Remember you used to do those commercials with knock that battery off my shoulder? Yeah, that's right. That was psycho in itself. <laughs> right. But the reason I'm calling is uh, you mentioned uh, the Zanzibar. He used to fill the vending machines in that in that uh, club way back in the 80s and stuff like that. And that was a rough, rough club. I was walking in there, threw me up against a wall, and said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm just filling the vending machines. And I had to walk past this room, and somebody got murdered in there. Look, they painted the walls with this poor guy. It was really disgusting. Yeah, now that was back in in the 80s, right? Yep, yep, 79, 80s. And, uh, you know, I had my twice out of there. It was was an amazing club. Now, now, a question, Dave, where were you living at the time? Elizabeth, New Jersey. All right, Elizabeth. So you were right near Hillside next to Newark. Right. Uh, We had a patrol right there in the Dayton Housing Projects. That was the high rises right there next to the cemetery. And then Seth Boyden was a little further down. Oh, my God, was that a rough area. Uh, I was. I lived in the Elmore area, area, and it was crazy. I went to Edison. Yeah, yeah. For, so uh, high school. I'd go yeah. down to the Club Zanzibar downtown Newark, and let me tell you something. Uh, at times, I'm like the only white guy there. And <laughs> well, the, I was the only other guy, white guy there. Right. <laughs> the brothers were not happy so. with me that I was dancing with the sisters. Let me tell you that. It was like, feet don't yeah. fail me now. Get me to Penn Station in Newark. Let me see if I can jump over the turnstile, get into that path train, and get the hell out of there before they turn me into uh, human speed bumps. Yeah, that's the only reason I called because you mentioned Zanzibar, and that's stunned in my mind. I haven't talked, to, I haven't thought about it since you just mentioned it. So you, were, when, when you were when you were dealing with the vending machines in the club Zanzibar, 
so there was a murder that was committed there. They, they had yep. blood all over the walls. Oh, my God. I could, I could easily see that. And then you had two trucks stolen outside of the club yep. Zanzibar. Yep. And so I, thought, I thought you just left. You know, there were these big square trucks, and it had a safe that was uh, that was bolted to the truck. They couldn't get into that, you know, but all the candy and stuff would be stolen. And uh, all the time, somebody would try to jam the machines, and anything – that that got jammed above where it got jammed was all free money, you know. It was like hundreds of dollars. They used to, we had three 500 uh, candy machines, 500 piece candy machines, and they would wipe those out uh, between a, a Friday night and a Sunday morning. Uh, and, and, and now the trucks were stolen during the day or night? Oh, it, during the day, when it, that's the only time we would go, was. Uh, the fill those machines is during the day. It was either Sunday morning or, or Monday morning. So you're you're inside days. doing your job, dealing with the vending machines. In the meantime, they're yep. stealing your trucks outside. Absolutely. All the time. It's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, no, no, no. That's, uh, that's the Newark <laughs> I remember. That's for sure. Right, right yep. down there, yep. they're broad in market. Forget about it. It was uh, out crazy. of control. But now you're, living in, you're, you're living in California now. I'm living. I'm living in a, a little town called Elisa Vieira. It used to be little. Now it's right behind Laguna Beach, and uh, I don't know how I wound up here, but thank God I did. I lived here for a while, and uh, I moved back to New Jersey. Found my way. We both moved back out here. So wow, I'm pretty happy. So you like yeah. it out in Cali? I love it, man. It's, I'm sitting here in my backyard, and it's uh, 55 degrees, smoking a cigar and drinking a beer. You know. Now, how are you listening to us way out in California, Southern California? I just I just pull up uh, on K- on uh, that iTunes and or iHeart. I listen to you. I listen to you guys more than I listen to anything out here. You know, it reminds me at home. Now, when you listen to talk radio out there, uh, would you say it's somewhat boring? Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's... I'm tired of hear. I'm tired to hear about all the nonsense that goes on. Just stupid, total stupidity. You know, and people just let it go. Oh, yeah, that's normal. No, it's not. You know? Exactly. And Dave, uh, as a veteran who survived uh, in the streets of Newark, uh, tending to your vending machines at the clubs and the bar, and I'm sure at other locations, uh, you certainly earned your stripes. But more importantly, now that you're living in California, this is something that I, I, I get the threat of from many of our callers in Canada California, Oregon, state of Washington, out in the heartland of America, the Midwest, down south, is that the local radio that they have, the local talk radio, tends to be very boring. And that's why oftentimes people will find WABC, and no matter where they live, they want to listen to it morning, noon, and night. You know, I'm a Jersey boy, no matter what it is. I'm glad I live out here, but you know what? I'm glad uh, that I grew up in back east, you know. I I just have a total different perspective on the rest of the world that most people out here don't have. Well, I certainly do appreciate you listening all the way out in California and uh, relating to us what it was like in Newark, New Jersey in the 80s where I had established a guardian angel patrol way out. Dayton Housing Projects on the border of Elizabeth Hillside. Hillside, uh, the other side of the cemetery, that's where Phil Rizzuto and his uh, wife Cora live. The great Yankee uh, announcer and the great Yankee uh, shortstop who went to Richmond Hill High School. Wow, those are the memories. And you see how many people are listening all over the world. 
Uh, we're heard in 38 states, parts of Canada and parts of Europe, and down, uh, down there, the Bermuda Triangle. And people can pick it up with the live stream. People can be listening as we've had a listener in Liam, in the Ukraine, right near the western border, not far from Poland. The very location that got bombed, uh, its fuel depot got bombed last week after we had speaking, I think it was Ray, he said it was relatively quiet, and then within hours, boom, he got bombed there. And now we see that the Ukrainians uh, are not acknowledging but not disavowing the fact that they may have hit a fuel depot spot in Mother Russia itself, which is certainly taking the battle to the Russians on their turf but could obviously cause uh, some severe retaliation. Uh, We'll be certainly looking at that. But we can be heard all over the world on the app, on the stream. You have so many different ways and crystal clear. You could be in Kabul in Afghanistan, in Baghdad in Iraq, and listen to us crystal clear, unimaginable years ago. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. WABC, let's go to Billy in Queens. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Billy. Hey, Curtis, I'll tell you exactly what happened that night in the boat with Natalie Wood. She was making that movie with Christopher Walken, and the three of them were drinking on the boat, and Christopher Walken had this philosophy. He said, you know, if you're going to be an actor or an actress, you can't be married. You know, you can't have a family. He was saying that right in front of his her husband, Robert Wagner. They went up to the top of the boat. They almost started throwing punches at each other. She got, you know, she was drunk. She didn't want no trauma because, you know, she got raped when she was an underage girl by, you know, Hollywood legend Kurt Douglas. So she tried to get in a little dinghy, drunk. She fell into the water and drowned. That's what happened that night. Wow, that's right. You reminded me, Kirk Douglas, who was uh, given that award uh, where his uh, son was, Mike uh, Michael Douglas, at the Academy Awards. I think he was, what, 98, 99, Lifetime Achievement. They all gave him a standing ovation, and it turns out (laughs) years later we find out that Kirk Douglas raped Natalie Wood and quite a few of the other uh, females uh, that would be co-starring with him in movies. Basically, uh, he had his own casting couch for them. Natalie Wood came home that day from the set, underage girl, told her Russian mother that Kirk Douglas raped her. And and the mother said, the Russian mother, because Russians are cold, you know that. The Russian mother said, don't tell anybody because it'll mess up your career. And she was right because she had a great career after that. You know, she just, you know, just, she just had to get raped when she was underage. Well, I know that, Kirk, Kirk Douglas was from up near Amsterdam, New York, near Gloversville. Amsterdam used to make all the linoleum throughout the United States, the Kaufman carpet, everything. Uh, and he had a he had one hell of a long Russian Jewish name that he changed to Kirk Douglas. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was uh, unfortunately uh, he raped a lot of the uh, young uh, females. Turned out, yeah, it turned out that Jerry Lewis did exactly the same thing after he left uh, being a partner with uh, 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 with Dean Martin. Uh, then he basically had his own casting count. Imagine. Jerry Lewis was the number one box office star in America, Billy. Doing that nutty Curtis. professor routine of his, like Milton Berle dressing up as a woman. That was considered the number one form of entertainment. Curtis, they all raped those girls. You, Any old movie you watch, those famous movies, those actresses on the movie screen, 
They were up there because they performed sex acts on that 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 fat little Jewish guy. Uh, what was his name? Metro Golden Mayor, uh, Sammy um, Samuel uh, Sammy Myerson, right? Uh, Myerson, MGM, right, yeah. right. But you, every girl you see on that movie screen, you better believe they had to perform sex acts on that little pig. And he made Harvey Weinstein look like a Chippendales dancer too, by the way. I mean, but that's Hollywood, baby. Yeah, <laughs> that's the truth. Yeah, but to uh, learn of all these things now and what these women had to endure and go through, uh, the Jerry Lewis thing—that was—he was originally from Newark, right? Jerry Lewis was from Newark, New Jersey. Hey, Alphonse Alley Boy Damato, right? No friend of mine was from Newark, New Jersey too. There are quite a few people who actually came out of Newark. Now, I may be incorrect on this. Ladies and gentlemen, please use constructive criticism if I'm wrong. I think Ed Koch was actually born in Newark, but raised in the Bronx, former Mayor Ed Koch. Uh, Please, correct me if I'm wrong on that. So we got Jerry Lewis, I say he grew up in Newark. I forget which uh, ward. Alphonse Alley Boy D'Amato became U.S. Senator. I think he was born in Newark, but they moved early on to Long Island. And Ed Koch, I think, was born in Newark, and they moved to the Bronx. Now, either I hit the trifecta and I'm right on all of that, or I couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Jim in New York. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Jim. Hey, good morning, Curtis. Love the show. I realize how many famous people come out of New York and New Jersey, all you know, from all over the world, all over the country. I used to own it. I didn't call you before. I'm the guy who lives upstate in New York with the farm and all that. I used to have a pizza place in, in Newark, and people don't realize how dangerous Newark is. It's so the year the year I own my pizza place. Sixteen mailmen got robbed. My place got robbed, but they didn't rob me. They they broke in at night through the roof and they cut a hole in the wall. And they robbed the camera store next door. Now, were you uh, near the Prudential Center? Well, yeah, I was on Halsey Street by the Board of Ed building, one block over from Broad. Right. And yeah, so... pretty not, not sort of close to Prudential Center. This was back... I owned it in 97. But my club my clubbing days were in the 80s and 90s, but more so Jersey. We used to go to a place in the city called The Rooftop. Do you remember that on 21st and 11th? No, that one I don't remember. The, the that Rooftop... Was after, that was an after-hours joint. So that was in Chelsea, 21st and 11th. Okay, after hours. You had all these big mob goons in tuxedos down below. They would try and weed you out that you're undercover cop. They asked you, what do you do for a living? And at the time, I was a kid. I worked at UPS, and I showed my UPS ID. I guess that was their thing. If you were an undercover cop, you had to say so if if they asked you what you did. I don't know. But the place was wild. It was open bar until 7 o'clock. It was $20 to get in. Open bar all night. No beer, just mixed drinks. People doing drugs out on the table. Oh, yeah. Doing coke gum. I mean, it was all all that. And then we come out 7 o'clock in the morning, get in our cars, go right down to Jersey Shore, get a room, and be, be down there all weekend and broke on Monday. Now, today, I won't even drink a Mike's Hard Lemonade on a Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember those uh, after-hour clubs, exactly that. They didn't serve beer. It was all straight hard liquor. Uh, cocaine everywhere, guys would put their guns on the table if they were uh, thugs. Uh, but great music. You could uh, oh, dan- yeah. dance uh, to the break of dawn. You'd be walking out of the club at 7 to 8, and you'd open yep. up the doors, and it'd be so bright, your eyes would be like you'd exactly. have to squint your eyes. 
Exactly. I still listen to club music from back then, WKTU, TKA, all those songs. I, 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 I have such a, a, a weird mix. I'll listen, like now I listen to a lot of country music, but I'll still, when I get motivated, I'll put on 80s club music. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, no. Uh, great, great stuff. Uh, it's an era that obviously uh, it, was, it was very exciting, but, Jim, it was also very risque, very dangerous. Oh, yeah. I, I used to go to a place. It was like a, it was like a powder keg uh, as far as fights and stuff. It was a place called the Birch Hill down in Jersey. Ever hear of that? Down on that's a 35 or Route 9. It's a big club. Now, they had a disco club. And they had uh, another, they had a big part where they had bands. Now, sometimes you'd have like a southern rock band in there, and then you got the disco. So you got the Guidos, and you got the Rednecks. There'd be so many fights in there, Curtis, you wouldn't believe. A friend of mine was a bouncer in there. One night, there was 13 cop cars in there breaking up the fight. Yeah, I remember going down the Jersey Shore to Belmar and DJs. Uh, sure, I was all- Right, you'd have all all the bennies from Staten Island there in the summer get ripped off in those bungalows for outrageous uh, prices. And, oh, yeah, and they, they, the locals hated them, but they liked the money. Oh, exactly. <laughs> and what would happen is you go into DJs, great music, places packed, guys and gals, a lot of people from Staten Island, but mostly from Jersey. Then the women would get into a fight. They had so much hairspray that when they grabbed <laughs> a glass or a bottle – they couldn't, you couldn't get the the glass or the bottle out of their hands because of all the sticky stuff from the VO5 hairspray. And the stiff stuff. Remember, the, the back there was called stiff stuff hairspray. Yeah. It was like lacquer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they, and they had the mall hair, you know, the hair that went to everywhere. But they start pulling each other's hair. They'd be getting into those fights. You couldn't even, oh, yeah. you could stop grabbing the hair because even when they wanted to stop and give up, the sticky stuff on their hair from the hairspray just kept them on the hair. Yep. I used to go right over the outer bridge and, hang, and go to clubs in Staten Island. You could drink over there. As long as you could reach the bar, you could drink. I was drinking over there at 16, 17 years old. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Those, uh, and, again, those after-hour clubs, there was nothing to compare because they didn't have to play by any rules. Nope. They, they get closed down, and then all of a sudden you'd hear through the grapevine because there was no social networking there. They would tell you, oh, the after-hours club just reopened in the neck, or the after-hours club just opened up in Kingsbridge, and then you'd show up, and all the same people would be there. All the thugs, all the thugettes, all like the, you know, guys didn't want to dance because they were thugs, so I'd have the, I'd have the, the run of the room. Oh, yeah. I love to dance. I had a friend. He was born with a short arm, okay, but that motivated him to do better than everybody. He was on he was on a football team. He he started his own computer business. He would dress up with suspenders and a hat. He'd go up to the prettiest girl in the place and ask her to dance. He didn't care until he got somebody to dance. He's like, girl, like, no, I don't want to dance. I don't want to marry you. I just want to dance. And he'd be out there dancing all night, soaking wet with sweat. He went out there to have a good time. And these boomers today, they don't know what they miss. I mean, I'm sorry, the boomers, the millennials. They got this thing, oh, boomer this, boomer that. They got no clue what they missed. The 60s, the 70s, and 80s, 90s, I had a blast. I, I, we learned how to be tough. We learned how to be people. We learned how to interact. We weren't afraid of things. We got in fist fights. We drank out of the hose. Today, they're afraid of everything. Yeah, well, you'll notice they don't go anywhere unless they go with a whole group. They're, they're only comfortable exactly. in a group. 
I'd go to a club by myself. Sometimes I didn't even know anybody there, but I had enough confidence yeah. to say, I have a rap, I can dance. I'm not, uh, you know, a jerky, uh, jerky boy, so I'm not going to start a problem. I, I, I'll know, I'll know my my territorial boundaries, but I would have no, no prohibitions to walking into a club on my own. Exactly. Well, I had two good-looking friends. One was a tall, blonde-haired guy, like a Beach Boy type, and one was like a Bon Jovi type. These guys were lady killers. <laughs> and, what, and you know, what we went to a club one time. And the one who looked like the Bon Jovi type, he smiled at these four drop-dead gorgeous girls. And uh, one comes over, and he, she, she goes to him. She goes, who are you flirting with? He goes, why? He goes, because we're about to claw each other's eyes out over you. That, I've never heard – to have four good-looking girls say that, that that's, the kind of, that's the kind of play this kid had. Wow. There used to be a, a club down a Long Branch. It used to be called Pier Pub. I don't think I remember that. It ain't there no more. It was, a, it was a fishing pier, but on the end of the pier, there was a club out there, right? So we'd go out, we go there. These two hook up right away, and I'm there by myself. I'm drinking, drinking. There's four good-looking girls there, right? I walk up to them. I go, you want to dance? They go, who are you talking to? I said, all he is. Yeah, sure. All four of them went out there to dance. Oh. Not that I was looking, it's just that they wanted to dance. Guys don't realize, girls like to dance. They don't want you glomming all over them. They want to dance, you know? Yeah, and you would see, you'd go into a club and women would be dancing with women, not because they were lesbians or interested in one another, but because guys wouldn't get up and dance. Uh, you know, they yeah. thought it wasn't macho. And so if you could walk into a club, not even knowing anybody, and you were halfway decent dancer, you didn't have to be a whirling dervish, you could have your way throughout the room. There are women who would be standing up wanting to dance with you because they were there to dance. They yeah. weren't. They weren't there to have sex. They were there to dance, and none of the guys wanted to dance with them. Yeah, I was. Like I said I wasn't there. I was always looking look to meet a, a nice, good-looking girl. You know, I, mean, I was never there to look to hook up and, and go to a motel. Friends were. I was. I was there to dance, have a good time, maybe meet a nice girl. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. No. 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 Those. Those were definitely the days, Jim. The club days. Nowadays, these hipsters and millennials, they got to travel in a pack, a wolf pack. All the girls together, all the guys. I guess it's because they don't have the same confidence. They don't have the same self-esteem when it comes to that. Hey, look, you got to take a few risks. You go into an unknown territory, unknown club, you don't know anybody. You have a relatively good rap if you are inquiring, if you're not trying to act like you know everything, if you are a relatively good dancer, you're going to do well. You're going to have a good time. By the time you <laughs> you break uh, to dawn, you may have a bunch of new friends that at first were somewhat suspicious of you because they had no idea who you were. In fact, in some instances, might even thought you were 5-0, an undercover detective who was there to start double trouble? One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go to John in New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, John. Curtis, yes, you remember Sloppy Louis? Uh, do I remember Sloppy Louis? No. Where was Sloppy Louis? Well, it was down there. It was a seafood restaurant. I don't even know if it was a club, but it didn't have two chairs, two tables or two spoons that were the same, but it was always packed. 
it was down across from the fish market near the Ambrose Light Ship. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've never been there. So you're telling me that nothing down there matched at all? No, but it was the best best seafood. I remember uh, when I was first dating my wife, if I would go to uh, Sloppy Louis and eat Booyah Base, she wouldn't let me in the same room. It was so good, mm. but it was so garbage. And where, Curtis, where were you living? Governor's where were you living at the time? Well, Governor's Island. The guy didn't put that up. Oh, sure. From Governor's Island, remember, a couple weeks? Yeah, so you took the ferry over, uh, and you went to Sloppy Louis. Yeah. Another uh, place, I used to take friends, if if they would come in, we'd go up to McSorley's. Now, the last time I went there, behind the bar was just covered with badges, fireman badges, police badges. And then I read something maybe about a year ago. It said they sold new owners, and uh, they showed a picture of the bar, all the whiskeys up there, but not a single badge. Do you remember that, McSorley's? No, I never went into McSorley's. I used to avoid the Irish uh, gin mills because uh, the few that I went into, I'd always end up getting into some kind of fight or another. Usually it wasn't necessarily with me or trying to break up a fight, and then all of a sudden the Irish guys would turn on me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they didn't they didn't like the fact that I'd be talking to the Colleens, you know, beautiful Irish uh, young records, you know, who are very sociable, very conversational, and they were too busy sucking on their beer, so naturally I'd have a conversation, and the next thing I know, <laughs> they'd be talking amongst one another. I think it was in Gaelic. This guy ain't one of us. And then it was another. What am I going to walk into a gin mill and get a beatdown? So nice, we're doing it twice in honor of Mark Levin. And you can hear every Monday through Friday from 6 to 9. Believe it or not, even though Mark Levin strikes you as a fuddy-duddy, right? Not necessarily somebody who would be playing dance music or EDM. He does. I've heard this song so many times on the Mark Levin Show. And I feel like uh, mentioning, uh, hey, you know, this is a guy, he might well have been out there walking down Madison Avenue the night that President Joe Biden and uh, Mayor Eric Adams declared it to be the, uh, what was it they called it, the Transparent Transgender Day, whatever the hell that means. Uh, this guy who sang the song could easily have fit into that category. Doesn't matter, Mark Levin. He loves this music and he loves other EDM. Our numbers, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. By the way, the story of the day hasn't happened yet. You're getting a review. Is that Mayor Eric Adams, with all the problems uh, that... He needs to confront to get this city back on track. It's just creating more problems. He will at least in a few hours. He'll be announcing somewhere on 3rd Avenue between 24th Street and 125th in Manhattan that he is turning it into a bike superhighway, a bicycle superhighway. 
So he is taking all the lanes. There'll be no lanes for cars, for trucks, for vans, for cabs, for Uber, for Lyft, none of that. There'll be no parking spots. There will be six lanes for bicycles only, and it'll be called the Pee Wee Herman Highway. Then there'll be a barrier, and there'll be two lanes for buses only. This is the major thoroughfare on the east side of Manhattan. It's what you take to get on the 59th Street Bridge to queue up. Can you imagine what this is going to look? You really think there are enough bicyclists to fill up six freaking lanes? I think you've been drinking too much of that uh, those fruit juices in the morning, Eric Adams. You're out of your mind. And by the way, he got on a bicycle one time, one of those city bikes. He looked like Pee Wee Herman. He looked ridiculous, like Urkel. We haven't seen him on a bicycle since. Remember, you're going to see me on bicycles. You're going to see me in the subway. Ugats, we haven't seen you on any bicycles since. Six lanes for bicycles on 3rd Avenue within a barrier and two lanes for buses with all the commercial establishments here. Liquor stores, grocery stores, supermarkets, uh, those that sell all kinds of stationery and other supplies for businesses. The businesses that haven't even attracted workers back in these high-rise office buildings, 75% empty. And he's turning this into a bike superhighway and says it's the first of what will be more. Oh, my God, my. And then he went to court because he wants to keep the masks on the four- and five-year-olds, the preschoolers. So one judge ruled against him and said, take those freaking masks off. And then quickly he went before another judge in Staten Island, and he agreed that the masks have to stay. Meantime, you got guys like Kyrie Irving who are getting on courtside with the Brooklyn Nets, and he's wearing no mask. And by the way, he hasn't been vaccinated along with Aaron Judge, who in opening day will be wearing no mask and he's not vaccinated. The four- and five-year-olds are not going to be spreading COVID-19 or getting COVID-19. This is crazy. The city is never going to be able to return. Can you imagine if you had a child who was five, four, or three going to preschool, pre-K? You might actually pull the kid out of public school and either leave New York City, the five boroughs, and join the exodus or send them to a private school or a parochial school. It's what a lot of parents have done. The public school system has lost enrollment of 128,000 children. Where did they all go? They didn't disappear. Yes, some of their parents left the city as part of the exodus, but some of their parents have enrolled them into parochial schools or they've gone to charter schools, or they've gone to private schools. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Ken in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ken. Curtis, uh, you and I are about the same age. I want to ask you, do you ever remember the garage? Yes, I remember that well. That was a great place. And the kids nowadays, they don't know what they miss. I'm a club guy. I used to go all over. There was a, you remember the Brown's Guest House. There was a place in Brooklyn called Brown's Guest House. There was the warehouse. There was Zanzibar in New, uh, Newark, New Jersey. But the, the the garage is one of the greatest places. Like you say, there were women all over the place. I always said, if you never met your green dream girl in the garage, she didn't exist. They had some beautiful women in the garage. 
but another place called uh, Bentley's on Eighth Avenue. Yeah. So there was Bond International, 45th Broadway. Yeah. That was a great place, too. Absolutely. The parties were just great. Just talking about the good old days. They don't know, Curtis. They have no idea what they're missing. And, and you could go to a place. And you and, go. You sometimes go to a club by yourself. You might not have known anybody. You just said, let me try this club. Yeah, you're not going to bring anybody to the club because you want to test it out first. You don't want to walk in right. to the belly of the beach and then you realize, want to dance. let me get one the night, hell out of here. One night, Curtis, I go to the garage. I didn't have a card. They had to have a card to get in. That the outside person could bring in six people. Remember in the 70s, there was a guy named the Unknown Comet. He used to wear a paper bag over his head. And I wanted to get in the club. So I put a paper bag over my head. And the, the door guy said, hey, you, come here. You got to get, we got to get you in this club. Because they want those weird, different kind of people. And I was able to get in the garage with the paper bag over my head as the Unknown Comet. So, wow. Uh, great, the the great Unknown Comet. Now, how long did you wear a bag over your head? So just till I got in the club, I took the bag off. <laughs> just till I got, just yeah. till I got inside, I took the bag off. So, and that was it. so the guy outside by the ropes, uh, the security guy, or the guy would choose who could get in and who couldn't. He would choose who could get in and who couldn't. That's right, exactly. Yeah, you couldn't. You couldn't. Be, you couldn't be wearing sneakers. No, 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 he, no, no. no. We, we used to wear the white. We used to wear the white Lazio dance shoes. Right, right, and you couldn't right. be wearing jeans. No jeans. No, but no. you notice yeah, the women could wear anything because they knew if they didn't have women in the club, they would not have guys. And there were no Timberland boots. There were none of that stuff. No. There, there were none of, no boots, none of that stuff. No, but the women could wear anything. And at the door, the guys whose job it was to pick the crowd, they said, we need women tonight. We need, we need two women for every one guy here. Because if a guy walked into a club... And there were more women than men. He said, oh, I got to tell all my homeboys about this. We're coming back next week. There are more women here than men. And as long as you like to dance, they were all over the place. Because the thugs, they didn't want to dance. No. So you had to pick up the women. Well, also, about the- also remember, Ken, the thugs, a lot of them couldn't dance because they were strapped. And they didn't want to drop the gun on the dance floor because if they were strapped to their ankle or strapped to their side, and let's Somebody face it. Somebody would hear the gun, the gun would drop and people would flee and run all over the place. Exactly. So they didn't want to do that. So I, do I always sort of figured out a guy, if he wouldn't get up at all, even when the lady would ask him, please, please, come on, shine, please, please, and he wouldn't get up, and you knew he could dance, then I said, man, this guy is strapped. This guy don't want to get up and dance because he doesn't want to expose that weapon or he doesn't want to drop the weapon on the dance floor. Exactly, exactly. The good times. Thanks for talking, Curtis. Oh, my pleasure. The uh, unknown comic with the bag over yeah. his head. That, that was quite a ruse to get into a club. That was a good one. Used it. Thanks a lot. Yeah, you, no, you had to because you had all these guys and gals outside queuing up outside of a club. Most couldn't get in a lot of times. And if it was top-shelf, five-star nightclub, uh, disco, uh, they didn't just want to pick anybody. So sometimes you'd be milling around for a long time, and then if you were lucky, they'd pick you. And because they were trying to pick the right kind of people, they didn't want troublemakers, they didn't want anybody loud, they didn't want anyone drunk, and you had to be dressed in a particular fashion. Because if you look like a hibaro, like you came out of the hills, like you had high waters on. Well, God only knows what else you had on. You came in with suspenders. 
<laughs> that was it, man. It's like, yo, are you a hillbilly? Man, we're running a club here. I remember this guy, Johnny Rivera. Oh, man, he ran most of the clubs up in the Bronx. And then clubs wouldn't stay open that long. Club would have a run for a few years, and then all of a sudden, people would move on to a different club. And the same club that was hot one year in 1978 was closed by 1980. Now, it could well have been that they lost their... uh, uh, their liquor license. It could well have been that they got padlocked because uh, the rent wasn't being paid or the lease wasn't being paid. But most times uh, they closed because the crowd was no longer coming. The crowd was always looking for a new club to go to, a new experience. And that's why they called it club hopping. And they could make or break a club. A club that was hot just a year ago could be almost nobody in that club a year later. Because everybody was uh, looking for the fresh place to go. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Gina in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gina. Oh, hi, Curtis. You make me want to go out dancing with all this reminiscence. Now, did you go to any of the clubs there in Brooklyn? Oh, yeah, I did, of course. And they're all gone now. Did you have a particular favorite spot? Yeah, I used to like Bentleys here in Bay Ridge. Oh, yes, Bentleys. Yes. Yeah, Bentleys was, yeah, they had a small dance floor, but they had, you know, it was a nice place. Yeah, it wasn't crazy Gavones. It wasn't the Supreme Cousines, uh, the Jadrules, the Knuckle Draggers. No, but there were some girl fights in the ladies' room. <laughs> I remember some of those, yeah. Yeah, no, 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 that, that always took place, but... <laughs> Uh, you know, you knew right away. You walk in and you see these uh, these jadrules, these knuckle draggers. It's a man. This is not a place we want to be. Yeah, but mo- most of the time it was a good time. But they all folded. It's, it's amazing. The, the fellow that was talking to you earlier is right. The kids just don't know how much fun it was. It was exciting to get all dressed up and go out and dance. You know. Yeah, and oftentimes, uh, if your friends weren't around. You wouldn't hesitate to go by yourself. Well, for a fella, of course not. You know, but for girls, I, you know, it, it was always better to go with friends. Well, of know? course, of course, because you never knew what kind of crowd you were running into. And I remember oftentimes I'd finish a shift at McDonald's. It was 2 in the morning. Nobody at the McDonald's was going to go to a club. They all smelled like hamburgers and fries. So I would uh, go in the back area by the slop sink. I'd try to clean up as best as I could. Uh, I didn't use any of that uh, sweet water, that cologne. Oh, my God, forget it. Uh, But I'd have to get this. You couldn't cover the hamburger smell with the cologne because I worked as a waitress, and I know exactly what you're talking about. You had to go home and shower. (laughs) Yeah, or you smell like uh, a French fry. So I would get the uh, plastic bags. And I would take a marine shower in the slop sink. And they would say, wow, why why are you taking a shower in the slop sink? I'm going to the club. And there's no women going to dance with me if I smell like French fries in a hamburger. Well, that's for sure. But, you know, I really called to talk about the gasoline that you mentioned earlier. Was there anything to using the same gas? Remember you were talking about that? Yes. Uh, some people, like my father, he would only use Flying A gasoline. If uh, old Betsy ran out of gas, he'd push it to the next Flying A station rather than use another brand. 
Well, I had a um, five American cars when I was driving, and the last car I had was a Pontiac Grand Am, and my mechanic told me, only use gasoteria gas. And I listened to him because he said every gasoteria gas is the same no matter which station you go to because do you remember at one time they were putting water in the gas? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why you would get Andy Granatelli's STP. You'd pour a can in because it would suck up all the uh, water in the gas. Well, my granddam lasted 17 years. That, that was very good for an American road car. And that's before they had the gas caps, right? Uh, you mean the gas? Well, I used to do my own gas, and there was a key. Like, I had a key to open it up to put my own gas in. Oh, yeah, but I remember before that, because you had a gas key. Uh, they put the gas caps on with a key because people were siphoning gas when in 1972, 73, yes. there was the embargo. OPEC wouldn't uh, send any petroleum over because we had helped the Israelis. And I remember guys would get garden hoses and they'd be. Yes, I remember that too, Curtis. They'd be siphoning gas. You come out of uh, your house and then all of a sudden you turn the ignition and no gas. They had siphoned all the gas overnight. Oh, my God, yeah. oh, my. Oh, those were the days. Those were the days, Gina. Up next, though, oh, we got to talk about crops. Because as bad as the gasoline shortage is going to be worldwide and diesel fuel and kerosene and home heating fuel oil, wheat. Oh, there's going to be a wheat shortage that's going to affect everyone in this world. Take this off, man. I hate the Beatles, especially when we're talking about birthdays here. In the club, in the club, 50 Cent, 50 Cent. We just played it for my birthday on March 26th. I can't believe we've lost it. And it's been purposefully replaced with the Beatles song so as to get me upset. I knew this would happen. Sabatucci here at WABC, and no doubt, nefariously, I would bet you that probably uh, Frank Morano has had something to do with this. That's a double oofa. But anyway, the reason we were uh, signaling the happy birthday song is that uh, a few people decided to honor what would have been Cesar Chavez's uh, birthday this past week in Herald Square, had he been alive. I don't think people realize what a magnificent human being he was, the life and times that he led. They were there to protest the use of toxic pesticides to grow crops. And uh, it continues to this day. Which is certainly not good for the consumers as the pesticides uh, end up going on the product. Oftentimes, it's not washed off, but more importantly, is horrific for those people who have to pick the crops, those people who have to end up boxing uh, the crops, and then uh, the crops being shipped uh, to the store where eventually uh, you make your purchase. And Cesar Chavez was a man who was opposed to illegal immigration. His thought process was that if you allowed illegal aliens to come across the border, 
then there was no way that the members of his United Farm Workers would be able to compete and earn a decent wage for a really hard day of labor. That's for sure. So a lot of people don't realize he was against illegal aliens coming into our country. And he was also very religious. Catholic, uh, who uh, was a pro-lifer. So you have all three of these situations that, to some people, were very confusing because they always tried to slot and tried to uh, push uh, Cesar Chavez, the head of the United Farm Workers Union, into a particular slot. Oh, he's left-wing, he's socialist, he's communist. No, no, no. He was pragmatic and he had his own sense of beliefs. But he was against uh, illegal uh, aliens coming across the border because it would take uh, jobs from those who were legal here, who were part of the union, because they would work for, obviously, far less the wage that had been negotiated by the union, United Farm Workers Union, with the uh, growers. And uh, people just assumed uh, that he would not be pro-life, he was pro-life. So in, in many ways, Cesar Chavez was an enigma his life and times is rarely, if ever, celebrated uh, today. It should be more often because of the courage that he and his initial members showed. They would bring the goons in and they'd beat them down when they were trying to organize. It's sort of uh, the reason it's also important is you saw at the Amazon warehouse, it was the first time Amazon workers had voted to uh, actually unionize anywhere in the country. Apparently, the workers in the Alabama warehouse voted down the union, but the Staten Island warehouse, uh, the workers voted in a union. We'll see how that works out. But that's nothing. That pales in comparison to what Cesar Chavez uh, would go through. And he had visits at that time from Robert F. Kennedy, visits from Martin Luther King Jr., uh, from others who uh, wanted to see how they could synergistically involve themselves. Our own owner-operator, John Katsimatidis of Red Apple Media, our parent corporation, uh, grocer by trade. That's how he made his bones growing up. And then a supermarket mogul. He was always very supportive of Cesar Chavez and the UFW and its uh, mission to make it safer for its workers in the fields, especially in eliminating the toxic, toxic pesticides. Did we find uh, in the club? Well, let's play that there in honor of Cesar Chavez, even though it's uh, by a guy who culturally appropriated my name, Curtis Jackson, a.k.a. 50 Cent, whose claim to fame is that he got shot nine times, some say by Jaru, the degenerate hip-hop rapper from Southeast Queens. Uh, and they've had beef ever since, but he wears that as a badge of courage that he got shot nine times. And some people will say to me, well, Curtis, you only got shot five times with hollow point bullets. I said, but I'm not a degenerate hip hop monster like Sharu and 50 Cent. But since we're talking about clubs as we were, uh, in the earlier hour, this is appropriate. But a a very happy uh, birthday to Cesar Chavez. No doubt he's in heaven for all the great work he has done. But it leads us right into the discussion 
of what is happening over in the Ukraine, in Belarus, the ally of Russia, and in Putin land, Russia itself, and how it's going to impact on the world. Well, as bad as the um, the embargo of uh, barrels of petroleum coming out of the old Soviet Union, Russia will be for the world marketplace and their natural gas depots, especially since European Union and other countries have said, no, 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 we're not accepting, uh, we're... Uh, we're acknowledging the embargo that the United States has placed on Russian oil products. The fact is, is that Putin himself may be increasing that because he has claimed that anyone now receiving any of his oil products or barrels of oil that they're going to bring to their uh, their uh, uh, refineries have to be paid in rubles. Because he can't change currency in any of the banks. That's part of the uh, economic sanctions that's been imposed upon him by President Joe Biden and the European Union. But there are some dire, dire consequences that are taking place as a result of the war in the Ukraine. And I'm not just talking about all the death and destruction, the displacement, the refugees who will probably, when all is said and done, number about 6 million who have fled the Ukraine, going into Poland and Hungary and Romania, and then working their way into Western Europe, and many of them hoping to get into the United States. About 100,000 so far will be accepted into the United States, but you know that will be many more. But you look at a country like Egypt. Egypt has 100 million people in a mostly desert area. They get 80% of their wheat from the Ukraine and Russia. Right now, they're getting nothing. They lost their wheat importer. And also, um, India. India and uh, is providing wheat for Turkey. They got so much of its wheat from the Ukraine and Russia. And India is trying to provide the wheat needed in Egypt. Because in 35 years, to give you an example of how important uh, Egypt is in the making of bread, because if you don't have bread, if you don't have the wheat to make the bread, there'll be riots in the streets. The government there, whether it was Mubarak or General Sassi now, heavily subsidized the purchase of wheat so that average everyday citizens are paying the same price now. Uh, for the last 35 years, it's not gone up a penny. The last time it went up, Sadat, that's right, the guy who won the Nobel Peace Prize when he made peace uh, at the Camp David Accords with Menachem Begin. Nobody ever thought that would be possible, peace between Egypt and Israel, as negotiated by then-President Jimmy Carter. It was Anwar Sadat who actually raised the price of wheat And in two days, they had so much rioting throughout Egypt, mostly in Cairo, the most populated city, and Alexandria, where there's so many of the Coptic Christians, that Sadat had to roll back the prices. That was 1977. They haven't tried to raise the price of a bushel of wheat since. 80% of the wheat that they get is from the Ukraine and Russia. They're trying to now change that by going to India. And I predict that they'll have food riots. They'll have bread riots right there in Cairo and in Alexandria. And it could destabilize the general Sasi government, which is autocratic to begin with. 
but could cause a number of problems throughout the Middle East and the Persian Gulf. As an example, they are the security blanket for many of the countries in that part of the world, Egypt is, because they have the most uh, competent army, the most competent air force, the most competent navy. So Saudi Arabia, because realizing they have to continue to buy wheat wherever they can get it, has given Egypt $5 billion for a loan to do that. The UAE, likewise. Qatar, likewise. Because they need Egypt to provide the security. Egypt, in the Middle East, and in North Africa, is just too big to fail. And the Arab countries are giving loans, mad money loans, to Egypt. Because they got to subsidize General Sassi, who has been uh, guilty of more human rights violations than I can count on my fingers and toes. Think about that. Egypt on the brink of having riots because they can't get enough wheat to turn into bread. Egypt, remember Cairo, the home of Maimonides, considered the greatest medical authority and doctor of all time. The Jewish doctor to the sultan. And Egypt has always been the cultural center for the Arab-speaking world. In fact, you can go down Steinway Street in Queens in Astoria, or you can go to Park Avenue in uh, Jersey City, where you have Muslim uh, Egyptians and Coptic Christians living like way in Steinway. And you can walk into any of those hookah cafes. No, not that you're going to get hookers, women selling their uh, their bodies, but hookah cafes Hookah bars where you smoked a flavored tobacco in a pipe. I guess in uh, when I was in the UK, they called it shisha bars. And a lot of Iranians up in Great Neck, you know, Persian Jews, who were used to it from the time that they were in Persia until they had to flee when the Shah left and the Ayatollah Omeni came in. But they're into smoking those hookah pipes. And you actually go into some of these cafes and bars, especially on Steinway Street, and you watch the TV and it's coming from Cairo, which, again, it's the cultural center for everything created in entertainment for the Arab-speaking world. And you can actually see Wheel of Fortune in Arabic, live from Cairo, Egypt, where they have an Egyptian Pat Sajak and an Egyptian Vanna White. It's incredible. But, you know, when you smoke those hookah pipes, just as a warning to everybody out there, especially the hipsters and millennials, it doesn't filter out the carcinogens. And you end up possibly getting uh, carbon monoxide poisoning, believe it or not. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. And by the way, 30% of the world's wheat supply is produced by the Ukraine and Russia, and that's almost come to a, a halt. Vegetable oil, which is incredibly important for the world. Sunflower oil, so much of it comes from the Ukraine and Russia, especially for the Mideast and North Africa. And that's all ground to a halt. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Frank, who's calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Frank. Hey, good morning, Curtis. You got me reminiscing there with the clubs and how it used to be. I mean, the girls would get dressed up, you know, real fine. I remember driving down uh, 
to uh, Manhattan uh, to Studio 54. I got picked to go in. Uh, it was amazing. It was a, it was a real great time in the city of New York. Uh, you know, somebody should try to bring that back. But now, wait, 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 Frank, where were you living at that time? I was living in Glendale. All right, so you were a BQE guy, right? You better believe it. I used to go down. Uh, you maybe were there too, down in the uh, uh, Bay Ridge uh, area. Uh, the Crazy Country Club. Oh, yeah. Oh, there were so many great clubs in Bay Ridge. But there they expected a crowd from Brooklyn and Queens and Staten Island. In Manhattan, they specifically tried to keep the BQE crowd out of their clubs. So how did you, how were you able to get picked, Frank? All right, listen, I, I wasn't uh, – uh, I was like a candy man, I guess. You know, I pulled up with my 76 Firebird in front of the 54. I even had a T-shirt on. I had the look. I had my, uh, I don't know, was it my Sergio Valenti jeans? You know, and uh, I guess uh, my long wavy hair and, uh, you know, nice wanted me in there. <laughs> now, Frankie, you said you were the candy man. What, like Sammy Javis Jr.? No, 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 no. I was like, you know, uh... I had it going on. The girls liked me, you know. Yeah, but I know when you go into a club and they'd say, that guy's the candy man, that's the guy that had the cocaine. No, 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 not me. No, not me. No. Well, how, no, did, no. how did you get the name the candy man? Well, they get, no, you know, the, the, uh, just because you, I look good, I guess. You, I don't know. Yeah, you're <laughs> thinking a little too hard here, Frank. There's got to be a reason you were called the candy man. <laughs> No, nah, no, nah. Curtis, you got me wrong. Not me. Oh, no. <laughs> Look, back then, it was everywhere. In fact, there was a period of time, Frank, where people would use cocaine, and there was no thought that it would be harmful to your health. It was considered an energizer. People thought of it like a vitamin. And actually, um, it was very expensive. But you would go to a, a party, and people would have peanut butter jars filled with cocaine, and people would do it and say, oh, it's good because I have more vitality, I'll have more energy, I'll be able to get more work done. And people bought into it, and then like six months later, they'd look at that person and say, my God, you're a dope fiend. What happened to you? Yeah, I saw girls go down that road, but uh, not not I. I didn't touch the stuff. Uh, and the worst thing for the girls back then going to the clubs were guys trying to get them looted up with quaaludes, you know, doing the Bill Cosby routine. Yeah, you're right about that. I've seen it all. But uh, Yeah, they'd say, hey, there's some quaalude queens over there. They try to hook up with them. And, oh, that, the quaaludes were really bad, really bad. So the nightlife was great. You know, the girls would get, you know, I, I – uh, I had a I had a pretty good time. I would say uh, girls would always get dressed up really hot, and uh, you know, go out to dinner and then go out dancing. Yeah, and remember, a club was no club if they couldn't attract more women than men. There had to be more women uh, than men, and naturally, they'd have uh, free entry for women, no cover charges. Because if they didn't get the women in there, they weren't going to attract the men, Frank. And they usually had the the, uh, the age was like 18 for women and 21 then for men because they wanted to keep sort of an older crowd. That's right. And no sneakers. You had sneakers, you could forget about it. Nope. No jeans. Well, depends. If, it were, if you were wearing some of those designer jeans back in the day, they'd let you. But, uh, That's right. And then I remember some guys would show up 
They'd be wearing skippies, you know, like Tom McCann skippies, which weren't like, you know, they weren't Keds. Uh, they weren't Converse. They weren't anything. But still, they looked like, uh, you know, tennis uh uh, tennis sneakers, and they'd say, no, 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 no. They'd say, no, 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 no. I got bunions. I got this. Uh, sorry, pal. You can't come in here. I've seen guys getting bounced, but good. That's right, but you uh, you remember those days fondly. Uh, very warm memories. <clears throat> Let me yeah. tell you something, Frank. You were one of the lucky BQE crowd to get into 54 because normally the guys on the outside who would pick and choose who could come in they seem to have a schnoz. They could pick out somebody who came from Staten Island, Brooklyn, or Queens. Yeah, I guess I just had to look. You know, I used to go to, uh, well, the Copacabana was basically uh, not really a club, but uh, I bought a Playboy Club, too, in Manhattan. Ah, so you were chasing bunnies. Absolutely. And I used to go in there with sometimes better-looking girls. Oh, that must have made the uh, Playboy Bunny somewhat envious. No, you do what you got to do back then, you know? All right, well, coming out of Glendale, you were living the life. Oh, God. People don't understand how incredible that was. Uh, Studio 54 was considered the club of all clubs. I didn't get in there until... uh, after they reopened, and then it, was, uh, it wasn't it was five-star top shelf anymore, and they did a fundraiser for the Guardian Angels there. But they can sniff out somebody who is from the Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island. They didn't want you there because they said it diluted the gene pool. This was their term, the bouncers, the muscle heads at the door. We let you in. It will dilute the gene pool. What do you mean dilute the gene pool? We're not breeding in there. So, well, if you've been in there, you'll see there are a lot of people who are breeding. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Patty in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Patty. Hey, good morning, Curtis. I enjoy your show. I I wanted to tell you that I took my son. I worked for the airlines uh, at one time. I took my son to Egypt. I tell you, what a beautiful country. Ah, which parts of Egypt did you visit? Oh, uh, all over. All over Egypt. I went to all the museums. I went to all the caves. And uh, I I put my son on, on a camel. He took a ride on the camel. I tell you, it was a gorgeous country. And uh, you were in Cairo, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, how? I mean, it was packed with people, wasn't it? Well, no, I, I, I don't remember uh, really being packed. Uh, no, it was good. I mean, this is many years ago. And uh, my son, well, my poor son, I dragged him a lot of places. Because uh, when I worked for the airlines, I, I went all over the world. So I enjoyed traveling. Well, just imagine, Patty, it's mostly desert. They can't grow enough crops for themselves because they have 100 million people. The larger cities, obviously, where you were, Cairo, the biggest, and then Alexandria. Uh, and they, by not having wheat that they can purchase anymore from uh, the Ukraine or Russia because of the war, they got no way to make bread. And if they don't find an alternative source of wheat, they're going to have bread riots there, which uh, is, is normally the number one reason that there are riots in a country. Are they, they don't have bread. Or they don't have gasoline. Recently in Kazakhstan, they had riots over the price of gasoline. So if the prices go up too extensively, 
the local people will have riots, Patty. Oh, that's it. Yeah, no, no, no. So somehow, some way, maybe India can actually um, ship some uh, wheat there, but then they have their own situation. They got all the people they have to feed there. By the way, which country is the number one wheat producer in the world? A little bit of trivia here. Which country is the number one wheat producer in the world? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Tommy in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tommy. Yes, hello, Tommy. How about Portacol over there in Atlantic and, uh, what is it, Atlantic and uh, Woodhaven? All right, Atlantic and Woodhaven, okay. And I know that area well. What was the name of the club you went to there? Portacol. Portacol, okay. That one I was not familiar with. Well, not only that one, how about Jace Bratz on the water, uh, uh, Deja Vu? Oh, that was in Bell Boulevard in, in, in Queens up there in Bayside. Oh, and I remember at that time, uh, Bell Boulevard, Bayside, you had gin mills galore, you had clubs, you had the Gambinos controlling that whole strip. Uh, it, it was wild there. I mean, wow, you throw me off with that one. I don't know. You know, I mean, when you heard about them, you, 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 they, they, they were normal people, if anything, and then they turned into, uh, you know. Yeah, well, no, no, it was business first and foremost because uh, people wanted to be safe coming to the clubs. They didn't want, obviously, fights and, and all kinds of uh, Michigash craziness. You had the 111th Precinct there. They used to take some people in who would be fighting uh, but the place used to be packed. I mean, Bell Boulevard is doing relatively well now. But, Tommy, I remember when they had the clubs and the gin mills were cooking, that place was jammed. The corners, the corner places. Yes. I mean, yeah, jammed. That, that, that was hot rod night. That was hot rod night. We'd go around the 75 Camaro with the, my friend from Canarsie. We'd go visit his, um, his cousin lived over there. That's right. Yeah, the IROC. Then you had the Cornu, the Italian horns hanging in the rearview mirror. Oh, man, that was a chick magnet car. I tell you, this is, this is an exciting show tonight, boy. You got me excited. I don't know what, what to start with first. I have a lot to talk about. Well, this here. is like a course, form yeah. of uh, audio Viagra for you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, and thanks to you. And listen, when Eric B. gets in, uh, he's president, we're going to pull you up, all right? Right now, he's just holding the record so the needle don't budge. <laughs> I understood. That's great. But uh, what was your favorite club, Tommy? If you had one choice, one choice only, you can only go to one club on one given night when you were uh, young and footloose and fancy free, where would you have gone? Here goes. Jay Sprats on the water. Hmm. Ain't see that one I never went to. What did what did you like about that place? Well, they, you know, all the people they looked very well, they smelt nice, you had boats coming in off the water, well you had a dance floor, you had a I forget about it, it was beautiful. So they weren't using that uh sweet water, that turlet water, that cheap cologne, that high karate and that uh, uh that uh, old spice, right? No, we don't we, we 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 didn't have none of that. We had the best of everything. Yeah, I know, but I got I got to tell you, there's nothing worse than a guy getting on a dance floor, getting all sweaty, because you know you had the polyester shirt; it did not absorb like a cotton shirt. Your your schwitz, and they had taken a bath in high karate or old spice. Oh my god! Oh, you, you need a you need a, a, a hazmat suit. 
The stink. It would twirl the hairs in your nostrils. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Al. Calling from Florida. Where in uh, Florida are you calling from, Al? Fort Lauderdale. Good. And uh, how long you been living there? Oh, I moved here in 1979. From uh, New York City? No, from uh, Canada, actually. Wow. I was uh, born in... Uh, my dad was a customs officer and uh, on the Canadian customs, and we were we lived right on the border of Vermont and uh, Canada. And when it was time for mom to give birth, all they went to the nearest hospital, which was Vermont. So I have dual citizenship. Anyhow, Curtis, I just wanted to talk about uh, Studio Fifty Four, a little story. Um, Prime Minister Trudeau, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, the father of Justin Trudeau, the current prime minister, when he was prime minister, his wife was Margaret Trudeau, much younger than the uh, her husband. And she got kind of wild and was in New York at Studio 54. And they took a picture of her sitting on a stool or whatever, and she was wearing a skirt with no underwear. And that and actually that was considered extraordinarily risque then. Well, shortly thereafter, she was admitted to the Royal Victoria Hospital by her husband for a little stay. Now, let me ask you a question, because Trudeau Sr., unlike Trudeau Jr., was like virile, like a stallion was constantly chasing skirts. Didn't he hook up with uh, Bianca Jagger once uh, Bianca left uh, uh, Mickey, 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 Mick Jagger? Yeah. Well, I know he, I know he dated Barbara Streisand. He dated uh, the lady that played uh, Lois Lane in the original uh, Superman. Uh, I can't remember her name. But, yeah, he was very active. Uh, yeah, active ain't, I, uh, the, the active ain't the world. He did not need Viagra, that's for sure. <laughs> and I remember well, Bianca Jaguar. I had no idea if she was from Nicaragua. They had had an earthquake there, so she was leading uh, earthquake relief. Very a gorgeous woman, very intelligent. Uh, but I think she had a falling out with Mick Jagger uh, because she wasn't going to tolerate all of his groupies. And then, for some strange reason, I'm thinking she hooked up with Trudeau Sr. And uh, Trudeau Sr. did not mind being in page six, did not mind being in the society pages and the gossip columns at all. Sure. Yeah, Trudeau and and his wife, Margaret, uh, they went to Cuba, and uh, Castro was all over her in Cuba. And uh, they flew to Russia and were uh, greatly welcomed there. I mean, she was quite something. Uh, First Lady of Canada driving around in a Volkswagen Beetle, you know? Yeah, she could have hooked up with Boom Beam Jerry Brown at that point, the governor of California, who was with Linda Ronstadt in the uh, governor's mansion in Sacramento, uh, he was like uh, living on a futon, you know. He was almost like a hippie. <laughs> well, she met she met Trudeau on the ski slopes in British Columbia, 
Uh, I don't know which one. Whistler Whistler Mountain. That was the name of the ski slope. Oh, it's go- and, gorgeous. Uh, that, that, gorgeous. That part of the Rocky Mountains that go into Canada. Oh, amazing. Amazing. By the way, uh, Al, uh, so many Americans used to go to Cuba when it was really illegal to go right through Montreal. They'd go north of the border into Montreal and then catch a flight. And the passport control people in Canada would not stamp their passports. Yeah. Canada and Cuba, it was uh, back and forth all the time. They were uh, big time, uh, big time welcomers to Canadian tourists for many, now, many, many years. Yeah. Now, can you uh, explain to me why so many of your uh, expats uh, from Canada have settled down near you in uh uh, that whole area of Hollywood, so Broward County, Palm Beach County, Day County. I mean, I see so many Canadian flags down there when I go. Well, I don't know. I mean, I can understand uh, Americans coming down to Florida, but the Canadians, for every uh, American dollar, they have to spend a dollar thirty-one to get an American dollar. Wow. I mean, it's crazy. And it used to be when I was a kid, Al, when I was a kid, the Canadian dollar was worth more than the American dollar. Well, you were a kid in the early 70s then. uh, Yeah, it was a a few cents more than an American dollar. So if you had a Canadian dollar was actually on the currency exchange worth more than the American dollar back in the, I believe it was the late 60s. Yeah, yeah. I remember my parents, uh, uh, who were living in Canada, moved money into American banks. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. It, it was worth more. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, wow. And, you know, when the Canadians, uh, they come in, they take over the shuffleboard courts. So you ask all the senior citizens in southern Florida, hey, what happened? Don't you play shuffleboard anymore? No, the Canadians have come in. They beat us in shuffleboard all the time. You see their flags in Hollandale. You see it right there in Hollywood. No, no, not Hollywood, California. Hollywood down there in Dade County. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Oh, Bad Bunny and Drake. Wannabe brother, he's really a Jewish guy from Toronto. Acts like he's a bro from Jane Finch Carter. No, you're not. No, you're not, Jake. I've been in Jane Finch Carter with the Guardian Angels. It's rough there, (laughs) but nobody knows you there. Oh, man, did he just create a narrative. But anyway, it's a great song, ladies and gentlemen, and it leads us into the uh, new story of the day that none of you have heard about yet, read about or seen on TV, and that is that our brand-new mayor, Eric Adams, not even 100 days in office, has decided that he is going to create a bicycle superhighway. Now, with all the problems we have going on, the shootings, unsolved, 
the slashings, crime skyrocketing, 75% in the subways, 78% in the streets. You would think you would put your total effort and focus on cracking down on crime, dealing with the homeless and the emotionally disturbed. Psych, he's not. Uh, In just a few hours, somewhere on 3rd Avenue in Manhattan, between 24th Street and 125th Street, which is the route of the conversion to a bicycle superhighway, Eric Adams will announce that there will be no vehicular traffic going through 3rd Avenue. In fact, there will be six bicycle lanes. Six. You got to be crazy. Where are all these bicycles? I mean, this isn't Amsterdam. It isn't Beijing. It isn't Shanghai. Where the hell does he think he is? And he's going to convert all of those lanes that normally carry trucks and vans, dropping off products, or repair people, or electricians, any number of tradesmen and tradeswomen. And I don't know where the hell they're going to be able to pull up in front of them because there's no parking whatsoever. Six bicycle paths, one barrier, and then two bus paths and sidewalks on both sides. And that's it. This is crazy. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Anthony calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Anthony. Yeah, Curtis. Um, the guy mentioned protocols on Woodhaven and Atlantic. Um, that used to be a big, a big hangout on the weekends for an old nemesis of yours. Ah, which one? I've had many uh, old nemesis uh, in the plural. Are you speaking of John Gotti Jr.? Oh yes, he'd be there every weekend. Wow, I'm surprised uh, back then that Frank Morano wasn't uh, sitting uh, down at a table knocking back some drinks with him. Yeah, okay, whatever. Another idiot. But anyway, uh, listen, I voted for you. You should be the mayor as far as I'm concerned. That other retard, no, nah, he's, he's, he's just, he's, he's, that's a useless, that six-lane bike thing, that, that, that's going to work out well. Yeah, that's crazy. Now, Anthony, what neighborhood did you grow up in? I grew up in Richmond Hill and Ozone Park. Okay, Richmond Hill, before all of a sudden the people from Guyana came in in the seats, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. And what were the clubs that you went to when you were growing up, when you were a young adult? Uh, Channel Ladies, Elephants. Uh, uh, which one, which one. one did you like the best? Which one? Do I, well, I, I'd rather I'd rather stay in the neighborhood bars, actually. But uh, uh. you know, go out to Long Island sometimes to a few of those Hammerheads and Rockaway. Yeah, a couple of places. All right. So uh, you made the rounds, but you decided you were more safe and secure, more comfortable in the local gin mills uh, around Richmond Hill. Yes, Ringside Pub, JT's, Jamaica Avenue. Yeah. Ah, now, do you ever go to the uh, the pubs, uh, the bars uh, underneath the L in uh, Woodhaven? Uh, a couple of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what the heck was it? Yeah, there was a few bars over there. Jagermeister. White Horse. Yeah, Jagermeister was in Richmond Hill, though. That was on 102nd ah, Street. My mistake. Did you go there? Oh, yeah, I went to Jagermeister. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. A lot of my enemies went there. Yes, they did. 
Uh, these guys would talk about <laughs> killing me all the time while they'd be, they'd be saying, hey, who's paying for the drinks? Uh, we're going to salute Curtis Lee because he may be dead tomorrow. Yeah, I knew them all. Yeah, uh, man. Wow. So you made the rounds, Anthony. Uh, yeah, when I was a young kid. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm still young. I'm not old. I'm, I'm only 60, but yeah, I was there. Good. You survived it. Because <laughs> a lot of guys, unfortunately, didn't. You either went away to prison or they got involved in some really shady stuff. And all of a sudden they were in St. John's Cemetery, six feet under in a pine box. And some of them were in Forest Park, buried yep. in the dirt. Yep. Yeah, all right. Well, th- 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 thanks for sharing the memories, Anthony. Yeah, the Jagermeister, 102nd. Oh, man, the guys who were there talking about killing me. Oh, and there was the Albanian bad boy, Johnny A. Light, who was there. Who, uh, the best, his best man in his wedding was John Gotti Jr. Now he's an Albanian guy, and then John Gotti Jr. later said, no, nah, he really, why, really wasn't friendly with the guy. This guy got the contract to whack me. From Gotti Jr. And he couldn't find me first. Although I think he probably uh, didn't really try too hard. It's kind of easy to find me in my red beret, my red sateen jacket. I was wearing it all the time. Uh, But there was the time here at WABC when we were at 32nd Street uh, off of 7th Avenue on the 17th floor. Uh, Geraldo was doing the mid-morning show from 10 to 12. And he had Johnny A. Light, the Albanian bad boy, on who had written a book about his life and times with the Gambinos and Gaudis. In fact, he had gone off and did like four years in a Brazilian jail. Man, I I got guardian angels in Rio de Janeiro up in the favelas, man. And I visited a, guard, a real jail in Brazil, which is like a gulag. And it was so interesting because I walked in on the guy and there was no way for him to escape. He had to sit there. And it's a great video. The guy is schwitzing there, and he's talking about how he had the opportunity to kill me, but he passed on it. He could have been the guy who shot me five times with hollow point bullets instead of Michael Iannotti, who's out. I know you're out there, Michael. You did what? You didn't even do your full 20 years for shooting me. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Gene, who's calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gene. Hello, Mayor. How are you doing tonight? Uh, I've had better days. I've had better days, Gene. I have a lot of things to talk to you about. I think a great name for your show would have been The Dawn's Early Night. Would have been a good name for your show. I like that. The Dawn's Early Night. Like the beginning of the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah. No, no. that's, That's beautiful. Unfortunately, Gene, what happened was... Frank Morano, my nemesis, took complete control of the renaming project. He's he's the one who had a hissy fit. He didn't want it being called the other side of midnight, the weekend edition. So a lot of Michigash. Uh, and it, it finally, they named it another side of midnight. And in a few hours, I'm going to go through all of that as I return at midnight because I think I figured it all out, uh, Gene. It's taken me a while, but I figured out a lot about Frankie Five Burrows. Yeah, he did, he did two goddamn interviews, and now he's the king of the world, he thinks. Oh, my God. Not, not only that, but he rightfully he's received extraordinary recognition and attention uh, for the interviews uh, that he did with uh, Stone. Uh, that, 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 Roger Stone, that just flew off the hook. And then uh, followed by his uh, business uh, partner, 
Uh, he back to back, belly to belly. Uh, he, he got worldwide reviews, and now he's considered the interviewer extraordinaire. Is that your son? He's raising over there in Staten Island. No, no, Carmine, no. <laughs> I've had it with uh, with bringing children into the world. Anthony is my oldest. He's an intern here at WABC. We do a podcast every week. Uh, you can look at it or hear it. Uh, you go to WABCradio.com for all the podcasts. But look for a father and his son, Anthony and Curtis. Then there's Carter. I was with Carter earlier tonight uh, in the Queens. Uh, and Hunter, his youngest brother, uh, my youngest son. Uh, so those are my three. No more kids. That's it. It's over. Your other shows because I had a great cat story. I was going to try to get to you last week with it. I'm the guy who I'm the guy who spoke to you about the Medal of Honor. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Story. I remember that. I remember that, Gene. Yeah, and then t- tonight I was talking to you, and I think I used some curse words. I got cut off. Yeah, I yeah. Well, about that thing. We had a we had to wash your mouth out with Felsnap the soap because I know you're not Jewish. You would have been Rokish. I'm sorry, Curtis. No, no, it's all right. Hey, uh, this is what you do. Just imagine you're in the confessional at your local parish church, and I'm the priest behind the silhouette as you do confession. I give you 20 Our Fathers and 100 Hail Marys. You could have you burned a church and you wouldn't get that. that, that <laughs> That's right. Oh, I used to, I used to go into confession, and I'd have index cards. And my mother would say, you have to write down your mortal sins, your venial sins, and your violations. I said, Mom, what's a violation? Eh, it's not a venial sin, but it's still it's bad. So I'd have them all written out all week, and I'd go on uh, Saturday for confession. And you always knew who the priest was. Even though you couldn't see the priest in the confessional box, you heard his voice. You'd see a silhouette. You knew which priest. And depending on which priest it was, sometimes you didn't want to divulge what the sins were. You said, man, I don't want that guy knowing what. <laughs> I wrote down 20 guys this week that I wanted to kill because I would always have a kill list. I didn't kill anybody, but people who got on my nerves and I'd write down and say, you know, if ever I had the opportunity, these are the people I'd want to kill. That's a sin. As Jimmy Carter said to Playboy magazine, even to think about having sex as a holy roller uh, the first evangelical to run for the presidency of the United States, that was considered a sin just to think about it. So just thinking about people that I wanted to do in because they were annoying or they had um, larceny in their heart, as my Aunt Mary would say. You know, they couldn't be trusted. They had Velcro uh, mitts uh, on for finger for fingertips. Uh, she would say they have larceny in their heart. Yeah, I come in with that whole list, go into the confessional. Nowadays, if I had to do a confession, with all the years that I've been away from church, I guess I'm not an atheist. An atheist doesn't believe in God at all. I I think I'm a little more of an agnostic. I believe there is a God out there, but I'm not happy with my church. I'm a uh, AMP Catholic, ashes on Wednesday, palms on Sunday, then you don't see me for a month of Sundays. And I'm not really interested in going to a supermarket or a uh, retail uh, uh, establishment to try to find a new religion. You know, like the old Alexander's of 59th Street off of Lexington Avenue could have been converted into a uh, department store of religions. Every floor, different religions. You get to shop till you drop and come up with a new religion if you're not happy with your old religion. I think I'm more of an agnostic than an atheist. But I'm certainly not a holy roller. 
And I know that there are many people out there who are. In fact, tomorrow, that's right, in just a few hours, when I return at 12 midnight, I have to talk about the war against Satan that's taking place in, of all states, New Hampshire. It's really a libertarian state. I wouldn't call it a conservative state. I wouldn't call it a Republican state. I'd say it's more of a libertarian state. Live free or die. Oh, they believe in the Second Amendment. They believe in carrying guns. If my wife Nancy had one place that she uh, would want to move to, it would be New Hampshire. Because she's got a payload of like AK-47s not far from where her mother lives in Milford, Pennsylvania. She loves to go over there and shoot them because over there you can do it. Obviously, she can't bring them to New York. Oh, she'd fit perfectly. Annie Oakley in New Hampshire with her AK-47s. Live free or die. That's where Bernard Getz went for his combat shooting training. And that's where he rode off and dissed his gun after he shot the four, the four muggers on the uh, number two train, the Beast. Remember, once again, let me remember their names. It was in the early 80s was Troy Canty, Daryl Cabey, James Ramsour, and uh, Barry Allen. I remember those four thugs like it was yesterday. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Carol in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Carol. Hi, Curtis. I just wanted to tell you that Will Smith resigned from the Academy. That's one thing. And I I wanted to, to tell you that they should put you on more days because you have a big audience. I know they could do it if they want to. We want we want you on more days. No, in okay. fact, uh, Anthony Weiner, who I'll be joining in a few hours uh, in the afternoon, he's on two o'clock. He's on by himself from two to three in a few hours, and then I join him from three to four. He said that the recent survey done <clears throat> indicated that the one thing, <coughs> excuse me, the one thing that people wanted more of who listen to WABC is to hear more of Curtis Sliwa. Uh, because I guess they, they understood that ABC stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. But occasionally I'm heard during the week, uh, maybe in the future that will happen. Uh, I'm uh, just happy to have a microphone because, Carol, every day the owners and operators of Red Apple Media, John and Margot Katsimatidis, they lend me the microphone. Uh, at the end of my shift, they take the microphone back. I'm just lucky they get it lent to me the next time to be able to broadcast but I'm sure you'll be hearing my voice more often uh, during the week as time goes on, Carol. Okay, good. I'll pray for you. Thank you. Oh, yeah, you got to pray. People out there, you got to pray. And let me give you the other big news story today. This is a double disgrazia, double shanda. As you know, it was uh, a week ago that Eric Adams was at City Field, home of the Mets, in the Jackie Robinson Rotunda. And I was there with Andrew Giuliani, who I'm helping get the signatures so he can qualify to run for the Republican nomination to become the next governor of the state of New York. He'll be running against in a primary Lee Zeldin, Rob Astorino, the former Westchester County executive and uh, one other uh, candidate. Uh, And uh, we were right before the press conference that Eric Adams had. With Sandy Alderson, who is the general manager of the Mets, and Randy Levine, who is the president of the New York Yankees, where Eric Adams was cutting out an exemption for sports uh, performers and stage performers so that even if they were unvaccinated, they could perform. No restrictions for Kyrie Irving, for the Nets, and for Aaron Judge, for the Yankees, and everyone else. And yet, 
for the civil servants, the heroes who had been turned into zeros by first uh, Bill de Blasio and then uh, Eric Adams, who inherited and kept the uh, the restrictions in effect, the vaccine mandates. Tough noogies, 1,400, wouldn't get the vaccine, and they were eventually fired. They could not get unemployment. They could not seek other employment. It was tragic, traumatized in the, in the private sector. We're the only large city that still has a vaccine mandate in effect for those businesses that have 100 or more employees. They must be vaccinated. And yet they carved out, he carved out an exemption for these millionaire ball players who get paid by billionaire owners. That was a, a double discraziata. But now, just yesterday, Friday, a court judge first ruled that the children should no longer have to wear masks in the school, the uh, five, four, and three-year-olds who were in pre-K. And then immediately the Adams administration ran to another judge higher up the chain in Staten Island and got that reversed. So imagine we're in a situation where three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-olds have to continue to wear masks in school, which makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. But if you're a millionaire ball player or you're a performer on Broadway or a concert performer, you uh, don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to be given a vaccine. You've been given a carve-out. But if you were a hero during the lockdown and pandemic of March 2020 when uh, the coronavirus was just killing people, people dying in the ICUs, and you had healthcare workers who were risking all, firefighters, uh, police officers, sanitation men, MTA workers, they were essential workers, uh, some of whom died, some of whom got seriously ill. And then all of a sudden they were told that either you get vaccinated or you're fired. Well, little kids have to continue to wear masks. Superstars in sports don't. And unfortunately for all of you, you're going to hear Eric Adams later today talk about how he's turning 3rd Avenue in Manhattan to a bicycle superhighway, six lanes for bicycles, one barrier, two lanes for buses, no cars, no vans, no trucks, no cabs, no lifts, no Ubers. This is crazy. And you heard it first here from Curtis Lewa. Because I know where all the bones are.